Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the true planetary and galactic history, history, and true history, history of Nasara. Infinite blessings to one and all. It is Saturday, March 19th, and this is traditionally known as the Feast of St. Joseph, who, and that was an incarnation of St. Germain. So he is overlighting our work here today. And so as we begin our prayers for world service and our meditation to assist in anchoring heaven on earth, we go into our heart center, going into the heart portal of our own being and calling forth individually for the full emergence and integration of our soul, of our higher self, of our monad, of our mighty I am presence. Feel it, sense it, experience it. As we call forth the full emergence and integration to the level that is right and perfect for each one of all of our multidimensional beings, through to our God presence, Goddess presence. See yourself in your pillar of light. Automatically, it contains the violet fire. The violet ray along with the blue ray that always work hand in hand. There are so many beings joining us from each of those rays and we wish all humanity to join us as well. We call them in as we say. Please repeat after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Take a nice deep breath. As we prepare here for the spring equinox, or the equinox, even on the other end of the world, the autumn equinox, we ask for the balance to come in, the balance of masculine feminine, the balance of left brain and right brain. the balance of giving and receiving, the balance of doing and being. This is our desire balance for each and every one. Balance throughout the planet. Balance upon this precious earth. So we invite in everyone to join us, every man, woman, and child, to connect to their threefold flame as we call forth the balance of that threefold flame of divine power, 
divine love and divine wisdom. We will be working with that further as part of our process of creating balance. We ask to connect threefold flame to threefold flame with every person on the planet, connecting as well to the threefold flame of all that is. Connecting cosmic heart to cosmic heart. Connecting to the cosmic heart of all that is. As we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward. Our spiritual lineage, our soul families, and soul pods. We invite in for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. And we invite in the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fury kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms, all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries and divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healing teams. We welcome as well all of our brothers and sisters from the Galactic Federation of Light, especially those that we work most closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and many more. We welcome all cosmic galactic universal healers. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call in to utilize all of the energy around that, all that is going on on the planet at this time, including the celebrations this week of St. Patrick's Day and St. Joseph's Day and the spring equinox, the equinox. Regardless around the world, we call in all of that energy to utilize in our collective cup of consciousness to be used for the transformation of this planet to be used for the enlightenment of all people to be used for the balance the balance of power, love and wisdom to be used to truly create and fully manifest heaven on earth We call in all the rays, all the flames, 
all the universal laws, all the ascension waves. With every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field multidimensionally, and in every mind, our conscious, subconscious, superconscious mind in divine order as well. We ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium in love and light and laughter. We ask that Gaia receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field, through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, and through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this spiral of evolution, along with Gaia as she takes her rightful place as freedom star. So we begin with the violet flame and the following decree by St. Germain. O my constant loving, I am presence, the light of God above me whose radiance forms a circle of fire before me to light my way. I am faithfully calling to thee to place a great pillar of light from my own mighty I am God presence all around me right now, today. Keep it intact through every passing moment, manifesting as a shimmering shower of God's beautiful light through which nothing human can ever pass. Into this beautiful electric circle of divinely charged energy, direct the swift upsurge of the violet fire of freedom's forgiving, transmuting flame. Cause the ever-expanding energy of this flame projected downward into the force field of my human energies to completely change every negative condition into the positive polarity of my own great God, Goddess Self. Let the magic of its mercy so purify my world with light that all whom I contact shall always be blessed with the fragrance of violets from God's own heart in memory of the blessed dawning day when all discord, cause, effect, record, and memory is forever changed into the victory of the light and the peace of the ascended Christ. I am now constantly accepting the full power and manifestation of this light 
this fee out of life. And I am calling it into instantaneous action by my own God-given will. By my own God-given free will and the power to accelerate without limit this sacred release of assistance from God, Goddess's own heart until all humanity are ascended and God free in the light that never, never, never fails. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth as well the golden light of peace to flood through us. And as we serve as the open door that no one can shut, as we recommit to being the anchor for the new golden age and the bridge between heaven and earth, we call forth the divine energy of peace, peace that goes beyond all understanding to anchor in through and around us and in through and around each and every person upon the planet, all across the planet, in every nation, in every government, in every military, as we just call for peace for everyone on the planet, every sentient being, in the name of the beloved mighty presence of God, Goddess, I am in me, my very own Holy Christ Self, Holy Christ Selves of all humankind, beloved Guru Ma and Lanello, the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood and the great and the world mother, elemental life, fire, air, water, and earth, I call to the heart of beloved Gautama, Lord of the world, and to the members of the great karmic board, the Indian and Dijarling councils, all great beings, powers, and legions of light, all angels and activities of the sacred fire, to answer my call instantly, infinitely, and invincibly. O gracious Gautama, by thy flame of peace, possess now the earth, give all full release. Beloved I am, by Christ's command. Beloved I am, by Christ's command. Beloved I am, by Christ's command. O gracious Gautama, by thy flame of peace, Possess the earth now, give all full release. By the ascended masters' love and names and the power of their cosmic flames, 
by the ascended master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. In the ascended master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. O gracious Gautama, by thy flame of peace, possess the earth now, give all full release. By, By the spiral blue flame. By the spiral blue flame. By the spiral blue flame. Seize all energy meant for war. Purify it, cause and core. Use that energy free from hate to raise the earth to her God estate. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Seize all energy meant for war. Purify it, cause and core. Use that energy free from hate to raise the earth to her God estate. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. In the Ascended Master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. In the Ascended Master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. In the Ascended Master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. By the spiral blue flame, by the spiral blue flame, by the spiral blue flame. Compel, compel, compel world peace. Protect, sustain, and expand it forever. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. Beloved, I am by Christ's command. In the Ascended Master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. In the Ascended Master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. In the Ascended Master's love and names and by the power of their cosmic flames. By the spiral of blue flame. By the spiral of blue flame. By the spiral of blue flame. We call this forth now in divine order. And we see that golden light blazing in through and around all humanity and all life on this sacred planet. Breathe it in, feel the peace, the eternal peace that goes beyond understanding. Again, take a nice deep breath. We invoke divine love. And we invoke the highest comprehensive divine love that we can experience individually and collectively as we focus on the threefold flame. Just focus back into your heart. Focus on the immortal, victorious threefold flame. 
we call forth this balance in divine order. The newly balanced threefold flame in my heart has a dual pulsation. The first pulsation is the in-breath, assimilation and absorption. And on the second pulsation is the out-breath, expansion and radiation. On the in-breath, my threefold flame extends up in vibration, piercing into the very heart and mind of goddess, the source of never-ending perfection. On the out-breath, my threefold flame radiates the blessings from the heart and mind of God Goddess into the physical plane, eventually projecting these gifts throughout the planet and into the universe. On every in-breath, my heart flame ascends into new heights of divinity. And on each out-breath, my flame becomes a stronger pulsation of God's blessings into the world of form. Because of this dual activity, my heart flame is both the portal to the pure land of boundless splendor and infinite light within me, as well as the source of all divine blessings for humanity and the planet. My threefold flame is both the inward portal to my fifth dimensional I am presence and the open door for the gifts of my mother, father, God, radiating outward into my daily life. Through the holy breath within my heart flame, my inner journey to God, goddess, and my outer service to life are brought into perfect balance. It is within this balance that I am, I find my I am presence, the master within, the keeper of the flame. It is within this balance that I enter the flow of pure, comprehensive divine love. The threefold flame in my heart is a point of I am consciousness directed downward into denser vibrations by my I am presence. My heart flame in the center of my being contains all the basic elements of creation. It pulsates with energy, matter, and intelligence or power, love, and wisdom. The holy breath is the vehicle for the assimilation and the expansion of my threefold flame. I continuously assimilate the nature of divine love into my heart flame with every in-breath, and I expand the blessings of God, goddess, into the world around me with every out-breath. Thus, breath by breath, I am building my spiritual aura through which the miracles of my I am presence and my mother, father, God will manifest as the new earth. With the return of my mother, God, I have the ability to assimilate the entire nature of comprehensive divine love into my heart flame on every in-breath as I rise endlessly toward the supreme source of all life. And on every out-breath, I now have the ability to expand the patterns of perfection from the causal body of God, Goddess, into the world of form, greatly enhancing my ability 
to co-create the perfection of heaven on earth. I now experience the entire family of humanity consciously participating in this wondrous activity of light within with me. I visualize the I am presence of every person on earth sending forth myriad rays of light connecting threefold flame to threefold flame once again. This activity of light creates a bed of divine love uniting the fifth dimensional solar heart of every soul. I see the family of humanity interconnected through these rays of divine love expressing the full divine potential of our I am presence as we each weave our unique gifts and divine momentums into the golden tapestry of life unfolding on earth. I am a source of God's blessings united with humanity as one breath, one heartbeat, one energy, vibration, and consciousness of pure divine love. I am dispensing more and more profound gifts from the causal body of God, Goddess, into the earth plane. Through my unified efforts, my mother God is able to take full dominion and the balance of divine masculine and divine feminine become a manifest reality in every heart flame. The adverse effects of the fall are permanently healed. As one unified family of light, I affirm I am a force of God Goddess moving on this planet. I am an upward rushing force of vibration and consciousness, which is my immortal victorious threefold flame, the center of my being. My balanced threefold flame is my electronic aura spiraling around me. The love, wisdom, and power of my Mother, Father, God continually flow through my aura. I am a being of very powerful light. I am one with the universal consciousness of all that is. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. Take a nice deep breath as we invoke both 
the golden light of peace and infinite abundance. Calling in the emerald aspect of the abundance as well. As we call forth supply and abundance for one and all. In the name of my beloved I am presence and my beloved Holy Christ self. I call to the lords of manifestation, angels of prosperity, the goddess of supply, Fortuna, and the lord of gold to assist me now in mastering all conditions of my life in God's perfect way, including my true abundance. Charge, charge, charge into my life and use today all the blessings that are mine to receive. Infuse me with ascended master wisdom and purity that I may never again experience lack or limitation. Blaze your heart flame through my four body systems and expand without limit a great flow of divine abundance. Saturate me with enough violet flame and emerald healing light to keep my life in perfect balance and harmony. I demand God's invincible protection and wisdom in all my financial endeavors. I demand to become a magnet of attraction, drawing to me all the wealth that I require to fulfill my divine plan on earth, to make my ascension, and to assist all humanity to do likewise. I give thanks that it is done according to God Goddess's most holy will. I accept my abundance now with love and gratitude. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, mighty, victorious, I am presence. Beloved, lords of manifestation, I call for the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood for your assistance in the release of the supply needed to fulfill my destiny here on earth with ease and grace and joy and without financial limitations. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect thing into my life and into the lives of all who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. Release, release, release 
your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. I am the resurrection and the life of my ever-present and increasing supply from the heart of God, Goddess. I acknowledge my I am presence as a source for unlimited supply flowing through me into the service of to the light. I am the master presence manifesting a constant flow of wealth into my life to produce the perfection needed to manifest my divine plan on earth in this life. I am the master presence directing and manifesting great abundance in my life, including all the money I will ever need from the great storehouse of heaven. I give thanks and praise God that I have it now and that as I speak, my prayers are instantly answered. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. So at this time, let us hold the vision of heaven on earth. Seeing the perfection of the planet and all upon her. Oh, beloved Mother, Father, God, I invoke your divine light and divine assistance and intervention at this time and the light of the entire company of heaven. Powers of light, powers of light, powers of light, come forth now. In deep humility and profound gratitude, I consecrate every facet of my being to be the open door that no one can shut. In divine truth, I accept my reality as a beloved child of God, Goddess. I am a cup, a holy grail, through which the light of God, Goddess, is now flowing to lift all life on earth into the blissful embrace of the new earth. I am my mighty I am presence, and I am one with the divine heart and mind of God, Goddess. I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth. I am one with the angelic kingdom. I am one with all of the beings of light throughout infinity. Now through the unspeakable power of my Mother God's comprehensive divine love. All life is lifted into the immaculate concept of the divine plan for the new earth. Within this concept of infinite physical perfection, every person remembers they are a beloved son or daughter of God Goddess. 
Every person comprehends the divine truth that all life is interconnected, interrelated, and interdependent. A renewed sense of oneness and reverence for all life stirs in each heart flame. And the love of our Mother God floods the earth through humanity's heart chakras. As the love of God Goddess flows through each person's heart flame, they are lifted up and their lives are transformed. From this new level of consciousness, humanity taps into the patterns of perfection for the new earth and viable solutions to the maladies existing on earth flow into the minds of light workers everywhere. The light workers join forces to create the perfection of the new earth. All traces of pain and suffering are transmuted into light. Every concept of lack and limitation ceases to exist, and the abundance of God-Goddess floods the earth. People everywhere perceive and acknowledge the divinity blazing in every heart flame. Humanity now knows and accepts that all life is divine. This realization inspires every person to feel and express love and mutual respect for every part of life. As the collective thoughts and feelings of humanity continually empower the perfection of the new earth, the physical plane is transformed and transfigured. The body of Mother Earth is restored to a verdant paradise of splendor and light. The life of every living being is filled with love, joy, happiness, prosperity, and fulfillment. Enlightenment, eternal peace, harmony, balance, abundance, spiritual wisdom, and every other divine quality of our Mother, Father, God is the order of the new day on planet Earth. Mother Earth dons her seamless garment of light and ascends the spiral of evolution into the full expression of her new fifth-dimensional solar reality. The heavens rejoice, and our Mother, Father, God responds. Welcome home, beloved children. Well done. And so it is. I am. I am. I am. And so we ask for this to be sealed. Sealing each person and the planet. in the pink, blue, and yellow gold of the threefold flame, in the silver of the divine feminine, the gold of the divine masculine, 
and the platinum light, the highest frequency that we can work with. Sealed by the entire company of heaven, sealed by our Mother, Father, God. As we are asked to hold this vision this week, hold the vision of what we wish to see created on the earth. Every aspect of heaven on earth manifest right here and right now, this equinox weekend, creating balance and peace and harmony throughout each land. And so it is. Take a nice deep breath. We ask Gaia and Sandalfon to work with us individually and collectively to anchor this in. Holding the peace of God, the peace on planet Earth, holding heaven on Earth. And I thank you for joining me in this divine service here today. And I invite you to further divine service each and every Sunday and Monday for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. These are teleconference calls that we've been doing since February of 2010 to anchor both planetary and cosmic ascension individually and collectively and create heaven on earth. They're teleconference calls, so let me make sure that you have the phone number. The main number is area code 425-436-6260. Area code 425-436. 6260. The the access code is 9467441 pound. 9467441 pound. And we begin with greetings at 8:45 p.m. Eastern Time. 5:45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and Tara and Rama give us a brief update. We begin our work in earnest, blazing the violet flame throughout the entire beginning of the call. And we begin our ascension work, our visualizations, our activations, our meditations, our decrees at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 9.30 Eastern 6.30 Pacific time. If you haven't been on the calls, I hope you will join us, become a regular member of our family of light, working toward the full manifestation of heaven and every aspect that that includes, including divine government across the planet. If you have another way there's other numbers there's other phone numbers locally there are international numbers you can get on uh, the conference line through the internet and I understand there's even an app so 
need that additional information, please contact me. Email me at Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. So Cheryl Croce at AOL.com, and we will get you that information. I hope you join us this Sunday and Monday as we celebrate the equinox. I hope everybody has had a, a fruitful and blessed full moon. And may we see infinite blessings of balance, peace, and harmony this equinox weekend and evermore. So much love and gratitude to all of you. We want to take this time to thank you for your service, to thank Tara and Rama for their divine service, to ta- to thank Rainbird as well for her divine service as I pass this talking stick, containing so much brilliant violet fire, the blue cosmic flame, the blue of divine will, the pink of divine love, the yellow gold of divine wisdom, the gold of eternal peace and infinite abundance, and so much more. Every frequency we could ever desire or hope to receive is working with this talking stick and working with the flames that are offered to each of you. So with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick to my sister, Rainbird. Infinite blessings. Have a glorious spring equinox and a glorious spring, everyone. Here it is, Rainbird. Okay, I got it. Thank you, Cheryl. And right back at you, have a glorious spring equinox celebration. And looking forward to sharing that with you on Sunday and Monday. Uh, So, so much gratitude for you and your divine service. And I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. Each week we have expenses with DBS Radio of $300. And so that's what we have this week. That means we don't have more than that and we're going good. So thank you for... um, making it happen, keeping it happening, and know that this is a simple thing to do. And with a lot of us helping, it makes it happen even better. So (laughs) here's how we make it happen. We go to bdsradio.com and click on Radio Station 2 and go into our heart space and see what is ours to give. And then scroll down the menu and look for our programs on the menu because that's where we access our account. So. Here are the programs on Thursday, a night at the round table at the 6 o'clock hour. There's an icon there. As you click on it, that'll take you directly to our account where you can make a donation in any amount using the bank card. And the same is true for the program on Friday night at the 6 o'clock hour. The hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. Click on that icon. That'll take you to our account, and you can donate there. And the one for today's show, the, at the 1.30 hour, the true history, history, and the Sarah in our galactic origins with Tara and Rama. And you can click on that icon. So you, all of those take you there. And thank you for taking the action 
And thank you for your generosity, and thank you for all the ways that you show up in your life. Lots of gratitude. So that's how we make that happen, and and we're grateful that we do this together. And then we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and they do have an emergency right now for food and gas, uh, and that's for the cats as well. So um, they're needing something right away. Um, for living expenses, and they do need three hundred dollars totally for for the expenses this week and living. So if anyone can help out with that food and gas in a timely way, that'd be awesome, so that they can get out tomorrow and get something uh, the the necessities that they need. And they also need um, three hundred dollars for bills. Uh, well, no, they need $400 for bills that are due next week. Uh, so they're not due this week. And if we can get started on chipping in on those, that's definitely worth doing. Uh, so there you go. There's really not a lot of need this week, but the need is important for them to have some spending money. So if we can make that happen in a good way, it'd be awesome. So here's how we make a donation to Tara and Rama. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there, as you click on the menu, you'll find the donate uh, button listed near the bottom of that list. And as you click on that, that'll link you to Rama's PayPal account. And that's where you can use your bank card to make a donation in any amount. So again, thank you for your generosity. And thank you for taking that action. If you have your own PayPal account, the way you access it is through Rama's email at PayPal, and I'll give that to you. Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. So that gets you to the friends option by, by inserting that in the appropriate place. So, thank you. Either way is perfect. We're so grateful for your support of Tara and Rama. We are grateful for Tara and Rama for all that they do. And it is an honor to be able to assist them in this way. So, lots of gratitude all the way around. (laughs) Here's what we do after we send a donation. You want to let Rama know that you sent something. His email. for his personal use that way, Koran999 at Comcast.net. Just let him know what you sent when you sent it, and that helps. And as you need it, uh, the physical address is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280. Box 280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. And the zip code for Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 87567. So there you have it, all the information for uh, assisting Tara and Rama. And I would like to add also the information for um, the Free Mart program. And also for the new gen program. So here's the address where we link to the Rainbow Roundtable account with Fremark, https column forward slash forward slash, and then www.shopfreemark.com 
forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. And that is the username for the Rainbow Roundtable, 2013 Rainbow Roundtable account at Premark. Now, they also um, have a link for the new gen crypto corn based on actual assets. <laughs> um, real assets, I guess. Uh, anyway, so it's a, a good program and pretty exciting and um, it, it's it's helping out everybody. So it's worth going and having a look-see, especially if you're already involved with Fremont. That's a, that's an assist. Here's the address for joining the, <clears throat> the cryptocurrency site. It is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash and then www dot new gen coin n u g e n c o i n coin and that's dot com forward slash t a r r a m and that gets you to the rainbow roundtable site again <laughs> with the uh, cryptocurrency there and it's pretty exciting um, so it's good to listen to the webinars and listen about it and study about it and introduce yourself to it. And if you're already in Fremart and have a downline, there's a good chance you're already enrolled in NewGen. So it's a good thing to check it out. So with that, I'm passing this talking stick, and I want to say 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life. No evil, long life, and prosper. And so we can do all that. <laughs> Here comes this talking stick. And you heard it from Cheryl. Cheryl, it's got all the flames on it. It's got the violet fire and the and and the blue flame and the pink flame and the golden flame and all the rays and lots of rainbows and lots of fairies. And they're all wearing crowns of spring flowers and celebrating the spring equinox today. So um, here comes that talking stick, and it's got lots of little people, all the gnomes and and Minahunis. And hobbits are there as well. So greetings, Tar and Rama. Here comes the talking stick. Greetings. Rama? Greetings. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, everyone around the planet and in the cosmos for listening. Yes, and Rama's going to have to give the report because he didn't get home in time to tell me. What I can tell you is short and sweet. (laughs) The energies are off the charts, if there are any charts to describe them, because of the tremendous fluctuations in the sun. And this is affecting the planet. It's 70 degrees Fahrenheit in Antarctica. That's unheard of. This is climate disruption along with consciousness racing and the conflict. This is what Greg Braden talks about, the three things that are shifting reality right now. It's huge. And there's a fourth one that was brought up here just a little while ago that's called unregulated capitalism. 
Yeah, the way that we do exchange for goods and services on this planet. There's two there's two justice systems, one for the elite so they can get richer at the expense of the rest of us, the poor, who can continue to get poorer, and the middle class is kind of shrunk to next to nothing. Yes, and, and um, what I heard today, uh heard Roger Waters from Pink Floyd uh, on Living on the Edge, and he was answering a Ukrainian girl who's 19 years old, who's a rabid uh, Pink Floyd fan. But she's asking him in the email why um, he is calling the, you know, the Ukrainians uh In a sense, she is blaming Russia, not knowing the deeper story, and he's responding to her saying, it's not Russia, it's the deep state, the United States, along with your own Ukrainian army killing your own people. She lives in... But Mar- that, that Ukrainian army is being ordered to do that by... Joe. Uh, by Zelensky, who is an asset of our deep state. This is deeper than anyone understands, and it's about the false matrix falling apart as they desperately try to hang on to this last one moment of the old paradigm. And this is, uh, a, you know, someone who's waking up and just saying there's something wrong with the story. And well, she said to him, didn't you say that you told me that she said to him, there's no Nazis here? Yeah, she's saying there's no Nazis in the Ukraine in Maripol. And Roger Waters responding to her saying, yes, there are. You need to wake up and understand this is a false flag operation. It's a cover up. Cover up. And the deep state over here and the other deep states around the planet, along with the oligarchs, are playing a larger story than most people can't comprehend because it is a huge Tom the Cat today. And a text said to me, this is a giant holographic program and the dark side has lost. Yet they continue to play with this, trying to do the psyops with people blaming Russia when it's Ukraine killing their own people and all the defense contractors are involved in this story. DARPA, Raytheon, General Electric, Boeing, I will leave it there. And what Tom the Cat and others are saying, this is that moment, focus on the spring equinox and the return of the Christ and the energies pouring in at both 
the North Pole and the South Pole and what's coming in from the sun. There are solar flares continuing in. The ascension symptoms are insane with what people are going through in terms of raising their consciousness. And all we are saying is give peace a chance. The rest of it is this, I mean, I've been on this planet long enough to see (laughs) psyops going on on the media. And that's the reason I refused to go to Vietnam, because I knew better with what was being told to the people at the time. In 68, 69, 70, I mean, how many ways to Sunday do you describe that, you know, at that time it was called Co-Intel Pro. And And most of the boys in my class are dead because they all were drafted and they went to the draft thing and they didn't do what you did, Rama. No, I went to see Mother Teresa and Sai Baba and... Uh, they just said... And then you took acid when you had to go in and report for duty and they told you to get out the door and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah. And you couldn't add two and two. (laughs) It's not really funny, is it? It's not really funny. Killing people is not funny on any level. But but you're lucky that you... I'm lucky I made it out of there and I'm not glued to a psychiatric ward or in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, this story that we have been fed is about this false matrix that's been going on for 13,000 years, 16,000 years. I read a story today that when the Nephilim or Elohim or Anunnaki or whatever you want to call them, mother's wayward children, as she calls them, or um, they help to start civilizations after the destruction of Atlantis by growing grains and nuts and seeds and the various plants. Cannabis was one of those plants that was started at that time in ancient Sumeria and even before that. There were cannabis plants in ancient Lemuria at the time of Adam and Eve. That's right. The apple tree was a cannabis plant, everybody. Yeah. And the, and it wasn't a plant, it was a tree. The original cannabis grew into a 40 foot tree. I passed the talking stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so, um, there's a piece of hard news that Randy came across and Penny sent it to us and, um, it starts on the front page here. It's, you know, there's uh, one, two, three articles. Heat wave in Antarctica and the Arctic. 
And then the second one says 70 degrees warmer than normal in eastern Antarctica. And the third article is Antarctica and Arctic 70 and 50 degrees above normal. And so then there's all these different articles that stem from that. But I'm going to read this one here. Uh, It's titled, like I said, um, and this came out today, 70 degrees warmer than normal in eastern Antarctica. The coldest location on the planet has experienced an episode of warm weather this week, unlike any ever observed, with temperatures over the eastern Antarctic ice sheet soaring 50 to 90 degrees Mm. above normal. The warmth has smashed records and shocked scientists. This event is completely unprecedented and upended our expectations about the Antarctic climate system. This reminds, not to interrupt you, but it reminds me of, in, in the mythical story with John Cusack called 2012, there was this black scientist in there, and it was about the lineup of all the planets at the time of December 21st, 2012, and in that movie, you know, most of the planet kind of went through all these heavy-duty earth changes like Gordon Michael Scallion talks about and Lori Toye in the I Am America map where California goes into the ocean, and that ain't going to happen. But we are playing with some very dangerous stuff along with the dark side using their technologies to mess with stuff and Raise the by the fire. That's all I want to say. Well, now, there is. Are you hinting that the deep state uh, used their technologies to warm up the Antarctic ice sheet? I'm not saying. I'm just saying they are desperate. Well, I'm just going to say that could cause a whole ice sheet to break off, and it will take no time at all. And every coastal region on every continent will be underwater, and anybody living close to that won't be here anymore. And uh, maybe it's time for a beam up. (laughs) No. There has to be intervention on this somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read further here. Quote, this event is completely unprecedented and upended our expectations about the Antarctic climate system, said Jonathan Weil a researcher studying polar meteorology at University Grenoble Alps in France in an email, quote, Antarctic climatology has been rewritten, tweeted Stefano de Battista, a researcher who had published studies on Antarctic temperatures. He added that such temperature anomalies would have been considered impossible and unthinkable before they actually occurred. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> All right. Um, parts of eastern Antarctica have seen temperatures hover 70 degrees, which is 40 degrees Celsius, above normal for three days and counting, Willie said. 
or Weil said, he likened the event to the June heat wave in the Pacific Northwest, which scientists concluded would have been virtually impossible without human-caused climate change. Yeah, and on the Tom Hartman show, uh, he's got a, a video which pretty much the scientists are saying that the, uh, what's that, that to separate the Arctic Circle from the temperate zone? Uh, the, uh, something. Atmospheric. No, it's, uh, it collapsed. The jet stream. The jet stream has collapsed. And, uh, that, that happened and that's why People died, 80-some people died in Texas because that jet stream collapsed and the Arctic air ended up in Texas uh, in March of last year. Not a good thing. Uh, and this has got to do with finagling, not mentioning, you know, wanting to extend profit in a fossil fuel system that should have been left in the ground a long time ago, at least 40 years ago. We should have stopped doing that. So here we are. So again, parts of eastern Antarctica have, temper have seen temperatures over 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 40 degrees Celsius above normal for three days and counting, Weil said. He likened the event to the June heat wave in the Pacific Northwest, which was this last summer which scientists concluded actually in British Columbia, it was 120 degrees somewhere in that little town. Mike and Will remember. Uh, and scientists concluded would have been virtually impossible without human-caused climate change. And that's what's going on. Sea ice over Antarctica just shrank to its smallest on record. What is considered warm over the frozen, barren confines of eastern Antarctica, of course, relative, instead of temperatures being minus 50 or minus 60 degrees, minus 45 or minus 51 Celsius, they have been closer to zero or 10 degrees, minus 18 Celsius or minus 12 Celsius. Yet that's a massive heat wave by Antarctic standards. The average high temperature in Vostok at the center of the eastern ice sheet is around minus 63 degrees, which is minus 53 degrees Celsius in March. Yet on Friday, the temperature reached, leaped to zero, minus 17.77 degrees Celsius, 17.7 degrees Celsius, the warmest it's been there during March since record-keeping began 65 years ago. Mm. It broke the previous monthly record by a staggering 27 degrees or 15 degrees Celsius. Quote, in about 65 record years in Vostok, between March and October, values above minus 30 degrees Celsius were never observed, wrote D. Batista in an email. Vostok, a Russian meteorolo meteorolo 
meteorological observatory is about 808 miles from the South Pole and sits 11,444 feet above sea level. That's pretty high. That's higher than where we are. We're 7,000 feet above sea level. Mm -hmm. It's famous for holding the lowest temperature ever observed on Earth, minus 128.6 degrees or minus 89.2 degrees Celsius. Set on May, excuse me, set on July 21st, 1983. Temperatures running at least 50 degrees, 32 degrees Celsius above normal have expanded over vast portions of eastern Antarctica from the Adelaide coast through much of the eastern ice sheets interior. Some computer miles sim- model simulations and observations suggest temperatures may have even climbed up to 90 degrees, which is 50 degrees Celsius, above normal in a few areas. Eastern Antarctica's Concordia Research Station, operated by France and Italy, and about 350 miles from Bostock, climbed to 10 degrees or minus 12.2 degrees Celsius. Its highest temperature on record for any month of the year. Average high temperatures in March are around minus 56 degrees or minus 48.7 degrees Celsius. At a nearby weather station, the temperature reached 13.6 degrees or minus 10.2 Celsius, about 67 degrees or 37 Celsius above average. Mm -hmm. According to University of Wisconsin, Antarctic researchers Linda Keller and Matt Lazara. Keller and Lazara said in an email that such a high temperature is particularly noteworthy since March marks the beginning of autumn in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Rather than January, (laughs) when there is more sunlight. At this time of year, Antarctica is losing about 25 minutes of sunlight each day. Right. Wow. Wiles said the warm conditions over Antarctica are, were spurred by an extreme atmospheric river or a narrow corridor of water vapor in the sky on its east coast. According to computer models, the atmospheric river made landfall on Tuesday between the Dumont d'Urville and Casey stations and dropped an intense amount of rainfall. Rain? Mm-hmm. Potentially causing a significant melt event in the area. Oops. This is a major problem, everybody. The moisture from the storm diffused and spread over the interior of the continent. However, a strong blocking high-pressure system or heat dome moved in over East Antarctica, preventing the moisture from escaping. The heat dome was exceptionally intense, five standard deviations above normal. The excessive moisture from the atmospheric river 
was able to retain large amounts of heat, while the liquid-rich clouds radiated the heat down to the surface, known as downward long-wave radiation. While explained warm air is often transported over the Antarctic interior this way, yet not to this extent or intensity. Quote, This is not something we have seen before, he said. This moisture is the reason why the temperatures have gotten so, just so high. Models show the atmospheric river will exit the continent around Saturday, well, that's today, yet the moisture will take longer to dissipate. Abnormally high temperatures in the region could last through the weekend. The abnormally high temperatures have caused some melting in the region, according to models, which is unusual as this part of Antarctica doesn't experience much melt often. This one melt event won't affect the stability of the glaciers in that area, though. Oh, well, that's a saving grace sentence of the whole thing. This event happened in a location that doesn't often have melt. Obviously, this doesn't mean that from now on, we are worried that melting will happen, Wiles said. It's more of like, oh, that's weird. That could happen more in the future, and then this could be bad. Wiles said, it's difficult to attribute this one event to climate change at the moment. Yet he does think rising temperatures help prime conditions for such an event. Climate change is, quote, loading the dice for more situations like this, he said. Keller and Lazara suggested more study is needed on the climate change connection. We, quote, we cannot tell whether this is going to be a new trend or is just an oddity that occurs occasionally on a most fascinating continent, they wrote. Temperatures are known to vary wildly over Antarctica, and massive swings are common. Contrasting the warm spell over eastern Antarctica, the South Pole observed just just observed its coldest April to September period on record last year with an average temperature of minus 78 degrees or minus 61 degrees Celsius. <laughs> South Pole post most, most severe cold season on record, a surprise in a warming world. Yet shortly after that historic bout of cold, the sea ice extent surrounding the continent shrunk to its smallest extent just last month. Amid all of the variability in Antarctica, fingerprints of human-caused climate change are still evident. Its western ice sheet is losing mass, while western parts of the continent and the peninsula 
are among the fastest warming regions on Earth. Whoops. Warm ocean temperatures threaten to destabilize Antarctica's the Waits Glacier, a slab the size of Florida that contributes about 4% of annual global sea level rise. The historically high temperatures in Antarctica follow a pulse of exceptional warmth on the planet's opposite end. On Wednesday, temperatures near the, south, the North Pole catapulted 50 degrees above normal, close to the melting point. My goodness. And then there's one more topic here. It's called record, quote, bomb cyclone, unquote, brings exceptional warmth to the North Pole. Oh, my goodness. Um, temperature differences from normal over the Arctic, Antarctic in recent days. And there's pictures. So then, <clears throat> a drop of water falls off an iceberg, melting in the Nuup Kangarua Fjord near Nuuk in southwestern Greenland in August of 2017. Earth poles <coughs> are undergoing simultaneous freakish extreme heat <coughs> with parts of Antarctica more than 70 degrees warmer than average and areas of the Arctic more than 50 degrees warmer than average. David Goldman, Associated Press. And this little bit is by Seth Borenstein, Associated Press. Earth's poles are undergoing simultaneous freakish extreme heat with parts of Antarctica more than 70 degrees warmer than average and areas of the Arctic up here, more than 50 degrees warmer than the average. Weather stations in Antarctica shattered records Friday as the region neared autumn, and two-mile-high Concordia station was at 10 degrees, which is about 70 degrees warmer than average, while the even higher Vostok station hit a shade above zero degrees beating its all-time record by about 27 degrees, according to a tweet from extreme weather record tracker Maximiliana Herrera. The coastal Terra Nova base was far above freezing at 44.5 degrees. It caught officials at the National Snow and Ice Data Center in Boulder, Colorado, by surprise, because they were paying attention to the Arctic, where it was 50 degrees warmer than average, and areas around the North Pole were nearing or at the melting point, which is really unusual for mid-March, said center ice scientist Walt Mayer. They, quote, are opposite seasons. You don't see the North and the South Poles 
both melting at the same time, unquote. Meyer told the Associated Press on Friday evening, quote, it's definitely an unusual occurrence, unquote. It's pretty stunning, Meyer added. Wow, quote, wow, I have never seen anything like this in the Arctic, said University of Colorado ice scientists Ted Scambos, who returned recently from an expedition to the continent. Not a good sign, as you see that sort of thing happen, said University of Wisconsin meteorologist Matthew Lazara. Lazara monitors temperatures at East Antarctica's Dome C-II and logged 14 degrees Friday, where the normal is minus 45 degrees. Quote, that's a temperature that you should see in January, not March. January is summer there, and that's dramatic. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm on the back side, that last mm. part here. Both Lazara and Mayer said what happened in Antarctica is probably just a random weather event, not a sign of climate change. Yet as it happens again or repeatedly, then it might be something to worry about and part of a global warming, they said. The Antarctic warm spell was first reported by the Washington Post. The Antarctic continent as a whole, Friday, was about 8.6 degrees warmer than a baseline temperature between 1979 and 2000. According to the University, we're going to put that on pretty soon. According to the University of Maine's climate reanalyzer, based on U.S. National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration weather models, that 8-degree heating over an already warmed-up average is usual. Think of it as though the entire United States were eight degrees hotter than normal, Meyer said. At the same time on Friday, the Arctic as a whole was six degrees warmer than the 1979-2000 average. By comparison, the world as a whole was only 1.1 degrees above the 1979-2000 average. Globally, the 1979-2000 average is about half a degree warmer than the 20th century average. What makes the Antarctic warming really weird is that the southern continent, except for its vulnerable peninsula, which is warming quickly and losing ice rapidly. I only got two more sentences, Rama, and then you got to start that thing. Has not been warming much, especially as compared with the rest of the globe, Meyer said. Antarctica did set a record for the lowest summer sea ice. Records go back to 1979, with it shrinking to 741,000 square miles. In late February, the Snow and Ice Data Center reported what likely happened was, quote, a big atmospheric river 
pumped in warm and moist air from the Pacific southward. Southward, my air set, my air set. And in the Arctic, which has been warming two to three times faster than the rest of the globe, that's weird, and is considered vulnerable to climate change, warm Atlantic air was coming north off the coast of Greenland. That's the end of this story. And we're going to do another, um, you might say, catastrophic change going on. And we're going to let John Austin do some explaining. This is about the new gen coin. So, Rama, you want to tell everybody what the title of this is? And then this Um, is 18 minutes, everybody. And we're going to do this because this is like a precursor to creating funds so that we can uh, start cleaning up things on the planet and, uh, you know, prepare for a giant shift on how we do things in the world. So we're going to get used to it with doing this work with John Austin and the new Gen Coin. All right. Ready, Rama? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to our NewGen webinar. My name is John Austin. I'm one of the founders and co-owners of NewGen Coin, and it's certainly gratifying to see so many people on our webinar today. Before we get started, I need to make a disclaimer. We're not, excuse me, we're not investment advisors, and we make no guarantees of income. There can be risk with anything we do in life because none of us know for sure what will happen tomorrow. So I I tell people never risk more money than you can afford to lose. And with that being said, let's dive right in and get started. So today we're talking about a relatively new uh, cryptocurrency called NuGen Coin. Cryptocurrency is what you will one day use to buy gasoline and groceries and pretty much everything else. And it's coming faster than you might imagine. I think by now most people have heard of Bitcoin. It was the first cryptocurrency. It went from zero to a trillion dollars faster than anything else. It created more millionaires and billionaires than any other industry. It also gave us the blockchain and started the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the world. Back in 2010, a friend of mine kept telling me to buy Bitcoin. You know, it was selling for five cents at that that time, but I failed to see the future. And I found other uses for my money. You know, five years later, Bitcoin was selling for $6,000 per coin. And six years later, it had soared to $64,000 per coin, making $1 invested in 2010 worth over $1 million, actually $1,200,000 last year. And experts are now expecting Bitcoin to be worth double that amount by the end of this year. So if that's true... Why would I want to invest in uh, NewGen today as opposed to Bitcoin if Bitcoin's going to double by the end of this year? So to answer that, I think we first need to ask what makes NewGen coin different from Bitcoin and virtually all other cryptocurrencies. Number one, NewGen is not just a coin. 
We are a community that has five crypto coins and a nutrition company, all of which can generate profits for an individual or a company. Number two, we have created our own currency exchange, which is currently being registered in Lithuania, uh, which is a crypto-friendly country. The new gen exchange will potentially be a billion-dollar company by itself, which will back our new gen coin and add value to it. Number three, our vision for new gen coin is to one day be used internationally and universally to buy all kinds of goods and services. And with plans that are already underway, this could happen rather quickly. I also see our coin as an alternative to banks, merchant accounts, and money transfers. Number four, new gen coin will be a gateway between our exchange and other cryptocurrency exchanges or just any other currency exchanges, people will be able to buy new gen coin on other exchanges, but they will only be able to buy our other four coins on our exchange. So they're going to need to buy new gen coins in order to purchase our other coins. Number five, why will people want to buy our other four coins? Well, because they are all backed by real assets. Do you see any other cryptocurrencies out there that are backed by assets? I don't. Other cryptocurrencies are much like paper dollars that have no actual value. So imagine a bank in the United States backing all of their dollars with gold. Everybody would be lining up to open a bank account there, right? That's a no-brainer. So right now, there are over 100 million people using cryptocurrencies. Don't you think the people who buy crypto would also want their uh, their crypto backed by assets as well? So that's going to draw a majority of crypto buyers and sellers to our exchange. And, of course, once they're there, they will no doubt continue to use our exchange. It'll just be very convenient. Number six, we are currently working on some very large real estate projects that will back our realty coin. And there will be many more to come, each of which will cause the value of our coin to skyrocket. Number seven, Another rapidly growing market is the farming and processing of commercial hemp. And what you need to understand is there are two types of hemp. One is used as a drug, and the other can be used for many things, like replacing trees for making paper. It can be used in place of cotton for making textiles. It can also be used to produce food and medicines for both animals and humans. And it can be used to produce building materials and biofuels as a substitute for gasoline and diesel. So hemp is a sustainable agriculture that does not need earth-polluting chemicals to make it grow. In fact, uh, farming hemp removes harmful chemicals from the soil. You know, we believe that hemp will become a trillion-dollar market so we're currently getting farmland and building a hemp processing plant that will produce $43 million worth of finished hemp product each month, and we already have contracts to sell all that we can produce. Not only that, but we plan to build up to 70 more plants just like that one, and that's just for starters, folks. Uh, there are many, many things that I'm sure that we'll be involved with uh, in hemp going down the road. Number eight. We're also moving forward with our energy technologies, whereby we can make potable drinking water out of seawater. And we're running out of drinking water, and water could one day be more valuable than gold. And while producing potable water, we can produce enough electricity 
empowered entire cities. Now, this same technology also produces hydrogen and oxygen at one-tenth the current cost of production. Hydrogen can be used to power cars. Uh, Rolls-Royce is actually uh, planning on creating a hydrogen-powered car. Uh, to hydrogen can power many, many things, and we can produce it uh, at one-tenth the cost of current production. Hydrogen can also be, uh, uh, well, many, many things. But uh, we also have a battery, that uh, a new type of battery that can be used for many purposes, including electric cars. You know, production of our battery does not destroy the earth like the current lithium batteries do, and it's cheaper to produce. It will go much farther and charge much faster than the current Tesla battery, and we're currently moving forward on our first battery manufacturing plant in Singapore. So imagine, folks, how valuable our energy coin could be in the not-too-distant future. Number nine, there is a great need for oxygen, and the cost of production is currently quite high. You know, the oxygen we produce, uh, as we, at the same time we're producing hydrogen, uh, this oxygen can be used for uh, commercial and for medical uh, purposes. It's a, at a greatly reduced cost. And while we're doing all of these things, this same technology is cleaning up the air and removing large quantities of dirty carbon from uh, motor vehicles, from coal-burning plants, and other industries. Number 10, new GM pre-sale contracts increase the number of your coins by 0.35% compounded daily. That's roughly seven times the number of coins that you paid for over the term of 18 months. Finally, number 11, NewGen is the only crypto company with live customer service. So let's talk about how you can participate. You know, it's called a pre-sale contract. This is a way to acquire NewGen coins before they go live on the exchange. These coins are locked into a time-release contract in order to give them, uh, allow them to compound and increase in number through a process called staking. So uh, there's another way that, that you can get new gen coins, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But upon opening a pre-sale contract, your new gen coins will immediately begin to increase in number at the rate of 0.35% compounded daily, which is 578% over a period of 18 months. And again, that's almost seven times the number of coins you paid for. And for a limited time only, when you purchase a new gen pre-sale contract, you will receive an additional 10% of your purchases uh, in purchase price in new gen coins, also in free realty coins, hemp coins, oxygen coins, and energy coins. Now, this is 150% value or $1.50 for each dollar spent. In fact, the only way you can currently get any of our other four coins is through our 10% bonus offer when getting our new gen coins. Not only that, but all of the free bonus coins that you're currently getting when purchasing our new gen coin are also increasing in number at the rate of 0.35% compounded daily. Folks, there's never been such a generous offer as what we're giving people right now who are getting our new gen coins. But this offer won't last forever. So take advantage of it while you still have the chance. 
NewGen members can also earn cash rewards by actively referring others to attend our webinars. And the best part is you don't have to purchase anything yourself in order to earn rewards. Imagine referring someone who purchases $10,000 worth of NewGen coins. You would receive $1,000, which can either be withdrawn as cash or converted into coins that will begin increasing by 3.35% uh, daily. What this means, folks, if you need to earn money today to put some food on the table, you can do that, and then whatever's left over, you can use it to purchase new gen coins for yourself. And for those who prefer not to refer others, they can earn passive income by simply opening a pre-sale contract, and they can watch their coins increase in number daily. So we have another way, folks, for uh, people who don't have a lot of money to grow their nest egg of coins, and that is our new gen matrix. Uh, not only not only to grow their next nest egg of coins, but also to earn some quick cash. So our new gen matrix. This could be a faster track to millionaire status for people who get out and hustle. Of course, we make no guarantees; only time will tell. So wouldn't it be great if there was a way to be involved in a crypto project and actually get paid every day? Well, there is with our new gen matrix. There have been a number of such plans throughout the years, but this is perhaps the first two-by-two matrix ever created where nobody gets hurt. Because you're going to get 100% value, actually 150% value. No, right now you're going to get 100% value in new gen coins if you can convert those to... Um, to stakeable coins, then you'll actually get the 150% value. But uh, these coins are projected to increase in value greatly, so it really is a win-win for everybody. And with this plan, you can earn unlimited new gen coins with very little money out of pocket, but only if you're willing to actively invite others to this webinar. In other words, there is no benefit for someone to join a two-by-two two matrix who's not going to actively refer others. You know, such individuals are better off getting one of our staking contracts. So let me show you how it works. It's really simple. There is you and six other people in your matrix, and when you int introduce your first person, your matrix starts to grow, which eventually translates to money. There are five separate packages. We have a $43 matrix, $87, $175, $350, and a $700 matrix. Now, you could be in one or two or even in all of them at the same time, and we'll show you how that's done here in a minute. But uh, what's really great is you only pay for each of the matrices one time. You never have to take money out of your pocket again. So let's see how that works. The first package starts at 43.75, which makes it possible for almost anyone to participate. Your, uh, for your purchase, you're going to receive new gen coins at the current price, and then you need to refer at least one person in order to profit financially from the matrix. Now, if you look to the right, you'll see $25 each, uh, each of the, for each of the four persons who land on the second level of your matrix. And that's going to be a total reward of $100. And when that matrix is full with a total of six people, the company will pay your reentry fee into a new matrix in the first available spot in your sponsor's matrix. And we're also, also going to give you another 4375 worth of new gen coins. 
Not only that, but when any of your personal referrals completes a matrix, you will get, uh, you will earn an additional $20 bonus and the company will pay their reentry fee into your newest matrix, which is also going to help you earn money and cycle over and over again, receiving the same rewards each time that you complete a new matrix. So the 8750 matrix, it works the same way, except the numbers are just double of what you received from the 4375 matrix. The 175 matrix is again double the 8750, and again the 350 matrix is double the 175. Finally, we have the 700, the $700 matrix, and, uh, we have again a total of five matrices, like I said, you have to join each one in order to profit uh, from each individual one. However, they are structured in such a way that a person who only has enough money to start at 4375 can earn enough money in each matrix to leverage themselves up to the next one until they're cycling through all five of the matrices. And for those uh, who can find a way to do it, the best place to start is at the top with all five matrices for only 1356.25. And here you're going to receive your entire purchase of new gen coins. Then you'll be qualified to earn money in all five matrices as long as you refer someone into each of the five matrices. And the best way to do that is to refer other people uh, who can start with all five matrices. So now you'll be qualified in, in each of the five matrices. So we have a number of people, quite a number of people actually, who are doing that. Some of them are already in profit within the first couple of days. Naturally, that depends upon referring a number of people right away. But as you can see, you will earn $3,100 each time you cycle through all five of the matrices. Plus, you're going to get a free re-entry, which gives you another $1,356 worth of new-gen coins. Not only that, but you will earn $620 of your personal referrals that cycles through all five of the matrices, and then they're going to follow your next set of matrices. So when I said earlier that this could be your fast track to become a millionaire, we already have a number of people who I believe will be millionaires before the end of this year. So uh, we've come to the end of our presentation. Although I'm not allowed to advise you what to do, I can tell you what I've done. I've put all of my liquid assets into NewGen Coin. And in doing so, I didn't compromise my future. I also invited family members to join, and I certainly wouldn't do that if I thought that they would be at risk. Again, I don't have a crystal ball or a crystal view into the future, but based upon what I know, I would encourage anyone to get what they can reasonably afford while the price is still low. Do not put your family at risk, folks. Be prudent in what you decide to do. But at the same time, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't be buying new TVs and a lot of things right now. Uh, you know, do what you can to get all the coins that you can afford to, to, to get. Don't procrastinate because more than likely you're going to end up being sorry if you do. With that, 
I'd like to you know, invite any, you know, any of our new people to join uh, with us by getting back with the person who told you about new gen coins. Uh, they will either give you a link or they're going to uh, help you get in touch with our customer service who will gladly help you get started. So again, thank you for watching. God bless. And I hope to see you on our next webinar and do invite some of your friends. All right. Uh, Rama, when you asked the king about this, what did he say? He said, this is the way how to change how we do exchange on the planet that is ethical, that is not connected with destroying the planet or people. In a sense, our current systems of the fiat currency and the way that the only way I know how to describe them is the 13 families who play with the banking system who have one agenda. It is to remove people like us who they consider useless eaters and um, they just as soon see us off the planet. That's not part of Mother, Father, God's plan. So therefore, they're going to have to deal with those thought forms and those energies. And it's called karma. And I leave it there. The other thing I think the king was talking about was that, and I think John Austin was saying too, this is not about competition. No. It's about cooperation. And the coins are all within what's required for bringing a pristine planet back to, you know, the whole of humanity and all These the animals. These coins are not connected with the oil and gas industry, which, I mean, from the time Henry Ford created the first hemp oil engine and Henry Ford, yeah, he got a little twisted along the way and he supported Hitler. And I don't know what to say about that. It has to do with the 13 families once again and the mind control that's gone on for 13,000 plus years. And I have not walked in Henry Ford's shoes, so I can't speak for him. <laughs> and what I understand about this, like Dr. Greer has said and many others, <clears throat> like Tesla, we never needed to touch a drop of oil. You asked creator source, the energy called the Akash, the, you know, quantum field. There are civilizations out there that look at us with loving kindness and compassion, yet in many ways we are still infants. In We haven't even graduated yet to type one civilization, let alone type two. 
and we are looking at how we treat people on this planet. And I bring this up, what I heard today, a Yemeni professor who was talking about what's going on in Yemen, which is horrendous and it's not talked about enough. And all this news, I don't mean to change the subject, but the children from Ukraine, the children from Russia, the men, women, people, we are all people in this story. Yet, we don't hear about the black women, brown women, brown men, brown children who are being exterminated by our technologies in Yemen. Joe Biden is part of that. The UK is part of that. I believe Canada's maybe part of what's going on in Yemen. And Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia. Mohammed bin Salman murdered a journalist because he told the truth about 9-11. Yeah, Jamal uh, Khashoggi was his name. You know, the so-called nine hijackers on the planes, you know, there were no hijackers. It was all done by our deep state. And why is Dick Cheney and George Bush and the rest still on the planet? And that's up to Mother. I passed the talking stick. They're not going to be killed. They're going to be taken. I understand. Yeah, that's a really important piece because... Um, there is a lot of revenge of the Sith on this planet. There is. People have, you know, carry blood in their mouths. They would like to uh, to use violence. And, again, you know, George Bush Sr. said if they found out what we've been doing, we'd be hanging from the nearest lamppost and the people would put us there. Well, that's not evolution of a society. No. That's why the Galactics are saying to us, let us come together in one unified field. And for whatever we may have done in any space-time continuum, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I pass the talking stick. Okay, well, I was going to say that it's really important uh, we kind of touched on it earlier that this young lady emailed Roger Waters. I, and about I know, but I, I wanted to reemphasize it that both Roger Waters and uh, Maria Butina, a Russian woman who was deported back to Russia because she was exposing the dark side over here, and she spoke and was reported on by the MSNBC news media, and she made a comment that was actually the truth, and that is that all the people that are being killed in their apartment buildings and all these things, none of that's being done by Russia. It's being done by our deep state through Zelensky, who is an asset of our deep state. And so they're blaming it on Russia, but it's not Russia. That's really important.
And what Roger Waters was telling is that nothing works unless you do dialogue. This is time for peace. That's the message. Not finding out who's right or wrong. So there's, there's only one thing that's right, and that's peace. And we get there through dialogue, not violence. Do I hear somebody that wants to speak? Are you, are you rumbling around there, Micah? Well, I'm going to call on you anyway, because we want to introduce. Hey. Yeah, Micah, uh, I guess I should have read this first, or if you want to read it, but, um, uh, there's this article, The Case for Richard Fleming, Ph.D., M.D., J.D. you want to do something about this and introduce this? Oh, would you like me to read the article? Is that what you said? Well, yeah. I mean, Rama said there was hundreds and hundreds of pages of, you know, all the different uh, cases, but he printed out one page here. That's titled The Case for Richard M. Fleming, Ph.D., M.D., J.D. Do you want Yes. Okay. Uh, just one second here. I'm getting it up. <clears throat> okay. Here we are. So uh, The Case for Richard M. Fleming, Ph.D., M.D., J.D., The High Cost of Inventing Disruptive Technology. Guilty as charged, question mark. A recent Pew study, 2018, reviewed approximately 80,000 federal prosecutions and found just 2% went to trial. Up to 97% of federal criminal convictions are obtained through plea bargains, defendants pleading guilty, revoking their constitutional right to a trial, or assurance of a lesser penalty. There is a growing list, the National Registry of Exonerations, however, that exhibits conviction after conviction based on fabricated evidence, false testimony, and outright refusal to consider proof of innocence. Each miscarriage of justice cited in this registry was an element present in the 2009 case of the United States versus Richard M. Fleming. <clears throat> if the felony indictments against Dr. Richard Fleming caused you to discount his contributions to medical research, this article will challenge your understanding of judicial gymnastics and institutional justice. Indeed, the doctor pled guilty to charges, but without deeper investigation, you'd never know they were not the criminal charges of Medicare and mail fraud. No one can fault you for your wariness, and you wouldn't be alone. Until recently, in this age of Michael Flynn, Russiagate, and Manafort, plea deals have been the gold standard indicator of guilt. But would your thinking change if it were proven that thousands of individuals are wrongly convicted by a system often indifferent to innocence and judicial error, devoid of accountability, that DC's profit-leading opportunities fronted by the yeast-like politically ambitious 
often lead to the indictment of those who dare challenge the narrative. What if it could be proven that Dr. Richard Fleming was indicted not for criminal activity, but for trumped-up charges related to his disruptive discovery that benefited the patients and their medical team over industry profit? If If our ultimate goal as a society is to advance the human condition equitably for all, then it is essential that we separate the science from the big pharma narrative and other institutional strongholds. You now hold the gavel and are encouraged to investigate the following legal documents and details found largely outside the public view. The picture presented here is not pleasant. Our government systems, once thought to protect us and seldom questioned, may in fact be advocating surreptitiously for an other class of which we, the general public, are not a part of. How do we challenge this ruling elite to right the injustice? Certainly, pursuing the greater good requires that we not only ask the questions or support those who do, but demands that we admit that even a skeptic looks both ways before crossing the street. And with that introduction, uh, we're going to play a video where Dr. Fleming uh, gives a testimony as a witness, and uh, it's about 54 minutes. So here we go, everyone. Okay, Micah. Are you prepared to testify? Sorry, what's that? I'm sorry. That's a little bit echoey. I hope you can get it closer to the mic. Yeah, yeah, I'm just getting there right now. I just want to say, Micah, why don't you give the, I failed to give the new gen sign-up place for Tara. Oh, yes. Uh, So it's www.nugen, new gen, coin, C-O-I-N, dot com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. T as in Thomas, A as in Anthony, R as in Randy, R as in Randy, A as in Anthony, M as in mother. Okay, I hear a little bit. in there, please. It's really important to put the H-T-T-P-S in there. Oh, thank you, Rainbird. Yeah, so you start with H-T-T-P-S colon, and then two slashes, forward slashes, and then the www.newgencoin.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M, Tar-Rom. Okay, and then the other thing, as you're interested in purchasing Freemark products, which are the most powerful concentration of products on the market they don't exist anywhere else in the form they do but you go to um https colon forward slash forward slash www dot shop dot com forward slash taram t-a-r-r-a-m okay now, um, I hope you can play that so it's really clear, Micah. It was a little bit 
like in an echo chamber when I heard it the beginning when you started it. Oh. Okay, I'm going to do a test run right now. Tell me if that's good. Are you prepared to testify under oath here today that COVID-19 is a bioweapon? That good for everyone? Yeah, that's okay. good. Perfect. Okay. Yes, I am. Rama? I mean, Micah? It's coming. Oh. Dr. Fleming, we've asked you to come testify about whether COVID-19 and related vaccines are a deliberate bioweapon attack on the United States. Adam, court reporter, can you please identify yourself for the record? My name is Karen Escher, Texas CSR number 5536. Thank you. Can you please swear in the witness? Dr. Fleming, will you raise your right hand? Do you swear the testimony you give today will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Dr. Fleming, do you consent to this testimony being used in any appropriate proceeding? Yes, I do. First, I'd like to cover some of your qualifications. You have a impressive 90-page resume. I'm not going to go through that, but very briefly, are you a medical doctor? Yes, I am. So, therefore, you have an MD degree, as it's known. I do, yes. And uh, what is your area of specialty? Nuclear cardiology. Cardiology and internal medicine. And you also belong to uh, professional medical uh, associations. Yes, they do. Are you a fellow of the American College of Physicians? Yes, and are you a fellow of the American Society of Internal Medicine? Yes. And you also hold a PhD? Yes, I do. And in what field? Physics. And you also have a law degree, otherwise known as a JD? I do. And are you an inventor in the medical field? Yes. And very briefly, can you explain uh, the type of medical inventions uh, that you've invented? The ability to image the body and determine what types of disease processes are going on by looking at metabolism and blood flow. And do you hold patents for your inventions? Yes, I do. Is it fair to say you're familiar with the world of medical patents? Yes. You have the ability to read and interpret medical patents? Yes, I do. And are you also an author of professional papers? Yes, sir. And approximately how many? Somewhere between four and 500. And do you also serve on the editorial board of professional journals? on editorial boards and review boards for the journals. And briefly, what does a reviewer in a professional journal do? The obligation is when somebody submits a paper for publication for reviewers to take a look at that material, to determine if it's scientifically valid, to determine if it makes a difference in the field, and to make recommendations back to the editorial board about whether the paper should be accepted or revised or rejected for publication. Are you prepared to testify under oath here today that COVID-19 is a bioweapon? Yes, I am. You wrote a book posing the question, is COVID-19 a bioweapon, right? Correct. The function of the book was to provide information that the general public could look at and also to provide evidence for uh, the legal system and the medical system to understand the gain-of-function research that's been carried out over a couple decades to show where the monies came from, to show what papers were published, showing what types of gain of function research occurred, and to show the patents, to clearly lay out two decades worth of work that's been conducted, funded primarily by the United States, although other countries have been involved, 
and to show how there is no evidence that SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, no evidence to show that it's naturally occurring, no animal model for it, and to show the type of research that's been done with coronaviruses uh, funded by the U.S., uh, supported by NIAID, NIH, Department of Defense, monies that went to Peter Dazak at EcoHealth, to Ralph Burick at the University of North Carolina, to Chi Zeng Lee at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and to several other universities around the country, including in the state of Texas. Did you also look at the genetic code of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and especially the spike protein? We did, as well as Professor Luc Montagnier, who is the gentleman who discovered the HIV virus, and several other individuals that we uh, note in the book. And based on that review of the genetic code, that informed your conclusion that this is a bioweapon. Right. So the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty states that any adjustment or modification of a biological agent like this virus that doesn't provide a benefit for mankind uh, is a biological weapon. These particular changes in this virus, including the PRR8 insert, which are uh, amino acids that were inserted that are very critical for the purine cleavage site for this virus to infect, the insertion sites that were made with HIV and simian or ape-like uh, HIV equivalent viruses, the uh, prion-like domain at the top of the spike protein, as well as the HIV glycoprotein 120 insert that Xi Zhang Li put in early on that's critical for the attachment of this virus to cells, all of which are not naturally occurring. So to be clear, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus, otherwise known as COVID-19, especially its spike protein, is not something that's simply involved on its own in nature. We've looked at all the different coronaviruses that exist on the planet. None of them have the PRRA insert. None of them have this tremendous amount of HIV insert. None of them have a regional binding domain that is a prion-like binding domain, which means that where it attaches to the cells, it's a prion-like domain, and prions are things that are abnormal proteins that cause other proteins to become abnormally folded. So to be clear, genetic changes were made to the spike protein in a lab to create what is known as the COVID-19, right? That's what all the, the uh, data shows. Your book references research in 2010 by Xi Zhang Li, who's often called the bat lady. Was that research designed to determine how to increase the spike protein binding capacity to the human ACE2 receptor. So that was her goal of that, of that research was to increase the ability of the virus to infect human cells. Now, interestingly, I think in this published research, they discovered that the naturally occurring spike protein from horseshoe bats was un unable to bind to the human ACE2 receptors. Right. That's exactly right. So as of 2010, scientists, including Xi Zheng Li in Wuhan, China, knew that naturally occurring Horseshoe back coronavirus spike proteins could not infect humans. That's right. Based on your testimony, it sounds like you discovered at least two man-made inserts into the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein genetic code that prove it was produced in a lab. Right. The research papers that Xi Zheng Li and Barrick and others published, they were, they were very clear and somewhat proud of the fact that they'd been able to modify the virus and to insert changes into it that made it more infective and definitely more dangerous. Is there some laboratory mechanism where they're able to take genetic code from elsewhere and put it into a virus? 
Right. So you can actually build um, anything if you know what the structures are. It's like building a car. If you know what the parts are, you simply put it together. Many of the research studies that we have pointed out, they took bits and pieces of one virus, combined it with bits and pieces of another virus. If you go and look at those papers, you'll also find that they were very specific by inserting five nucleotide base pairs in there. So they simply switched the base pairs, and that will result in a different amino acid being added and a different protein. Let's talk uh, about the first insert that you found in the SARS-CoV-2 virus that led you to conclude that it was a man-made uh, bioweapon. Uh, the first one I think you refer to is the furin cleavage PRRA insert, correct? That's correct. And can you explain briefly what that is? Okay, so that's four amino acids that were put in. When this virus attaches, and I know this is long and complicated because a lot of people have heard of ACE2, which is one of the receptors, but it's a multi-step process. The HIV glycoprotein 120 insert, which was the second one we talked about, is required to attach to what's called a sialic acid receptor raft that stabilizes it and puts it in position. The virus then comes into contact with the ACE2 receptor, that then undergoes a change with something called a TMPRSS2 receptor, which is critical to understanding because that begins the process of bringing that virus into the cell. It then has to undergo furin cleavage at the furin cleavage site, and that's the PRRA, which makes it particularly infective for human cells. And then it comes across also something known as the neuropillin 1 receptor, which is found in the brain. How did you discover that this PRRA furin cleavage insert had been made to SARS-CoV-2? All you have to do is the nucleotide-based sequencing, which is how we know all the variants occur. And when you do that, you find this PRRA insert. Now, this genetic code for the furin cleavage insert, the PRRA, is that found in any other coronavirus in nature? No. It's not found in any other coronavirus that exists in the wild. Right. There's absolutely no other coronavirus that has this PRA insert. And that's, so that's 12 nucleotide bases, not a single base like sickle cell, but 12 specific nucleotide bases to provide for four amino acids that very specifically is connected with the purine cleavage site, which the U.S. government owns the patent on. So the fact that this insert and this genetic sequence for this insert is not found in any other coronavirus in nature, what did that tell you? Well, since mutations occur one nucleotide base at a time, you would have to come up with some phenomenal explanation for why 12 nucleotide bases suddenly inserted themselves into a virus that none of it, the other viruses in that category have. The original premise that was put forward and actually published in The Lancet uh, was that this was a naturally occurring virus with an animal host that got transmitted to people, but yet there's not been a single animal model found with this, neither has there been a single coronavirus that has this PRA insert. You mentioned the second uh, insert, an HIV lycoprotein. Right. So are you saying that sections of the genetic code for HIV were inserted into the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Yeah, she's saying Lee published this early on uh, many years ago, where she was very proud of the fact that she did this. She used uh, an HIV pseudovirus to do it. And we, we also know that uh, HIV glycoprotein 120 is a prion. So this is the HIV that became famous in the 80s and 90s. It's that HIV. Right. And somebody took pieces of the genetic code of HIV and put it into SARS-CoV-2? 
That's what she's Zhengli admitted to in publications that she had, yes. Were you able to discover why that was done? Uh, according to papers that she published, it was to increase the infectivity to see if she could make it more infected. But it's even clearer that what she was going for was the development of a prion disease because where everybody is kind of coming up to speak a virus and how challenging it can be to deal with, what's even more challenging to deal with are prions because prion diseases are relatively new in, in our understanding for treatment and they cause permanent damage unless they can be reversed. And so the development of a prion putting HIV glycoprotein 120 in there, attaching to the sialic acid receptor, there's nothing about that that is advantageous for people. And the ability to produce prion diseases is quite a weapon. And how lethal are prion diseases? Uh, people die from prion diseases. Is this process of inserting these amino acids to increase the infectivity, is that being a function? Right. So gain of function is anything that you do that changes a naturally occurring biological agent like this virus. And so the premise of gain of function really has a good premise behind it. The original idea being that if you could stay a step ahead of a potential infectious agent, say a coronavirus, if you could stay just a step ahead, you could do a good job of providing treatments for people and knowing when and where it was going to spread. This isn't a step ahead. This isn't a single nucleotide base. This is uh, a spike protein that has an HIV glycoprotein 120 inserted into it. This is a spike protein that has four amino acids to make a, a purine cleavage site, the PRA insert. This is uh, a spike protein that has multiple other, according to Luc Montagnier, HIV and SIV inserts. This is not something that evolutionarily evolved. Uh, the evolution of something with this many changes would take hundreds or thousands of years. This is not staying a step ahead of it. And making this provided no advantage for human beings, which makes it a biological weapons convention treaty violation. This is, it's plain God. To your knowledge, has anyone been able to disprove or refute the fact that there are artificial man-made insertions into the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Actually, there's been no dispute of that, uh, except for the statement that it's naturally occurring. And then when you say, well, where's the scientific evidence that it's naturally occurring? There's no follow-up to that. So that for people that are claiming that this is a scientific discussion, I would encourage them to stay with the fact that this is a scientific discussion. There's no science to show that any of the coronavirus on the planet has these inserts. There's no science to show that there's a natural reservoir or an animal for this virus to occur. In fact, the science points to the fact with over 99% probability, which is what we're dealing with until somebody comes up and confesses, that this is not naturally occurring. In your mind, is there any doubt that without this data function manipulation of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, there would have been no pandemic? Um, we wouldn't have had this had this virus not been released. Have any of these folks, Daisha, Barrick, Xi Jingli, Fauci, explained what that beneficial alleged effect is? Well, up until now, it seems like most of their conversation has been, we didn't do anything like that, even though the data is now showing it. But as, we, as we've learned over the last couple of months, the uh, National Institutes of Health, the National Institutes of Allergies and Infectious Disease have now admitted, not that they needed to, but it's nice for them to admit that, again, the functional research was funded for by the U.S. and that Fauci's statements that 
they weren't involved in gain of function research was not correct. Dr. Fauci testified under oath to Congress under questioning by Senator Rand Paul that the NIH and NIAID had not funded gain-of-function research. Was that statement truthful? Well, as we've shown and as we've talked about, that, that, was, that was a lie. And that lie can be proven by publicly available documents? Dr. Fauci uh, denied under oath that they provided any gain-of-function research dis- despite the fact that we have a long track record of gain-of-function research. Um, in fact, that gain-of-function research even occurred during the time that it was shut down during the Clinton administration due to concern by scientists like myself that saw problems with infections getting out from gain-of-function research Um that money still got funneled around primarily through Peter Dazak, to whom it got funneled out to Barrick and Xi Zhengli and other sources. And they're denying that they're connected with each other just completely goes in the face that they have publications, published papers where both of their names, Barrick's and Xi Zhengli's are on there. You can find the publications that show NIH funding. I mean, this is, this was not a well hidden secret. NIH has now come out since with a statement admitting that they have provided gain-of-function research. And part of this gain-of-function was designed to make that coronavirus spike proteins infectious to humans when they were not before. It's very clear from the research grants that were paid for by the United States, from the published papers that Xi Zeng Li and the others have published, by the patents that have been published, that they specifically set out to increase and make possible the ability of these viruses to infect, particularly with the HKU4 and the HIV pseudovirus glycoprotein-120 inserts that Xi Li and the others were involved with, that they intentionally sought to make this more infectious and, in fact, accomplished it. And who are the main players in these genetic engineering experiments? Well, the primary ones that we know are Peter Dazak, at EcoHealth, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, and she's Lee at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But we know that there's been other individuals involved. We know that other universities, including here in Texas. How were you able to uncover this gain-of-function research and who funded it? There were a lot of very interesting sources that were coming forth uh, suggesting places to look. But uh, basically what I did is what any researcher does when they ask a question, which is if you know what question to ask, you can get a wealth of information if somebody has it out there. So I began uh, querying the uh, federal funding sources, specifically looking at EcoHealth and gain-of-function research, and that allowed me to run down the actual grant numbers. So what we have in the book, you don't have to take my word for it, is the actual grant numbers, how much monies there were, whether it came from the Department of Defense, which, by the way, paid for more than half of this, and did you discover there were attempts to cover up the funding of this gain-of-function research? Well, yeah, there were a lot of attempts, uh, not not very good ones as far as I'm concerned, by uh, including the Lancet letter where, you know, uh, Dezak and so many others got together and then published that this was obviously a naturally occurring virus, uh, doing everything imaginable to skew the scientific medical literature to get people to not consider the possibility of it being a gain-of-function lab-oriented bioweapon. And did this research violate any treaties or laws? The Biological Weapons Convention Treaty is very specific. 
it states that any bacterial agent, in this case a virus, that does not have a benefit for humanity is a violation of the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty. And it's important to know that this is a treaty that the United States has signed and ratified. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution states that treaties are the supreme law of the land. The signing and ratification of the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty, the signing and ratification of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the United States participating in the Nuremberg Trials of 1947 to establish uh the Nuremberg Code and, and how patients should be treated. The Declaration of Helsinki that the U.S. has committed to for research patients. The American Medical Association Code of Ethics on Informed Consent. That anybody violating these have, have already demonstrated that they not only are interested in providing informed consent and patient rights, but if they're violating a treaty, they have violated the U.S. Constitution. And anybody who has taken an oath of office, anybody who has stood there and sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, who then ignores these treaties, funds these treaties, funds violation of these treaties, as was done in this instance, who refuses to allow patients to have informed consent, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, if you've done that, you have violated the U.S. Constitution, and if you've taken an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, then you have committed treason. When you reached the conclusion that SARS-CoV-2 was uh, a bioweapon released on the planet, what was your reaction? Uncomfortable and disappointed. These individuals have presented nothing to suggest that this type of research was something that they thought was for the benefit of humanity and considering the funding sources. If you look at the emergency use authorization documents, the documents submitted to the FDA, you have to ask yourself two questions. And the data is right in the EUA documents. The first question is, how many people get sick? And that's this number that we talk about, vaccine efficacy. How many people get sick if they're vaccinated versus how many people get sick if they weren't vaccinated? So that's this vaccine efficacy number. But if you ask the question, why are people getting vaccinated? That's not why they're getting vaccinated. They're getting vaccinated so they don't get sick. And that's called an absolute risk reduction. But if you go to the EUA documents for Pfizer, Moderna, Chanson, the three that are EUA approved in the U.S. And you ask that fundamental question, how many people do not get sick for um, Pfizer that using their data, there's no statistically significant reduction in COVID cases for vaccinated people versus unvaccinated. If you look at Moderna, the same thing, no statistical reduction in COVID cases for the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. Janssen did a little bit more complex. They they looked at results at two weeks, 14 days after their injection, and 28 days or four weeks. Now, if you look at their data at two weeks after the injection, there is a statistical reduction in the number of COVID cases. If you carry that out two more weeks, which they did, 
that difference is gone. There's no, so if you want to vaccinate people, I guess every two weeks, go for it. It doesn't prevent you from getting infected. Statistically, it didn't reduce the number of COVID cases or deaths, and it doesn't prevent you from transmitting it. And that's what we're seeing right now. No virus comes in just one flavor, if you will. Just like if you look around a room, you'll see a whole bunch of people, and they're all variants, but they're all very much human, right? So SARS-CoV-2 didn't just come as Wuhan H-E-1. It had the alpha and the beta and the gamma and the lambda and the delta and all the other variants, all the different changes. And what we've done in the past is we've taken and made vaccines by taking all of the parts of a virus with all of the variants and weakening it and then injecting that into people so that if you saw another version of it or other parts of it, you would have an immune response to it. What we did with these vaccines is we very specifically said, let's just look at the spike protein of the original one, the one called Wuhan HE1, and let's make that genetic code and turn the human cells into a manufacturing plant to make those spike proteins. Well, what did that do? For the people who got vaccinated, many of them who did it because they were worried about other people. So understanding that these people were well-intentioned. They were, they were afraid. They were fearful. They didn't want somebody else to get sick because of them. They didn't want other family members to become sick. They didn't want the, the man or the woman down the street who had cancer or heart disease to become sick. So as good citizens, they were told, you need to do this and it will make a difference. But the vaccines don't prevent you from getting infected or spreading it. So by using this approach, we injected this mRNA and DNA into people for just one type of spike protein, not the rest of the virus, not the nucleocapsid, which turns out to be what humans make the best immune response to, not the envelope, not the membrane, and not the other types of spike protein. One type. And so what we see is people getting vaccinated with it. And if you track what's happened, not only in the United States, but around the world, as these vaccines have been used, fewer and fewer people have gotten infected with the Wuhan HU1, or if they've gotten infected, they were ready for it. But they weren't ready for the other variants, the alpha, the beta, the gamma, the delta, the mu, the 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 now Omicron, as people like to call it, what I call 21K, but Omicron is now the, the term for it. Those, they didn't have an immune response to. So they responded to it rapidly, and then when they spread the virus to other people, they spread the ones that weren't attacked because the immune system wasn't ready for it. So we've done a great job of pressure selecting out this virus to the variants so that we're spreading and shifting it. And now... The spike protein of Omicron is so much different than even Delta or Alpha or HU1 that the ability of our immune system to respond to that isn't there. And we're seeing more and more people with this variant coming down with symptoms and spreading it to other people. When you ask to have the vaccines done a good job of reducing this, all you have to do is look at the science. All you have to do is look at the numbers. Israel vaccinated the vast majority of its country with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and their cases of Delta escalated right off the chart as a result of it. They simply did pressure selection. In the United States, we've done the same thing, where we're seeing the Omicron variant and the Delta variants being pressure selected out by this vaccine program. This has not 
helped reduce it. It simply shifted the variance and persisted the problem and stressed people and made people afraid. In this case, if you look at the data, the difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated on an absolute risk reduction standard was statistically insignificant. The absolute risk reduction is somewhere between 0.8 and 1.3%. And that was known by the FDA and the drug manufacturers before these vaccines were rolled out. And what bothers me, I mean, I watched these FDA meetings for the EUA, and none of the people on the panel raised the question, what's the absolute risk reduction, which is the goal of actually vaccinating people. I watched the the FDA meetings for the booster shots, and I don't remember whether it was Pfizer or Moderna. I want to say it was Moderna, but I won't swear to it. The head of their vaccine project said that T-cell response was unimportant. Well, T-cell response is critical because you have T-cells and B-cells, and it just it refers to where they come from. But the T-cell response, it's called innate immunity, is critical, and it's the first thing that happens to people. The B-cells or antibody responses occur several days later. But for the antibody response to occur, the T-cells have to be working. And we know from published data, and I've provided documents on this, that the Pfizer Moderna vaccines suppress the the T-cell response in people that get the vaccine. Not only does the count of those cells go down, but the chemicals that they produce, interferon, which simply means it interferes with the production of viruses, and what's called T-helper 2 cells, which are a type of T-cell that's critical to help make the right antibody response. All of that is suppressed in individuals who get these vaccines. Listening to people tell me that they're Mr. Science um, or, or Big Pharma saying that it's all about the science or anybody else saying it's all about the science, I'm seeing a tremendous lack of actual science integrity and interrogation of the science because when you go into the documents, the EUA documents, and you do the science, you do the interrogation of the data to see if it's really different. You discover it's not. The the data is very clear. The science is very clear. The vaccines have not done anything to do reduce COVID cases or deaths. Just a fundamental question. If you understand that the spike protein is a gain-of-function bioweapon, why would you then replicate that same genetic sequence and put it in a vaccine? I think most people are under the impression that you get an injection in your in your muscle, that it stays in your muscle, right? Except that's not what happens. The, the, the studies are very clear. The, the lipid nanoparticle influenza vaccine made by Moderna spread to the brain, the bone marrow, the liver, the spleen, the heart, kidneys, the intestine, every part of the animal's body doesn't stay at the site of injection. These things aren't being directly injected into your cells. They're being injected into muscle, which has fluid around the cells that drains out to the rest of your body and gets into your bloodstream, where it can have some very serious consequences. Some of the research that we've recently done has looked at the Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen vaccines and what happens when they are introduced into human blood.
Now, is the introduction of the spike protein into the body through these so-called vaccines functionally different than the introduction of those spike proteins through the SARS-CoV-2 virus? When people spread infections back and forth, they spread hundreds or thousands or, you know, if you want to be generous, 10,000 virus particles by coughing or sneezing on somebody. And so that's the amount that you would get exposed to. And that's why, you know, back in 2020, we saw so many people with the comorbidities because they already had diseases where there was inflammation and blood clotting going on. With the vaccines, those numbers are significantly different. We're not talking about thousands or tens of thousands. We're talking about billions in these vaccines and billions of spike proteins, billions of genetic sequences to make spike proteins. For uh, Pfizer Moderna, it's 13.1 billion. For Janssen and AstraZeneca, it's 50 billion. And the other thing is that a virus to get into your cell has to find, you know, that ACE2 receptor that we talked about. These vaccines don't. The lipid nanoparticles simply merge with your cell membrane. They don't have to look for an ACE2 receptor to get in. They simply merge with it and release all that genetic sequence in. What we're seeing with vaccinated individuals are healthy people reacting. Why? Because they're not getting exposed to a 1,000 or 10,000 virus particles from somebody else who coughed or sneezed on them, which shouldn't have coughed or sneezed on them, right? Um, they're getting billions. And if they have a functioning, healthy body, they're look, their, their immune system is looking at that and saying, wow, we have just been massively infected, and they mount an immune response. And that immune response has inflammation and blood clotting. You release chemicals to kill the cells that are infected. That's why you get a runny nose. That's that fluid being released. And blood clotting to wall off the invader so that it can't get out, number one, and number two, can't get nutrients in, so it dies. So that inflammation from blood clotting is what your body should do, except you don't get infected with billions of these viruses. So healthy people are reacting to something that looks like a nuclear bomb went off in their body, and they're reacting to it, producing a lot of inflammation, a lot of blood clotting, and a lot of very adverse events. And what we're seeing with all the people with adverse events are all the people that are healthy, younger responding to what appears to be an overwhelming infection in their body with all the spike proteins, and we're seeing inflammation and blood clotting, and and you've seen it with strokes and seizures and heart disease and, you know, miscarriages and deaths that we've never seen before in the history of mankind for vaccines that have been made. I remember in the 70s, mainstream media, 60 Minutes did did, did a documentary showing, exposing the lies by Big Pharma and the FDA on the swine flu vaccine. And at 25 deaths, we decided that something needed to be done. So it really doesn't matter to me whether it's been 15,000 deaths or 150,000 deaths. If in 1976, 25 deaths was enough to cause people to say, we need to investigate this. And in 2021, 15,000 deaths isn't enough. We have a problem. Well, have you seen any evidence that Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna did animal studies before they went to the FDA for emergency use authorization? I have not, and I have to tell you that all of these call for animal models to be done before you do it in a human so that you know what would happen, right? And I've done animal research 
for many decades of my life. And there's a reason for doing it. It's because you don't experiment on people unless you're Nazis. And if I understand it correctly, the CDC VAERS reporting system is showing more deaths and injuries from COVID-19 vaccines than all other vaccines combined for the last 30 years. It is. And, and you know, independent upon whether you believe those numbers or not, you think they're 1% or 10%, whether you should put one zero or two zeros behind the numbers. Here's some interesting things about this reporting system. As a physician, I've tried to call in to the VAERS reporting system, and I get a recording that gives me another telephone number to go to. When I call that number, it gives me a recording and no place to leave a message. I have colleagues who have tried to enter it in on the computer system, and it keeps bouncing back. Now, if you come into a hospital or doctor's office and you have an adverse event to measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines, there's a code to enter into that, and it goes into the computer. If you have an adverse event to diphtheria and tetanus vaccine, there's a code for that that goes into the computer, and that will be tracked through history. These things are called computerized procedural terminology, CPT codes. There is no CPT code to enter into a computer system for an adverse event to any of these SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. Even though this is part of a clinical trial, and therefore they have a legal obligation to track adverse events, there is no universal code for physicians to code in an adverse event? That's right. Have you ever seen that before? This is the first time. A second. So these are vaccines that, as I understand it, the ones that are available are still part of a clinical trial that lasts until 2023, correct? That's when it shows, yes, on the national clinical trial site. And when you're doing a clinical trial, one of the most important things you need to do is accurately track adverse events, I would assume. We're going to look back on this. We're going to look, in, in, in not too distance in the future, we're going to look back on 2020 and 2021, 2021 in particular, and say, how many people really had an adverse event to these vaccines? Now, have you seen any animal studies that have been produced or released by any of the current vaccine manufacturers before emergency use authorization? I haven't seen any animal studies by those corporations before or after they've come out. The only animal studies that have been done are by independent scientists who have been asking the questions that these companies should have been asking, which is what are the consequences in animals to these vaccines? What has that research uncovered? The research done by independent researchers have shown that there is um, – damage to the brains and other body organs caused by these viruses and these vaccines that are called prion diseases. So you can have mad cow disease in the brain or Alzheimer's in the brain or amyloid disease in the heart, which is another type of prion disease. But the studies done by people doing the research on the animals have been very clear and very consistent. Prion diseases, inflammation and blood clotting or inflammatory thrombotic diseases and real concerns about miscarriages and other health problems and deaths. None of this has been done by Pfizer, Moderna, Janssen, or the other companies. This animal research could have been done before the emergency use authorization 
We have no record that it was ever done or reported. This animal research should have been done. It violates every treaty and code that we've ever had as human beings. There was one instance in time that animal research was abandoned by doing it on people first. And we prosecuted those people in 1947 at the Nuremberg trials. One of the questions that we had was what happens if the vaccine gets into your blood? We've looked at Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen, all three. And we have looked at the effect that those vaccines have on the blood, and it's almost immediate. What we're going to look at are, are just three examples of slides that we took from seven different patients and the three different vaccines where we put samples of blood on a microscope slide and looked at them under the microscope. And what you're going to see here in the first image, you're going to see the Pfizer vaccine that was added to the blood, and you're going to see the nice red color of erythrocytes or red blood cells. That's because they're able to carry oxygen from the lungs to the body. And what you're going to see next to them are a lot of gray cells. These these are still what's called red blood cells, although they're no longer red because they're no longer able to carry oxygen. And since there's plenty of oxygen already in the air, what we're seeing is an inability for the hemoglobin in those cells to bind oxygen. And they stay this way after uh, after many, many minutes of watching them. They, they didn't turn back or even begin to turn back. And in the second slide you're going to look at, we're going to see the exact same thing in another patient. This is Moderna. Once it's been added and you see the same phenomenon. And then finally, the third cell is the Janssen vaccine showing the exact same phenomenon with the loss of the ability of the hemoglobin to hold oxygen as shown by gray cells next to the bright red cells that are still functioning that haven't been damaged by the vaccine. If we look at these slides, what we're seeing is that when you added the vaccine to the red blood cells, the red coloration goes away. The red coloration goes away and it stays away. And it's not a matter of adding just a liquid to it because we also looked at blood when we added normal saline to it and it dilutes it out a little bit, but it doesn't take the red color away. These, all three of these vaccines, when we added them to the blood, the red color to the red blood cells goes away, which means the hemoglobin is no longer able to carry oxygen. So that could be due to a couple of things. There's no oxygen to carry. Well, it's open to the atmosphere, so there's plenty of oxygen. So it means the hemoglobin molecule has been damaged or the membrane of the red blood cell has been damaged. But sickle cell anemia is a damaged alter red blood cell and it has no difficulty being a red blood cell. So something's happened to the hemoglobin molecule and it doesn't reverse. We've, we've watched the blood for many, many minutes. It doesn't reverse. The other thing we saw is that the blood begins to clump together. And it's not a matter of time because we watched regular blood of these same individuals with normal saline added to it and their blood didn't clump. So it's not a time phenomenon. It's not because they were drawn up in tubes that had solutions in them that, that affected the red blood cells because this blood was drawn directly from the patients, wasn't put in any tubes with any other material in it that could interfere with it. So this is a phenomenon of the vaccines get added where the vaccines touch the red blood cells, the red blood cells turn pale. They're no longer red. The important thing is not only the oxygen carrying capacity, 
but the fact that that same hemoglobin that picks up oxygen from your lungs and takes it to your body, when it's in your body, takes the carbon dioxide, the waste product out, the acid, and takes it back to your lungs. Well, if the hemoglobin has been damaged so it can't carry oxygen, that same damage exists, and it's unlikely that it's going to even be able to carry the carbon dioxide out, although carrying the oxygen is kind of a big deal for red blood cells. And what would be the consequences of having this depletion of the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood cells? Well, none of those red blood cells can carry any oxygen into your body. Uh, the real question is how much of that is going on in any individual, and no amount of this vaccine, of any of these vaccines, should have damaging effect on red blood cells. Again, this is a tissue level thing. This is early on stuff. This is like the animal studies. If you're going to be looking at doing something, giving a drug to a patient, you need to know that the drug will work, and you need to know what consequences there may be. Seriously, they've, they've this is an easy project to do. You take the vaccines, you take human blood, you add it to it, and if anybody can prove to me that what we saw repeatedly is wrong, hey, go for it. Prove me wrong, but <clears throat> you know, you're not going to because the beautiful thing about science is that we've conducted this in more than one site on the planet and seven different people with all three vaccines. They all had the same devastating effect to the blood. You have a working theory or hypothesis as to why these vaccines are causing this blood cell discoloration and clumping. Yeah, I actually do. We've known for a long period of time that RNA or DNA, when it's outside of a cell, is a prion. Human red blood cells are the only cells in the human body that don't have a nucleus and they don't have ribosomes. All they have is hemoglobin to carry oxygen and carbon dioxide. So red blood cells can't do anything with genetic code that's entered into it. Now, the lipid nanoparticles would simply merge with the red blood cells. If the red blood cells behave like any other part of the body does that's outside of a cell that doesn't have a nucleus or ribosomes, when RNA or DNA comes into contact with it, it acts like a prion and changes the protein structure. Hemoglobin is a protein. So what it looks to us like is happening is these vaccines are releasing the either the RNA or the DNA from the vaccine into the red blood cells, having a prion effect on the hemoglobin molecule, permanently changing the hemoglobin molecule so that it no longer has the same shape or configuration. So it can't find oxygen and it won't be able to pick up carbon dioxide. Dr. Fleming, are the vaccines reprogramming the innate immune system? What we have seen is that two of the critical steps for your immune system, the production of something called interferon, which means it interferes with the replication of the virus, and T helper 2 cells, which are critical for helping to make antibodies, those are all suppressed. Now, T helper 2 cells, I know is a term people haven't heard. It's a type of T cell. It helps, and it's number two in the sequence. It has three components that actually need to match up with the B cells that make antibodies. Only when all three of those match up does a signal get sent to your antibody system, what's called the adaptive humoral antibody system, to make antibodies of a specific type targeting a specific infection and to keep memory cells for that. Now, in the absence of those T helper 2 cells, 
being produced like they should, that system, even though it exists, is going to be blunted. Based on all of this, would somebody be totally off base if they believe these vaccines were in and of themselves a bioweapon? Well, the fact that the spike protein is a gain-of-function developed virus, which by definition is a bioweapon, replicating that same genetic sequence and putting it into a vaccine, it doesn't matter how you get it into the human body, it's still a, it's still a bioweapon. Most alarmingly for the children right now, when you have people at an FDA meeting making a statement that we need to vaccinate the children, but we won't know what happens to them until we vaccinate them, that's the experimental phase of a research project. And as of 1947, I thought that we had officially, although it's very clear from the Tuskegee Airmen and other studies that have been done, paid for by the U.S. government, that it, it seems that our leaders don't have a problem experimenting on our elderly, on our police officers, on our first responders, on our doctors and nurses, on our general public, and now apparently don't have a problem experimenting on our children. So if you were advising, for example, the Texas Health Commissioner on how to fight this attack, what would you recommend? Well, it goes back to one of the statements I made earlier. When you're doing something in medicine and or science of any sort and there's a bad outcome, you quit doing it. You know, one of my medical students came up to me and said, well, Dr. Fleming, it didn't work the last few times we, we gave this medication to somebody and they had a really bad outcome, but I want to try it again because maybe it'll work this time. I'd probably kick them off the rotation. We don't keep repeating the things that cause the problem. The, all the evidence shows there is no statistical benefit to using these vaccines. The mass vaccination has caused pressure selection of these variants. It has produced significant adverse effects in the people it's been given to. The FDA has admitted during its EUA documents for children that we won't know what it does to our children until we experiment on our children. It's very clear. These vaccines have done nothing to solve the problem. <clears throat> they need to be stopped. The companies need to be held legally accountable. The questions about why all these codes and treaties that we claim that we honor are being abused needs to be addressed. The gain-of-function research needs to be stopped at least until it can be done at some point under some some type of control where it actually provides a benefit for humanity without harm. We need to hold people accountable that have been responsible for doing this. They have violated the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty. They have violated the Nuremberg Code. They have violated the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. They have violated the American Medical Association Code of Ethics, which may not be a criminal act, but it's the way I thought we were kind of practicing medicine or we're supposed to practice medicine. There comes a time for everybody to be held accountable for things that they do. People make mistakes. I'm human. You won't have any challenges finding somebody that will tell you that I make mistakes. Okay. I know I make mistakes. I'm my worst critic on a science and medical perspective. Two decades worth of gain of function research all focused on increasing the infectivity of this virus with consequences that are very clear around the world. 
We we took procedures in 2020 and 2021 that make no scientific sense. There's no data to show that the quarantining of citizens around the world stopped this virus. If there is, explain to me why in 2021 this virus is endemic. It didn't stop it. Physicians abandoned the practice of medicine for a variety of reasons. Some of them might have literally thought they were doing the right thing. Many of them did it because they were told there were no treatments. And who told them that? Agencies out of the federal government? The federal government, run by Fauci and Collins and other people, those agencies don't practice medicine. You don't call them when you go to the hospital. Your physician practices medicine. That's the person you see that takes care of you. We have interfered with the practice of medicine. We have interfered with physicians feeling like they could practice medicine. For the physicians who haven't bothered to actually measure treatment outcomes but are espousing a number of drugs, I encourage them to actually get quantified major data to see whether they work or they don't work. But at least they're trying something which is kind of what we used to always do before we figured it out. I was there when HIV hit the scenes. We didn't know what we were doing. So we worked. We winged it. We, we, we treated symptoms. They were short of breath. We gave them breathing treatments. 2019, we quit giving breathing treatments to people short of breath, even if they were wheezing, because, well, there was no treatment, right? All the things that we did in science and medicine was thrown out the windows. We locked down the society. We put fear in everybody's heart. We told people to quit believing people who might tell you something different. We quit challenging the scientific paradigm. In science, we're always debating. Anybody who thinks that physicians and scientists are just this jolly group of people that are constantly agreeing with each other. No, scientific debate is constantly had. Physicians frequently will talk amongst ourselves and debate what should or shouldn't be done. But that's a free exchange of ideas. That hasn't been done. Texas, Texas Medical Association, health authorities, the governor, the attorney general, all of the people should be looking at why this happened to make sure that Texans are taken care of and other people in the country have an opportunity to follow. It needs to be holding accountable the people that caused this chaos, this mayhem to begin with, and stopping it from occurring again. Okay, there we go, and I'll pass this talking stick back to you, Tara and Rama. Okay, it took a while to find the place to unmute. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Micah. Yes. Um, I was thinking, you know... The Dr. Lee Merritt has all kinds of glitches in it, too. Do you think you could play it from your end as well? Because that was so clear. It was crystal clear. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're just going to have to give me a minute or two to find it. Right. You you do that. And you do some talking for a minute, and then I'll let you know when I'm ready. I shouldn't have any trouble talking. Right. <laughs> 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 uh what he was saying that it just 
the absolute um, insanity that you would try to change DNA for evil as opposed to the light, you know, it's... They violated the Biological Weapons Treaty. Yeah, this is And the AMA Code of Ethics. And there was a couple others in there. I didn't get down. And the Nuremberg Code and the Helsinki Declaration. It goes on and on and on. I have it here now, so whenever you're ready, let me know and I'll I'll put it on. Oh, let's go for it because we're getting right now. Tell people what this is, Micah, first. It's an interview with Dr. Lee Merritt, um, I, and I believe she talks about the uh, bioweapon as well in there, and I think there's even something to do with Ukraine as well. Uh, yeah. Well, let's do it. This is 40 minutes, right, Micah? Yes. Okay, we'll just make it. Perfect. All right, let's do it. Dr. Lee Merrick began her medical career at the age of four, carrying her father's black bag on house calls along the back roads of Iowa. In 1980, she graduated from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York, uh, where she was elected she was elected to life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Dr. Merrick uh, completed an orthopedic uh, surgery residency in the United States Navy. She uh, served in the Navy for nine years as a physician and a surgeon before returning to Rochester, uh, where, where she was the only woman to be appointed as the Louis A. Goldstein Fellow of Spinal Surgery. Dr. Merritt has been in the private practice of orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1995. Dr. Merritt has served on the board of the Arizona Medical Association and is past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and at the wonderful age, young age of 63, she won a female bodybuilding championship in the physique class. Dr. Merrick, as I said, has been one of the five pillars known as the five docs, and it's wonderful to have her. Let's bring on Dr. Lee Merrick. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Welcome, for having me. Lee. Yeah. A lot of things happening in the world, including Ukraine. I, I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it is center stage for me right now. It's center stage for my research. Uh, firstly, firstly, whenever NATO and, and DOD denies something, then I start looking in that direction because I just know they're full, full of baloney, to put it politely. Yeah, I mean, in general, if something's censored, you should read it. And if some, if somebody, and if the deep state hates somebody, you should probably like them. And that's why I, I, I've been paying attention. You know, and I was a Russian minor in college, and I'm going to tell you. It, it's always easy to blame the Russians, the Soviets. I mean, the Soviet Union, I'm not, I'm not defending their policies, but that's separate. It's like the Chinese Communist Party is different than the Chinese, and the Russians are not the China, Russian Communist Party. And, you know, they want to, there's so much to say here, but, but as an example, I said, I thought to myself when they said, you know, they're trying to paint, uh, Putin. Now, well, you conservatives, you don't want to like Putin because he was a he was an he was a WEF graduate. And I thought to myself, okay, the KGB knows something about infiltration, so I have a feeling that's what that's about. You know, I, I he's when Rothschild says to him he's a traitor to the new world order, as we have him saying, I 
I think we know where Putin stops. But it's all about the reason that these people are in high dudgeon, and it has to do with uh, we're in World War III. I hear people say, oh, Ukraine and, and Russia are going to drag us into World War III. No, i got to tell you guys, we're already in World War III. You know, wars are named after the fact, and, you know, we, we didn't call World War I World War I until after we were done with World War II. Uh, what are we going to call this war? And I'm going to, I'm going to say, I think it ought to be called the, 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 the great DNA war against humanity because we're in a war that has to do with this whole DNA manipulation that's been going on for a long time. But as part of that, we're discovering why, why is Putin now going into Ukraine and, and why are people like, uh, Mitt Romney and, and, Pelosi and these guys all in high dudgeon about it, especially Mitt Romney. I have to I have to single him out because I think it's pretty funny. You know, we've been watching this whole show in Ukraine for a long time about the barisma, the money laundering. Basically, they took American tax dollars, they floated it through these oil barons and these companies like Burisma in the Ukraine, and then to their own children, like Pelosi's son, Kerry's son, uh, uh, right. and Mitt Romney's son, and who else is it? Schumer, and uh, there's somebody else. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're, four, they're five of them anyway. They're, they're their children over there that have no understanding of oil and gas technology, but nonetheless, they sit on these boards, they bring home these big salaries. And, and at one point, I read the... Uh, Mitt Romney's chief of staff sat on the board of the bank that brought this money back from, from the, from Burisma in Ukraine. So they're all dirty. I mean, this was a place, this was a place to money launder American tax dollars back to their political coffers is what they used the Ukraine for. But there was more than that because we have the documents now. Um, $200 million of tax, of our taxpayer dollars went to set up 14 or 15 labs in the Ukraine. And I have on my desk the documents signed by our uh, chief of uh, uh, our military chief and their and their uh, their person showing that we, we th- this agreement that was done in, I think, 2005. And ever since then, it's been just, a, a, you know, they've been there. We've seen ever since they were stood up, we staff them. Also, I think they have American staffing. To some oh, degree. Sure. Now I knew about the Luger Center. I, I'm sure I'm sure you did too. See, I didn't really know yeah. until fairly recently about these stuff in Ukraine. That one missed my radar. But I knew about the Luger Center. So Senator Luger now dead, I guess. But he was. They literally bragged about it. They put his name on the building like we do, you know, the the, the Hoover Building or something. It's like here's right. here's Senator Luger, and he's got his name on a a, a, a defense. Bioweapons. Now they always call it defensive bioweapons, but it's really let's just call it what it is. It's a bioweapons facility in in Georgia. Okay, that's in Tbilisi, and that's been there for years. And we have documents showing how they experiment on the locals, on the local uh, military, on their the Georgian military, and they have agreements that that uh, they're supposed to report any deaths within 24 hours, and they're supposed to, uh, you know, be held harmless for anything that happens to the Georgian people. And, the, and, you know, that's the kind of thing we've got on agreement. So we know this has been going on. And so now we're in yep. Ukraine, and like you showed, it's all it's all over there. If people are paying attention, Putin is going after these. They went after Chernobyl. He's gone very surgically gone after these areas. So um, I'm with you. Nobody was upset when, what was his name? Yanukovych, I think, was his name. Uh, The previous president that was, you know, he was corrupt and he wasn't a great guy, but he was a popularly, honestly elected official, okay? 
And when he got taken out in a coup that we helped fund, the West funded, uh, nobody cared. But now they're all, you know, upset. I, I just think it, you can tell they're squeaking loudly because just like when you're catching a lot of flack, you're over a big target. When the, when the left starts squeaking really, really like this, there's something there that they don't want us to see. And I think we're going to get a lot of data out of this. I, 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 I'm waiting with bated breath. And I'm waiting with you, and I have called it from last week to this week, and I'm going to stay on it until I'm proven wrong. I believe this is actually Biden, Pelosi's, Romney's, Clinton, Obama's. It's their Waterloo. That's what I see coming. It's the boomerang, right? They're, they're coming in. They want to go to, you know, from my uh, military white hat intel officer, uh, uh, 107 with Q clearance, talking about NGHC, what he said is they're trying to destroy the evidence inside Ukraine right. that would, in, would implicate all these people. This is going to do the opposite. This is going to reveal everything, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right there. That was when they expected Hillary to get in, I think. And, um, you know, 2013, 2014 timeframe, they just started, they had not, they just started looting it. And the country yeah. went from being fairly okay, prosperous, and it's just, it just really took an economic dive. And that's another bit of evidence. Something not good happened to the Ukraine in 2013. I'll just put it, leave it at that. And it was the yes, US State Department. Right. And, and with the mainstream media, like a show of parents, everything, if not given the right script, they're not going to report what really might have happened in Ukraine. That's the other part of the problem. Let's talk about gain of function research. My, my favorite uh, guy, Anthony Fauci, he has, I haven't seen him around in the last three or four weeks. Yeah, where is he? Interesting. I don't know. He's in a deep, dark cell. He's hiding somewhere. I would be too. This is why I say we're we're in World War III, and it's the fourth stage, okay? And at the fourth stage is when people start waking up to the devastation that's happening. And not and good things are not going to happen to the perpetrators. I'm just gonna tell you. I'm not advocating violence, I'm just saying one way or another, people are not going to tolerate when they find out the truth here because it's it's uglier than you could possibly imagine. And, you know, stage one of this whole thing, and, and there was a lot of research, and you've talked about Ralph Barrick. Interesting about Ralph Barrick, that first paper in 2015 where he and Dr. Xi were the first to really document the, the genetics and, the, and, and the, the codes that were being used. They knew at that time that, when this spike protein attached to your ACE2 pathway, because he talks about it somewhere in the paper, and I don't have it in front of me to, to remember all the right. details, but he talks about it being, you know, it, it, it damages salt reabsorption. So that one of the things we've been seeing while people have been sick is they go down really fast. They seem to get dehydrated and lose a lot of weight and get really fatigued really fast. And those are the people that don't always do well. And it turns out, uh, a friend of mine in Iowa figured this out, it's a salt-wasting disease, and he found this in Fauci, in uh, Ralph Barrick's paper. So if you give people, uh, just a little tip for your audience, a quart of, of water with a teaspoon of salt and a teaspoon of baking soda right away when you start getting sick, if this is what's going on, it can really alleviate a lot of the, the downtime. And um, wow. that's a simple thing. They knew it. Why didn't they tell us? You see what I'm saying? It's like... Yeah, they they knew a lot of stuff and they just purposely let people die and people need to awaken to that. But, you know, they created the pathogen. That was step one. They let it out. You know, then step two was the big psyop where they counted cases, not sick people, and they made everybody afraid. And step three was this horrible uh, 
I don't like to use the term vaccine, but you know what I'm talking about. The, the rollout of the right. Pfizer, Moderna, all these, all these agents, they're really called viral based genetic therapies. How do we know that? Because, um, that's what the FDA called them years ago when it warned the researchers using these types of agents that there was a shedding problem. And it warned them that these, this is, this stuff sheds these toxic nanoparticles that hurt people and you need to protect certain people like neonates, the elderly and the immunologically compromised. Now what are we doing? They are just pushing these vaccines on them. Okay? Knowing that it's going to damage them. They knew it back in 2015. Come on now. You see, this is the kind of corruption and evil that's going on, but that, that was stage three was the giving of the vaccine and now stage four. And the reason I'm kind of saying this is because as a physician, I feel like we, we're not just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Some of us are actually rowing away in a rowboat, looking back at the Titanic and talking about the deck chairs. But we got to get out of this idea that because the damage has been done. Uh, most of the damage has been done. At this point, the world has been attacked by a weaponized nanoparticle. We can call it the spike protein, but it was put into a vaccine. You know, even mainstream media is now coming to the realization, which you and I talked about a year ago, which I talked about in February 2020, couldn't get anybody's attention, that this right. was a bioweapon. And it was very clear because we knew in February of 2020 it had these four artificial inserts in the S1 subunit of the spike protein. And guess where they came from? The HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus. Now we're hearing people saying, oh, my gosh, this might give people AIDS. We were saying that in February of 2020. Everybody called us conspiracy theorists and nutcases, right? But it was in the scientific papers back then. So we knew that was a bioweapon. Now, if the spike protein, and remember they told us, oh, you got to take to your basement and wear a mask because just a few of these spike proteins in your nose or your mouth could make you real sick or kill you. So we were convinced a few spike proteins were deadly, right? Well, then they made this viral-based genetic therapy, this so-called vaccine technology that is going to produce, and this is the one thing they have to tell us in the EUA, the emergency use authorization, brilliant military strategy to use it because you don't have to tell people what's in the vaccine. The only thing you have to tell them is that for which you're declaring efficacy. So they had to tell us one thing. This produces the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus. That's what this says, that this reproduces, it's RNA or DNA that reproduces in the body the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2. If you agree that that spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon, then so is the darn vaccine, people. And in this case, though, it produces trillions of these spike proteins. Now, let's wonder why we're having problems, right? And so yeah, now stage four. Lots of problems. Stage four is when we start recognizing the problems. I don't know if you saw it, but that I'm sure you did that. There's now databases from all over the world that confirm about the same numbers. So the the actuaries in uh, the actuary for this big insurance company in Indiana, they are saying there's a they've never seen it before. There's a 42 percent increased all cause mortality. In other words, in America, in their population in Indiana, 42 percent death rate up. Then they and and they consider a nightmare for the for the life insurance companies a 10% increase in death rate that they expect to happen one every 200 years. They've never seen anything like this. A 10% is called a three sigma event. This is a 13 sigma event. They've never seen anything like that. So our death rate is way up. This is confirmed by the Germans and the uh, Office for Na- National Statistics in England. And, and it's, and it's b- borne out basically when we look at a lot of other, other facts that, that feed in there. But, but so there's, there's one point where lo- people are dying and not everybody is dead yet because there's a 
uh, I think it's 13,000%, I read, increase. This is from the ONS data. 13,000% increase risk of myocarditis in vaccinated boys, okay, young men. So young young boys under 18 of this age group had a 13,000% increase. Now, they're not all dead, okay, but that's a five-year 50% mortality. And that's just one diagnosis. Cancer doesn't kill you right away. We have a 300% increase in our military database, a 1,000% increase in our, in our neurologic database. Um, right. Uh, I can tell you from the, the – uh, what's a guy, person that talked to me from the inside of the military? In 2020, there were 2 million diagnoses per year, and I think this year it's 22 million in 2021. Wow. So, so again, it's gone up 10 times the number of, and that's our military, the healthiest among us. So trust me, it's even worse in civilian life. So what we're looking at is, is a huge increase uptake in death rate. But on top of that, what else are we seeing? We're seeing a huge increase uptake in stillbirth. Yeah. You know, th- this is what's happening. So we're having and, – and, and miscarriages. I mean, they, they're estimating now, looking at the UFR, the, uh, the under – or URF, the under-reporting frequency and the numbers that we know, that we had somewhere between 400 and 500,000 miscarriages last year in 2021, which is way up. And that – is a, is a, so we're, we're not, and, and sterility is just kicking off. It's Christian Northrop's the one to talk about that. But we don't, that's something that takes time to appreciate. So we're just getting there. But so we have a Western world, and keep in mind, this, this attack was not on the whole world. Okay. Our military was vaccinated, but they didn't vaccinate two armies in the world. Guess who they are? The Russians and the Chinese. Correct. So essentially, we're in a world, and this is stage four of the world, where we've awakened to the fact that the enemy has crept in under our wire, has 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 damaged, has killed, maimed, or will do potential future damage to by this d- delayed toxin. Uh, our military, our police force, our nurses, our first responders, you know, fire, rescue, Everybody, our whole medical society, our whole, I mean, our whole medical establishment, doctors and nurses, you know, the doctors that should have known better. I'll just say this. They should have known better. They can read science. They didn't do it. And they just believed what they were told. Well, you can live in your own reality, but the consequences of reality still hit you in the face. You can't deny the consequences of, the, of your made up of, of, of the real deal just because you live in your made up bubble. So that's where we are. We're now in a world that's facing a demographic shift and that's going to be. You know, what if, what do we look like when Western world has 50%, maybe less population in a couple of years? You know, that and not just, and it's not across the board just decreased population, right? Old farts like me, we were skeptical. We didn't take it. It's the young people that did it because they were pressured to keep their jobs or they were pressured. They didn't want to give up travel. They were coerced into doing these terrible things because they were made, uh, they, they they just took, they didn't want to stop functioning. It was the most evil takedown. I mean, you know, I hear people say we'll never give up our Second Amendment rights. They they didn't need to take your Second Amendment rights. They snuck in and killed people without firing a shot. That's where we are. That, it's a war. That it is a war. And we're going to take a quick commercial break. Come right back, and we're going to continue talking about the three wars: the Great War, World War II, the Great DNA War. We'll be right back with Dr. Lee Merritt. <laughs> Viral-based DNA gene therapy? 
that kind of what it is? Uh, they were designed, or, like I say, they were designed to be, um, and this is, uh, though, by the way, this is why I knew that they were lying to us early on. They were designed to be uh, targetable. So what, let's look at what we know from um, uh, pharmacokinetic studies. Well, let me back up. What's what's the long term when we talk about sterility? Let's just look at one thing there because this is a this is what I found out. I discovered this paper that was published in 2016 in Australia, and it was called uh, "Self Disseminating Vaccines for Emerging Infectious Diseases." And apparently in Australia they do have these mice outbreaks, and these mice outbreaks are spontaneous and they don't know why they occur, but they they're they're annoying, so they want to get rid of the mice. Well, they came up with an idea to make a genetic vaccine. And how did it work? Well, um, they it looks like exactly, by the way, like the J&J vaccine. It's a DNA vaccine with a, a, a uh, replicant deficient species-specific viral vector. I mean, if, if you know the technology, it's the same technology. So they captured a bunch of mice. They gave them this vaccine. Now, what it did was it sterilized the population by damaging the female ovaries. And then these mice were let loose on the population of mice in the wild, and they're very gregarious, and they go out and they run about, and they, they scurry about. And what did they do? Well, they rubbed up against other mice, and they shed this vaccine onto these other mice. They became sterile, and they scurried around against a huge, a bigger population now, and they sterilized them, and then it kind of petered out in the population, okay? Because it was not meant to kill them all. It was like, a kill a certain percentage. And creepily, if that's a word, they actually tell you in another paper how they can determine that if I want to decrease the population of whatever animal species by 40%, and I know this is the, I plug in the birth rate, I plug in the death rate, I plug in, and then this, with this vaccine technology, I know exactly how many people need to, I'm sorry, that was a Freudian slip, how many animals need to be vaccinated in order to decrease the population that percent. Okay? So they, this is down to a science. They, they know about this. Well, so, what has happened here is what are we seeing with this vaccine? We're seeing women complain that they have all these, as we said, all these uh, problems with bleeding and all these disorders. Well, you know, they're shedding, they're shedding the inside of their uterus. Old ladies are bleeding that shouldn't be bleeding. Little girls down to age two are bleeding. That's as Dr. Northrup educated me. That's a sign of reproductive da- health damage. I mean, that's, that's a sign of problems. Now, we had a pharmacokinetic study that was done in Japan before they would accept the Pfizer vaccine. And what it showed was that these agents, they took out the genetic inside and they just left the delivery vehicle, the, the, the Novavax produced Matrix M, which is the delivery vehicle of lipo, lipo nanoparticle stuff. And it collected in the ovary 64 times more than the skeletal muscle. Okay, so... Does this sound familiar? To me, this sounds a lot like the mice, uh, the mice story. And I think, you know, the other thing to say here, and I don't say this very, before this all happened, if you think back, if, if anybody was paying attention, this is kind of the kind of little news item that I would stick my brain and not know that it meant anything at the time. Maybe a decade or more ago, the Chinese were complaining that somebody from Harvard or somebody from America anyway was collecting their DNA. And they were making a stink about it. And it hit the news. And the Russians later complained about the Chinese or us getting their DNA. Maybe it was us. And then people, and then we complained about the Chinese getting ours. Everybody was in a DNA scavenging kind of competition for some reason. And we didn't know what that was about. 
Well, this is what it's about. This is why I say when they name this war, it'll be the DNA war against humanity. And, um, you know, if, and here's and I, if another last point that really gets deep into the weeds a little bit. But let's suppose you could create a poison that you were immune to. Wouldn't that be great? Think about it. I mean, if you're an assassin, that's a great <laughs> – you don't want people dropping over in front of you. You want it to be a delayed action thing, but you also want not to be killed yourself with the poison you use. Well, right. it turns out that this is a genetically um, selective bioweapon, okay? And, 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 and people don't have to believe me. They can, they can look it up themselves. But I'm just going to read you – I'm going to read you the title of one of the papers. There's several papers about this. But the paper that I'm referring to, right, uh, a couple of them are, this is one of them, ACE2 coding variants in different populations and their potential impact on SARS-CoV-2 binding affinity. The genetically targetable bioweapons has been in the pipeline for a long time. Um, and don't think it's just the Chinese or it's just the Russians. No, it's us too. This was, this was, um, this was commented on by the, the in the policy for the New American Century. This is our guys, our guys like Wolfowitz and Cheney and and uh, Rumsfeld, and those guys that would write by that would talk about military doctrine and, and what to do, you know, think think tank about military stuff. Okay, they published this policy in 2000, in September of 2000, and it was how we could be the predominant military going into the next century. And in one part of this, in fact, I can tell you, it's on page 64 in the bottom left. And I know that because after I told this little quote to Reiner Fulmish, uh, Bobby, Robert Kennedy Jr. called me and, and wanted to know where I found it. You know, and it was kind of a surprising phone call. Uh, and, and he's been a hero of mine in this whole fight. But this is what they say. This is the exact quote from the peanut. It's that advanced forms of biologic warfare that can target specific genotypes may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror to a politically useful tool. So keep in mind, this is our guys talking about using uh, bioweapons as a politically useful tool. And the beautiful and the best bioweapon is one that doesn't hurt your people. Well, it turns out that this is racially uh, targetable. And it, for whatever, I'm not, I'm not, I make no claims about motive here, but I'm just going to tell you that. And, and just because you're in the, in the good group doesn't mean you are a bad guy. Okay. But I will tell you that the people running this show from the CEOs of all the companies like Moderna and, and Pfizer and the C, the CDC chief, there's a lot of Fauci. There are a lot of people that fall into this. It's called the K26R genetic, uh, genotype. And they're relatively immune to the stickiness of the spike protein on our ACE2 pathway. Okay. They might be totally immune, but they are not like the rest of us. So when you look at by race about what this does, there's an upregulation among Caucasians from Europe, except in Finnish for some reason. So we have the worst uh, stickiness of the spike protein to our ACE2 pathway, which is what makes you sick. The ACE2 pathway is what this was designed to hit. They designed it to an ACE2 pathway because they figured out not everybody's equal, I think. But we're, we're the worst, 56% upregulation according to this paper. And there's other papers. Maybe it's another paper I have, but this is one of them. Um, and then the next group down are, are black Africans and, and African Americans. So they're, uh, or Africans outside, they're, uh, they're 39% upregulated. And then it drops way down to Asians and Finnish, which I think is interesting. Why are the Finnish genetically like Asians and not like the rest of Europe? Who thought they were not like the rest of the Caucasians in Europe? Well, no, I think I, I know the answer to that one. 
I know the answer to that one. You want to know what okay. the about the finish? Yeah, 10%. They're down to 10%. Well, the real quick interjection. I, I actually, first generation Norwegian, and I've done a lot of research. Okay. And the research is Well, the Finnish Ugric language, the, the Slavics of Hungary, is the same language. And it does not yeah. connect with anything in the West at all. And the Finnish, along with the Sami, which is the Lapland reindeer herders up in northern, uh, nor- up in northern Scandinavia and in parts of northern Russia, are what? Their genetic, real genetic background, thousands of years, is the Korean Peninsula. So basically, the Finnish, which have, have okay. you know, that explains it, and, and, and the Sami reindeer herders, same thing. They're basically from far east Asia. They're not from the Black Sea. They're far east, like towards Korea. Well, and that, that perfectly fits because now we have that 10% is Asians and Finnish. Very good. And, and that I've never found anybody that knew the story there. That's good. And then at the very bottom with 0% upregulation are the Ashkenazim and the um, uh, Amish. You know, so there it is. So, so the Ashkenazim, let me just call them who, who I think they really are, in my opinion. Especially, not like not all groups of people are bad, but there is a right, group right. that's evil. Right? So Jesus right. would call them Canaanites. Right? And he had a simple little phrase, children, as in children of God, do not feed the dogs. The dogs were the Canaanites. Well, the Canaanites were really Sumerians, Babylonians, Canaanites, Phoenicians, Venetians. Oh, they're, they're the ones, the infiltrators in the West, that created the fiat banking system. They brought it. We've been living in their financial matrix of debt for the last 6,000 years. Go on, Lee. <laughs> And it's a sub, well, and so, and there's a, so what we think of as the, the, the big population here of the Ashkenazim are not who we're talking about, but a subsection of that has this particular genetics and they are the people that are doing this. I hate to tell you, it's an ugly war and I'm, and I'm not suicidal. Neither was uh, John McAfee. I'm just making this point of anything happens to me for saying this. But I think we need to point out that not all are created equal when it comes to this spike protein. That's just the fact. And why is this really, really important right now? Because you might say, well, I can avoid this. I just won't take the vaccine. No, you won't be able to because guess what? They're putting it in vegetables. They, there's a, um, I think his name is Daniel Garza. I can't remember, but I think yeah. that's his name. I can look it up real quick. He's a, he's a biologist down in, um, uh, no, Daniel Norero. Daniel Norero is, no, that's, he's a, no, I'm right. Yeah, I think it's Daniel Garza. Anyway, whatever. It's a Mexican research program, or probably run by us, but it's in Mexico. And they're looking at GMO tomatoes as edible COVID vaccines. Now, they've already done vaccines in other things. They have already have uh, 97 vaccines that they're in uh, production to do for HIV, hepatitis B, polio, rabies. Um, and in clinical trials, they've got a flu vaccine and a malaria yep. vaccine and something else. Anyway, it has to do with what, what we're in the real, the world of genetic bioengineering now is you can be done on your desktop. Okay. When we first started hybridizing fruits and vegetables, it was standard breeding, you know, Gregor Mendel, the, the monk who showed that when you took pea plants and you mixed tall ones and short ones, you got medium sized ones and things like that. Just standard hybridization. Then we went to this whole genetic gene splicing, which, you know, was was kind of crude and you could throw stuff in with genetic material and cut it and try and put stuff in. But it was kind of crapshoot sometimes. And that got better. 
but now we have bioinformatics where we actually take the genome and we translate it into computer code and you can sit at your computer and you can you can redesign genetic material it's that i mean this is the point i'm making is that this war that we're in right now i i don't i don't think we've lost because i don't believe evil wins but uh it looks a little dark right now and i think that if we don't pay attention to what's really going on and fight with all we can right now fight back absolutely at every level don't and if you're you know how do we do that i i can talk about but we have to fight at every level to stop this and and ultimately you never stop technology and knowledge okay the only way you do that is wipe out a group of people that have the knowledge and let let society forget it's really easy in a generation or two to forget things okay we may have had a reset before where that happened because there are people that know about this but we don't know about it there's people that know a lot of the science that we're discovering now and then we go back and we say oh looks like somebody back there knew about it how come we didn't know you know a lot of creepy stuff about that but we have to we don't usually stop the science but, but we could stop the people doing it and and what we have to realize is that there are usually a very few number of people that have the technological skills the money this was brought to us by probably 150 guys with a lot of money who could who could put this thing together it didn't take very many people um, right so i think i i i think one thing i think for that to happen for a big wake a wake up call and reversal of the momentum the turning point in human history there has to be a a actual financial crash because when when the, the governments can't print any any money anymore right and when the fiat system is kind of blocked out of the new system replacing it talk about this year how are they going to bribe and get get everything they want i don't think the people in power are going to, are going to be in power as much longer because they're one they're one tool or weapon money will not be at the disposal like it used to be that is my belief uh we're going to take a quick commercial break come back with our last segment with dr lee merritt i want to talk about in the days of noah so is you know today right which is what human hybridization we'll be right back with dr lee merritt so anthony fauci has been involved in hiv for 40 years right and then, then trump magically in 2020 puts three criminals future criminals not criminals for sure in my opinion Deborah Burks, Robert Redfield, CDC director at that time, all on the panel, and, and Burks and Redfield were caught in 92, 3 or 4, doing what? Trying to manipulate the uh, the second, the data for the second HIV vaccines so they can get a, a third and, and two Air Force colonels uh, blew the whistle on them. And guess what? They weren't punished. They weren't put in jail. They weren't excommunicated from the, from the health agency of the United States. In fact, they were promoted. Right? But Trump put all three on center stage of the White House task force. That is not an accident. So we got HIV, and then of course this vaccine, these bioweapons are doing what? Changing your DNA, and apparently in the US uh, Supreme Court 2013, they can do what? Oh, if uh, you change things by as little as 1%, the corporations own you. Lee, like to weigh in? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it, it gets really, really complicated, and I, and I, I agree. That's what I'm saying. This is a DNA war. And it's really, it goes down a lot of different rabbit holes. Like, this is really what got uh, Luc Montagnier and his uh, colleague, uh, what was his name, Jacques Bienaviste. Um, mm-hmm. These guys discovered that 
you could take the wavelength of the DNA. You can, you can measure a signal that DNA leaves in water and that water has memory. And as soon as they said that, they got, they got, you know, their funding taken away. And then, you know, Jacques Benavise had been a big professor in France. He's, he's on the back lot now in a trailer. He was, and then he died young. And, and then Jacques, uh, and then, uh, Luc Montagnier and later in life took this up and showed that you could actually take DNA and put it in water, then dilute the water out so there's no DNA left. But it still remembered the signal of the DNA, and you sent wow. sent that with, a, with from an MP, uh, an M, whatever MP3, uh, uh, whatever the the code file to uh, Italy, and they were able to determine which one of the water samples had the DNA in it. Now you see, why wouldn't you want us to know about things like that? Because this, because if you have that, there's possibly a way to re to save people that have had their DNA um, altered. Do you know what I mean? You still have the memory. Sure. You have you have water memory, and you probably have cells in your it, people that took the vaccine, for example. You probably have cells. This is where we get into the I hope med beds exist kind of argument. That when when you get if you have water memory and you have that signature is still around, you can you can recreate that thing. So there's a lot of it. There's a lot of strange things about DNA, but we know it has some kind of quantum properties. Um, yeah, they've been – look, at, we kept having these these things about high, human hybrids in China, right? Yeah. I don't think that's by accident. There's some horrendous pictures we saw in China. China has – China bought up – just before all this happened, China bought up – it owns 50% of the world's genetic computational power. They have these huge gene sequencers, and China owns 50% of them, these huge, big, fast sequencers. And they can their, – their goal is to sequence a million animals, a million plants – and a million something else. I mean, they're just, they're just, uh, oh, a million, I guess a million humans. So, right. um, yeah. So that's, so like I say, it's a, it's, it's all about DNA. We just have to figure out what the whole story here is and try and save ourselves. Well, what I have one spiritual or, or belief in faith on all of this. You know, you know, the reason why the, the dark side or the evil side is trying to hide some of these facts about scale wiping the second energy source universe, right? You know, which is basically star power, which is different than EMF, or why you want to hide stuff like DNA signals and water memory, because this would actually prove that nothing is random in the universe, and, and there's actually a single creator behind the universe, as in God. So right. I, I, I think I think it's part of that. Oh, it's I, not I agree only, with you. What you're talking about is is, is helping people. But it's trying to trying to like, you know, God doesn't exist, right? Go on your daily lives, whatever. I really think it's a part of that. I was in a meeting at Dr. Butar's advanced medical meeting uh, a year ago in uh, South Dakota, and Thomas Cowan uh, was uh, was speaking. And I turned to my husband and said, you know, I've never been to a medical meeting that I thought was a, a religious uh, moment, but this is. And that's what he was talking about is that. We have not been told the truth about our cells, about the water in our cells, and how this stuff works with DNA and vibration. And when you understand it, it's really like this is how God how God created us and how God interacts with us is through this vibrational energy into our cells. You know, another thing that, that is part of this, another, another uh, issue about the memory and water and all about the magic of water that we have not understood is that your water is like a battery. It, it, it has it has 
there's there's things called structured water. And that if you put an, an obstacle in water and you look at it, there are there are negative charges that form around the obstacle and then there there are positive charges that go out. There's a separation of charge that occurs. And this happens in your cells whenever you get a toxin in there. And it can and it can there's it's a lot it's complicated, but the point is there has to be energy that that keeps that kind of separation of charge. And the sun, infrared uh, energy, like in our infrared saunas, presumably, but also from the sun, appears to be the energy that directly influences how people's cells work. What, are, what have we been told by standard medicine for so many years? Oh, avoid the sun at all costs. You know, sun's bad, sunscreen. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. everything. Don't get it. Don't take more than 400 units of vitamin D. Don't, everything they bye, told bye, us is wrong. Bye. This is on purpose. This has been very deliberate. This I, I think of, of Lucifer. I absolutely believe so. Look, we have one minute left. I want you to finish out any direction you want. Great to have you. I want to bring you back in April because you're absolutely amazing. I love all the avenues you cover. Well, this is kind of far, wild. This is kind of off the cuff and wild, wild ranging. But I mean, I just don't want people to be uh, be afraid. I think you need to go forward boldly, and we need to take our world back. And the way you do it, it is you have. When, when, when Ephesians, uh, it says in Ephesians about putting on the armor of God, everybody doesn't read the last sentence. It's you put on the armor of God and you, you do what you have to do and then you are still standing. Essentially, it says we'll still be standing. We're going to get through this and, and, and it's just we're in the darkness before the tunnel and I think that's where we are. We're going to make this. Okay. There we go, and I'll pass the talking stick back to you, Tara and Rama. Oh, my God. Is our brains fried yet? <laughs> uh, and then we are still standing. That's what what a fine way to complete that whole afternoon. Uh, we are still standing here. Uh, and again... Know the truth and the truth will set us free. So that's what we do with this information. This is the knowledge that has been twisted, turned, turned inside out, upside down, and turned into scrambled eggs and then to say that's the truth. Holy macaroni. So these are two beings coming from their training literally nailing the same truth that we've been hoodwinked. Is that a good way to put it, Rama? Yeah, because it's this larger story going on with the fallen angels and the 13 families who, their time's up, blaze the violet fire. Well, see, and... um. Young people are being challenged to say the least. They have, they have good minds and hearts, yet they're looking at this whole society and saying, wait a minute, what happened here? And, uh, we're supposed to get in line for this? And. It's not about the money and it's not about sex. Mm-mm. No. And only one of us here. Only one of us here. 
All the good, bad, and ugly looking stuff there. There's only one of us here. And accountability is at hand. And that's the thing that's very, very potent with love. Not done with violence. It's done with love. Unconditional divine neutrality. And try it sometime. It's a bit of a challenge. Except it wakes. And smile because it wakes. And believe in the magic. And we are going to take a little break now. And thank you, Micah, for being the the sounding board there. The reason we had Micah played all these things is because our windstream service here where we live has been scrambling these messages so that they come out garbled. Uh, so they know they're doing something that they know that they shouldn't do, but mm. they're doing it because they don't want the news to get out. There's more than one way, and hate to say this in front of all the kitties in this place, just get a cat. <laughs> and we love everyone, and we'll see you in a little bit, and we'll take a look at those stars when we come back and uh, talk to our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kay Pacha. Namaste for a while. Namaste, everybody. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Okay. Greetings, Commander. Greetings. Greetings, greetings. Uh, let's see here. Let me, uh, let's see. Today's 1918, 1917. Uh, I'm going for the moment chart. Look at Mark 17. A belated happy St. Patrick's Day to you. On the yeah, that was the 17th, yeah. yeah. And St. Joseph's Day on the 18th. Yeah, so it looks like, it, okay, yeah. Yeah, the 17th, at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock uh, Thursday night, we had a, a actual kite with uh uh, uh, Pluto, Trine, Neptune, and the Sun, and, and uh, Uranus, Sextile, uh, Mercury, and then all that mess is opposite the Moon. The Moon was technically opposite uh, four planets Thursday night. So, and that was just hours before the exact full moon. All right, anyway, tonight. All right, let's go. Here we are. All right, we're up to the moon's at uh, 22 Libra. And so that makes it opposite all that good stuff in Aries, whatever you got in Aries. Uh, Chiron's at 12, Aries. Now, Pluto at 29, Mars and Venus at 11 and 13. Saturn at 21 Aquarius, not moving very fast. Still no planets retrograde. Okay, then over in Pisces, you got you got Mercury at 17, Jupiter at 19, Neptune at 24, and the Sun at 30. Mm. Just a few more hours, and we got the spring equinox. Uranus at 13. So. 
the big the big stuff here really uh, this week is uh, Uranus. You broke up a little bit, Mark. Uh, Mars, Ma- Mars and Venus square Uranus. Okay. That's the that's the big energies messing with things today. Next week the shift will be different. Uh, for some reason this week I've been thinking about the, the Saturn cycle and the Jupiter cycle and their relationships. And I was I was, I was kind of thinking about it this way. Consider the consider a human a human life a lifespan of a human right. You get your first Jupiter return when you're not quite not quite twelve years old. Hmm. And you get uh, yeah, I just looked I looked that up Saturn to like eleven point nine fifty seven years. And then you get your second Jupiter return at age 24. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you get your first Saturn opposition at 15. So you get Jupiter return at 12. Saturn Opposition at 14 and a quarter-ish. Alright. And then you get your first Saturn return at 29 and, uh, seven or eight months. So, what happens after that? Alright. So your third Jupiter return is at age 36. Oh. And your second Saturn opposition is at 45, just about two years before your fourth Jupiter return. And when you get to 60, you get a better alignment because you're doing your second Saturn return with your fifth Jupiter return. Say that one more time. You get your second Saturn return along with your fifth Jupiter return. Oh my. So there's a period of, they, the way it works out in actual time, you got a period of about three years from say 5861 where you completed two Saturn cycles, right? First one is the maturing of the youthful body, and the second thirty years is where you you go out into the world and you do stuff, right? 
And if you've done stuff well and good, you know, between between thirty and sixty, then you then you get your bonus years, which is post age sixty, right? Then you then you come up, then you come up to your sixth Jupiter return, which is age seventy two ish. Or actually, we should make it. Uh, yeah, 71-ish. 71, 72, you get that sixth Jupiter return. And this can be a very, a very powerful stage in life. And it, and it, and it, it coincides with, you know, that 15, 45, 60, Fourth Saturn opposition at age seventy-five. So with seventy-two to seventy-five, Venus and, and Jupiter uh, really, you know, kick in in a, in a, I think, an important, an important way. You know, the whole the whole idea here is is to stay mentally healthy through the journey. Yeah. Well, that's what I've been thinking about this week. I guess it's because I'm, you know, looking at 71 coming up here. And uh, that's about that's about it for now. That's about uh, what, Richard? That's about it for now. Okay, Rama. Well, oh, well, wait a minute. We got to go back. We got to go back. I left out. I left out another interesting. Thing about this, see? Okay. If 45 is your second Saturn opposition, 42 is your first Uranus opposition. So, 21 is your first Uranus square, 42 is your Uranus opposition, all right, 21 and 42, 63 is the third quarter square of your Uranus cycle. So it appears that astrologically, you know, this is, this is, um, it's correlation, not causation, but correlation-wise, a human lifespan should be 84. One Uranus cycle. Seven Jupiter cycles. And approximately two and a half Saturn cycles. Because you get, you get, you get 12 times five is 60. Six times is 72, and seven times is 84. So seven plays a big part here. Being, you know, roughly a, a quarter of a Saturn cycle and a twelfth of a Uranus cycle. All right. Let's see what Kaipacha was thinking about the chaos on the planet.
Welcome to planet Earth, planet of chaos. <laughs> That's appropriate. Yeah, I know. It just aggravates the hell out of me sometimes. <laughs> okay, Rama. Let's do it. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. with the weekly Pele report for Wednesday, March 16th of 2022. Amazingly unbelievable how low the river is. Where did all the water go? <laughs> this is the driest I've really ever seen it in many, many years. Anyway. Yeah, uh, sun moving through Pisces conjunct Neptune. It actually did uh, drizzle, rained a little bit here, which is really amazing to have any rain during the dry season at all. So we had uh, sun conjuncting Neptune. You remember, talked about it last week. And uh, it's moving on. It's actually moving on where into Aries, the spring equinox in the northern hemisphere, okay, uh, the autumnal equinox in the lower uh, hemisphere, the southern hemisphere, and we want to be talking about that. It is a movement from Pisces into Aries, uh, regardless of what hemisphere you are in, a big shift. I talked about the ending and the preparing for the new, the dreaming, the new. Well, now the sun is moving into Aries. And, of course, Jupiter will follow, but not until April 11th. And I would say from now until April 11th, Jupiter moving through Pisces uh, is conjunct Neptune. It's not exact, but it's close enough. It's at 17 now, and it's moving all the way up on through, and... So Jupiter conjunct Neptune and Pisces, I'm going to be talking about that. The other thing, of course, that's happening is the full moon. There's all kinds of stuff happening. I mean, it's uh, it, it, it's outrageous. The, the full moon is at like uh, 12 midnight, okay, between Thursday and Friday. So depending on where you are in, on planet Earth, you're going to have that full moon either on Thursday or Friday. But really, the middle of the night, okay, you know, uh, late Thursday night in the United States and those in the Americas, let's just say that. Um, and that is at, you won't believe, uh, the Sabian symbol for 27 degrees, 40 minutes of Virgo, which is actually the 28th degree of Virgo. I will be reading you that. And then she moves on quickly into Libra and is in Libra, you know, until Sunday, opposes Chiron, you know, squares Pluto, all that happy stuff, and uh, and then goes into Scorpio um, on Sunday until uh, Monday, Tuesday. By Tuesday, she goes into Sagittarius. But the other big thing that I want to be talking about is, you know, Venus and Mars traveling together. We know they've been traveling together for some time now. 
and they will continue to, but Venus is taking the lead. She is moving ahead of Mars, <laughs> and she will go into, you know, uh, Pisces first. But as of now, they're both approaching Saturn, okay, and squaring Uranus. So this week, they're going to be squaring Uranus, and then they're going to come up to conjoin with Saturn, yeah? So Saturday, Venus is an exact square with Uranus, and then on next Tuesday, Mars is in an exact square with Uranus, from Aquarius to Taurus. So I will be talking about that. That is what the mantra has to do with today a little bit also. And let me just find a nice little spot to sit down here and talk at the camera. Okay, so where to begin? Where to begin? We uh, let's let's just begin with the full moon because if you're out at night, you can see it getting bigger and brighter and more beautiful every moment. Ow! The goddess La Luna, La Luna Jenna, so gorgeous, reminds us of the feminine, of the water, of Gaia, of nature that rises and falls that uh, is uh, rainy season, dry season, is hot season and cold season, is always changing. That's, uh, that's you know, that is one aspect of the feminine, of the moon. And she is very powerful, okay, in the sign of Virgo, the earth, the virgin who is independent, integrated, strong, the healer energy in opposition to the sun in Pisces. So this brings us to the Pisces-Virgo axis. I call it the axis of initiation. We're being initiated, and this full moon is initiating us out of our own bubble or our own little world or our own little self into relationship with another Personally, romantically, intimately, business-wise, socially, family, it's time to come out into Libra. Yeah, and, and, and in order to do that, Virgo has to do with work. It has to do with focus. It has to do with analyzing. It has to do with effort. So Pisces, Jupiter, Neptune, Mercury is about dreaming, a new dream, fantasizing, imagining, creating images and songs and dances about the new earth and the new world. And then the moon comes around to Virgo and says, well, roll up your sleeves, make it happen. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not just going to uh, come floating down the river. <laughs> so Pisces is very passive and Virgo is active. Effort. So, in some ways, the sun, after a month in Pisces, is emerging into Aries. Pisces is this infinite potential out of which all desires emerge. Aries, so the sun merging, you know, coming out of infinite potential of Pisces into an individualized desire, want. I want to penetrate. I want to initiate. I want to start something new. It's fire. 
cardinal fire, Brahma, creative energy. So we're going to feel a shift in the energy this week from one of being more passive into one where we need to be active. Hopefully we like to be active and we enjoy creating. And so, and we've got, you know, inspired dreams and visions that we want to manifest. Then it's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. (laughs) If not, the universe is going to kick us out of bed. It's going to wake us up. (laughs) It's going to say, you know what? The world needs you. You need to change. The world is changing. You cannot just flow, 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 flow. You are here to individualize. You have a unique gift to offer the next seven generations. Get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty trippy. Let's look at this, you know, then uh, Mars and Venus, you know, coming into it's a third quarter square, 270 degree square, okay, to the planet Uranus over there in Taurus for seven years, okay, from 2018 to 2025. So Uranus is shaking things up. Uranus is the planet of the personal unconscious. And what do we do with our unconscious? Normally we project it. I'm not aware of my need to individualize. I'm not aware of my need to reinvent myself. I'm not aware of my need to innovate and constantly evolve into something unique, a unique expression of source. So... Uranus very often manifests as sudden, unpredictable events, sometimes causing trauma. It's the alarm clock going off. It's like waking us up. It's the thunderbolt striking, and it's moving through Taurus, which is banks, money, inflation, supply lines, food, clothing, shelter, sudden ups, sudden downs cryptocurrencies, okay, you know, everything going topsy-turvy. And it's going to continue on that way. This is what I want to say. And it becomes necessary for us to invent new ways of keeping our money, spending our money, becoming self-sufficient, surviving, getting food, clothing, and shelter. And so now here we have Venus and Mars in square. Venus and Mars coming through Aquarius is the masculine and feminine. Jack and Jill, you know, ran up the hill. Okay, you know, and they're they're coming around, and Aquarius is about rebelling. Okay, it's about stepping into the future, envisioning, opening the third eye, and going, okay, whoa, I need to let go of the old, the conventional, the known, the familiar, the safe, the secure, and I need to venture out into outer space, <laughs> into the twilight zone of my mind. Okay, you know, I need to just like, you know, open my third eye. And so when it comes into this third quarter square, the, the, the cycle of Venus-Uranus has to do with what is Venus? 
It is my feminine ability to receive, to love myself unconditionally, to bring beauty, harmony, and peace into the world. Aquarius is community. Aquarius is collective consciousness expanding out beyond community through technology in the World Wide Web to global community, creating global community with what? Venus is love, Aphrodite, connection. So really devoting myself personally to creating connection with a greater community of like-minded souls that is ready to progressively liberate ourselves from old forms and old structures of support. The old patriarchy, the old paradigm, the old economy, the old healthcare systems, the old governments, the old, 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 old. It's like, I need to, I need to go forward. Yeah? Speaking of going forward, it's with Mars. And so Mars is also coming around. And sometimes this, you know, the third quarter square has to do with a crisis of sudden unpredictable events that kick us out of bed, the hairdryer in the bathtub, we get electrocuted, we need to jump out of the bathtub, we either need to be a force of change or be forced to change, but this is about evolution, this is about moving forward in radical new ways. So... We got to come out of the dreamland. And like I say, Jupiter, Neptune is Watiko. Okay, this is the collective unconscious, which is propaganda and you know, all the stuff that is, you know, just like stirring around beneath the level of awareness, psychosis and neurosis and hospitals and institutions and, you know, autoimmune disorders and just like all kinds of like, you know, like I said, I think last week, the twilight zone, we've entered the twilight zone. We're in that twilight zone a little bit more, okay, you know, like until Jupiter moves into Aries. We're going to get the sun in Aries now, so this is like a personal shift inwardly. Each one of us individually needs to like step up into the night. And what is the night in the tarot? You know, whether it's the Knight of Pentacles or Cups or Wands or, you know, the Knight has to do it. First of all, it serves the King and the Queen. It always brings action. It always brings revelation. This will be a week of tremendous revelation. Uh, The truth shall be revealed and the truth shall set you free. And the truth may be un. Settling. The truth may be shocking. Okay. But it's best to start with a hard, solid rock foundation. Yeah? Of truth to go forward. So anyway, yes, this night, and it has to do with action. The night is always going somewhere. Always doing something. They're all, they're in, all in movements. So, you know, this is a time to set new projects in motion. And this is, you know, this is a time to, you know, begin, okay, you know, new adventures. 
of service. Let's look at this moon coming around through Virgo, this full moon now. She's been, you know, uh, waxing for two weeks. So there's a certain culmination. And what bothers me, you know, what really blows my mind is the Sabian symbol for this degree. And I think if you have been listening to much of the news about what is going on in the world, it's going to blow your mind. (laughs) A bald-headed man who has seized power. (laughs) The sheer power of personality in times that call for decision. Whether at the religious or at the socio-political and cultural level, there comes a time when obsolete, obsolete patterns, obsolete patterns of order and cultural refinement have to be radically and relentlessly challenged. Catabolic personages emerge to seize power <laughs> and dictate decisions that alter the structures of society or within an individual life. An intense urge for cathartic changes mobilizes the will and traumatic decisions are made. At such times, the issue has to be met and ruthless as the power may appear, it must be accepted. At this stage, we face the unpostponable necessity for decision and transformation. Existence is motion. No static formation. However beautiful and inspiring can remain long unchallenged. Everything bows to the power of the will. Divine, executively human, or satanic? We just want to take a little breath after that (laughs) symbol of this I can't help think of old K.S. Klaus Schwab. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, I don't know where you've been, but you need to watch <laughs> the video I'm going to put below by J.P. Sears. Mm. Is Klaus Schwab uh, the most dangerous man alive or on earth? <laughs> He's one of them. He's the founder of the World Economic Forum. He's the author of The Fourth Industrial Revolution and the Great Reset, and he has started a school of grooming future world leaders like Trudeau, Macron, and even Putin. And he's bald. (laughs) (laughs) And he has got an old German accent like he studied under Hitler. Mm. Amazing how anybody listens to this guy for more than two minutes 
and is not uh, aware of what is driving you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to get, you know, uh, too far into these great global world affairs. I've gone on and on and on. I mean, I, I will talk a little bit because people ask in the comments, you know, there's somebody said there's been no mention of the war. <coughs> okay. What I've got is, and I want to just share, is propaganda. Mm. It's propaganda and we will not know. Just get used to not knowing right now during these. There are covert operations left and right all over the place. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's not being announced. And, you know, you can jump on this and that and the other, okay? You know, some say Putin is after, you know, the biological laboratories that, you know, uh, you know, the U.S. set up over there, okay, in the Ukraine. Other people... You know, uh, you know, are just saying, well, it's it's quite obvious, you know, since 1997, 19 nations have joined NATO, <laughs> getting closer and closer and closer to the borders of Russia. The Ukraine wanting to join NATO brings NATO and all of the Western forces directly to the borders of Russia. So some, you know, some argue, you know, this is da 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 da. Others say, oh, my God, you know, Putin's a monster, a gorilla. He's got no business, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing, invading other countries. Who does he think he is? And, you know, and he's aligned with China, and these communists are all going to da 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 You know, I mean, let's just really understand. It, In some ways it matters, and in some ways it doesn't, because these are forces beyond our control. This is the south node of the moon moving through Scorpio from January 18th until July of 2023. And the dragon's tail has to do with the dark energies or devolution. And it's in the secrets and the hidden agreements and the covert actions of forces beyond our control that we need to, and in some ways are victims or at the mercy of, these forces beyond our control. And that's why today's mantra gives us the choice to be a victim or a knight. We can stay in Pisces, the sign of martyrs and victims. We can stay in Scorpio, you know, uh, you know, at the mercy of, again, forces beyond our control. Death, nations, nature, whatever it is. Or... We move like the sun into Aries and we become the night. We move to the dragon's head in Taurus and we become self-sufficient. And we get grounded in unconditional self-love that is able to receive the goodness and the beauty and the love and the joy in life. We stay passive Right in that Pisces, or we move into Virgo, into effort, and and the will force. Because regardless of the reasons for this war, the effects are quite clear. Okay, and whether Putin is in cahoots with Klaus Schwab, I've seen pictures of them together shaking hands. 
Okay, and you know, and this is all part of a master plot to devalue the dollar, to make inflation, to ruin supply chains, to you know, you know, destroy economies as part of a great reset, or whether he is lining up with China to bring down the United States and devalue the dollar, and you know, you know, cause all kinds of catastrophes. The fact remains, the reality remains, that our world is changing, our currency is changing, and we need to get our act together. <laughs> I've been saying this for years, man. Get out of the city. Get away from the 5G towers. Get away from the transhumanism. Get back to nature. Start growing your food. Get in permaculture yeah. communities. Uh, you know, look at your health. I just listened to Zach Bush. I can put another link to, you know, his, you know, his talk talking about the glyphosate and the extinction events that are coming and, and how, you know, we are destroying the soil, the water, the rain, the, the crops. I mean, what do we need before we seek alternative Sources of food, sources of energy, sources of love, sources of joy, sources, you know, I mean, it's like, and this is what Venus and Mars and, and, and Saturn, and they're all going to square the moon's nodes. Saturn already is, but this is building, I think it's April 22nd, we have a Mars-Saturn conjunction exactly square the moon's nodes at 22 degrees. Aquarius, Taurus, Scorpio. If you've got planets there, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, you know, we're, you know, we're really getting sign after sign, revelation after revelation. You know, get it together, get, move on, uh, you know, co-create alternative lifestyles. I, I, I listed that link. For the parallel societies, necessary and needed to be like seed pods, yeah, that are going to birth the age of Aquarius. But we got to go through the dark, you know, uh, we, we maybe need to go underground, like the seed goes underground and then it opens up and sprouts later. This may not necessarily be so much springtime as you know, uh, the great winter. And that spring coming in 2025, 2026, 2027. I talk about that in my other uh, video that's available. But anyway, so for this week, yeah, you know, the mantra remains. <laughs> the mantra is, there's two ways to go. And I have to choose. Be a victim or a knight. I need to engage and focus my will in order to get it right. Ow! Yeah, baby, man. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, it's, it's like... Absolutely appropriate for the full moon 
the sun coming out of Pisces into Aries, Venus and Mars squaring Uranus and Aquarius, North Node in Taurus. I mean, this mantra sums it all up. We've got choices, people. We got, you've got choices. I've got choices. And we need to make these choices. Or they will be made for us. Mm. By bald-headed old men. <laughs> oh, it's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. So choose. You cannot make a wrong choice. Just choose. Mm -hmm. And move. Activate. Be the knight. Action. Go going forward. Yeah, baby. There are two ways to go. And I have to choose to be a victim or a knight. Uh, I need to engage and focus my will in order to get it right. <laughs> May you get it right tonight. <laughs> oh, oh, and uh, uh, the song. The song for this week. What was it? Oh, man, it was by the doors. It was... Something. <laughs> I guess uh, maybe... I Look in the notes below. I, I, I will remember the song and stick, it, uh, stick a link for it in the notes below. The YouTube video. And... Uh, look forward to seeing you. I, I thank uh, those people that contacted me about uh, hosting workshops in Europe. I have enough to make it uh, over there. And uh, maybe I'll see you on the other side of the pond this summer. Namaste. Aloha. So much will. Pass the talking stick back to you, Richard. All right, then. Looking at uh, next Saturday's chart here. So next Saturday, early, moon conjunct Pluto. And at 9 p.m., it'll be in the first degree of Aquarius next Saturday. Uh, Mars will be at 16 and Venus at 20. Venus is slowly separating from Mars. Yeah. But Venus will be getting closer to Saturn. So in the pre, in the pre-dawn sky, for the last month or so, uh, Venus has been rising, uh, first that you can see. 
and uh, Mars was behind it, and you couldn't see Mars because it was uh, Venus was too bright. That were powered the, the uh, light waves and whatever. But now we've got uh, Venus rising and Saturn right behind it. So we've got Venus conjunct Saturn this week. And uh, it, it'll continue it. Now, the, the Sun will have moved all the way up to seven Aries, right? Mm-hmm. Since uh, later later overnight, we got our equinox. Mercury will be in the last degree of Pisces next Saturday. So Sun and Mercury are getting away from that troublesome pair called Jupiter conjunct Saturn, uh, Neptune, Jupiter conjunct Neptune. Just mm-hmm. troublesome, troublesome, troublesome. With all this uh, uh, collective unconscious uh, having the light of Jupiter shined upon it, and hence it's easier to see the evil. And that's you know Chiron at thirteen, and Uranus still at thirteen over there. So that's you know that's the big the big deals this week is uh, Venus. Venus getting ready to conjunct Saturn, and uh, Mercury and the Sun getting away from Neptune. That should that should bring some relief, I think. So, uh, which planet's what, getting away from Neptune? Mercury. Mercury. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got you got Mercury conjunct Neptune this week. Talk about con. Confusion and delusion. <laughs> yeah. Let's maybe see course, what, hey, what, 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 what propaganda rules. <laughs> we better squeeze in our little sister here. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, thank you, Richard. Wow, what? Wow, wow. Another, another wild week ahead of us. Oh, yes. Everybody, we can handle it, right? Right? Right. Okay, here we go. Goyana. Gabrielle. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, wealth astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming celestial events in the astrology and numerology that is going to impact us in the coming week or so. In this case, Venus and Mars, which have been conjunct, merged together for a few weeks now, are coming up into a square with Uranus. And that's super important because Uranus is the ruler of Aquarius, the Aquarian age, the 2,000-year age that we just entered. So this is a very important event in the stars and numbers. And I wanted to get Merlin's perspective on it just because there is a sense of all the pieces of the puzzle coming together. And he touches on the energy, the intense energy that's really enveloping the world right now and 
why this event is helping us in so many ways. So he basically helps us see the silver lining to what is going on right now. And it's a really beautiful message that came through. So I'd like to share it with you now. So here is Merlin. Merlin, Venus and Mars, representing the Divine Feminine and Sacred Masculine, have been traveling together since mid-February and continue to do so until the third week in March, really the equinox. Can you give us some insight into that conjunction, and specifically as it relates to an upcoming double 90-degree square that Venus and Mars are going to be in with Uranus. I'm so happy to be here again, sending you big smiles, lots of celebration as you all are truly feeling like you might be going through the ringer, but actually are shifting rapidly in terms of extricating yourself from the past. And just to begin our connection, I want to say that the celebration is a celebration of liberty, of the whole shift away from the way things have been going for the last hundreds of years to new ways. And it's happening rapidly. And this is why sometimes it gets very intense, as has been the case the last few weeks with a major conflict that seemingly is echoing the past, but truly is extricating the past. So this is what truly will be occurring on so many levels, subterranean levels, all the way to etheric levels, to, of course, your physical 3D level. There is a true championing of a new way of being. And so sometimes in order to really make this shift occur, there has to be a revisiting uh, of what seems to be the same old thing but is actually a reminder of what is no longer going to be part of your journey. So you have sped up the timeline per se. I want to reassure all of you that in handling the situation by taking the middle path as always, having compassion and also protecting yourself from the darker underlying forces that create a disturbance, that create a situation where people are very much impacted in a negative way. You want to Always send healing, peace, love, joy, compassion, and hold that space and not go into a sense of taking 
a side against another human being because after all in the end everybody is a human being so it's not to say that you condone what is going on it is to say that you send love to the unlovable you send compassion to the unlovable and of course you send healing to those who are impacted now we want you to know that the venus mars conjunction is really helping to create that internal balance and also just to explain the two years you've been through since 2020 have also helped you to stay very neutral in many ways because you yourself have been through uh, a tremendous internal recalibration and shift as to what you value in your life and so you are stronger as a result you are just naturally able to stay clear of the conflict itself meaning the internal conflict that then urges you to lash out to react and so this has really been helpful and it is helping to neutralize what could have in other times in history been a much more uh, volatile uh, development so we applaud you for that so venus and mars coming together this is a very much an internal marriage you are being married in your heart your two the left and right side of your heart are marrying each other fusing together your left and right side of your body your left and right arms legs brain hemispheres eyes ears they're all being married so there's no separation this is the meaning of the venus mars conjunction and the square coming up with uranus of course the square in astrology is a activating tension creating connection in sacred geometry and the tension is there for really to generate an awakening so there is no choice but to address whatever tension shows up in your life now this particular tension is very interesting because it involves Taurus where Uranus is and Venus rules Taurus so Venus square Uranus in its own sign indicates a a real need to bring Taurian Venusian qualities into your life So if there isn't enough beauty, if there isn't enough pleasure, love, a sense of abundance, a sense of feeling goodness, enjoyment, where you value all those things, if if you feel a lack of those or just feel like you'd like more or explore those areas of life which are so beautiful from a new angle right because there's always more beauty there's always more pleasure and abundance to experience there's always more love this is the time to really look at that now in terms of mars 
Mars and Venus are both in Aquarius at this point. They were in Capricorn. They have recently moved into Aquarius, which is also significant because Aquarius is the sign that represents the new age that you have recently entered, the 2,000-year age. The other thing I want to also bring up before going into Mars is that you are in the 2000s, you are in the 2020s in the 2000s, you are in 2022 in 20, in the 2020s in the 2000s, and all of those are twos, and Venus and Mars are two sides of the same coin, the masculine-feminine side. So this is a merging, again, of the left and right, the up and down, the ability to bring two together as one. It is all about intimacy and love. And so when, so Mars is adding a tremendous passion and a need to have an outlet for your imagination, right? So if you instinctually feel drawn to a certain, to do a certain thing, it could be very small, it could be a decision, it could be something you say, a different word you use than the one that you thought you would, Mars is passionately engaged in steering you in that direction of freedom, of exploration, and being fully immersed with great passion in everything you do. As long as you are on that path, which is the present moment path, you will not be caught in the past and worrying about the future or regurgitating a fear that is based on a past experience or past history and making that your go-to reality as opposed to going to the present moment and being open to the miracles that unfold as a result of being present. So Mars is truly the important uh, activator and very much in a, in a sense of aliveness and it, there's a joyful sense of abandonment with Mars that really allows you to be free and not caught in a net of the past. And then Venus adds the beauty to the equation so that you actually have a an environment that you enjoy being in. This is why adorning yourself and adorning your environment with beautiful scents and things and everything that reminds you of what beauty is to you is so very important. And so these two coming together in Aquarius means there's maybe a new way of doing this. There's maybe a way of seeing people in relationships because Venus also governs love and, and intimacy in a new way that you wouldn't have thought of before, a very freeing way. So there are many beautiful examples here to set. And one other thing to consider is how you go about your ability to just be free to choose a path for yourself. And that means the path of the current moment because Going too far forward with where you want to end up takes away the ability to go with the flow with, in terms of what, what is coming to you based on what you are aligned with. So in other words, Mars is going to ask you to align with a certain feeling, a certain way of being, whether that is 
a feeling of joy, a feeling of satisfaction, of peace, of leadership, of abundance, of compassion, of healing. There can be many, many ways of setting your compass. And Mars is asking that you set your compass, especially when you wake up in the morning and choose the frequency or frequencies that you want to experience that day, that you are attracted to that day. And then Venus provides the beautiful landscape and environment to allow you to play with that energy and enjoy how it shows up because it will show up in very surprising ways. This is Aquarius, after all, where these planets are in. And Aquarius always brings those magical surprises. Another note is Aquarius is made up symbolically, if you look at the symbol, of two waves. And those waves are obviously going up and down and are parallel to each other. They are not touching each other. So this indicates the companionship level of two people coming together or you and a project, whatever you and the other represents at, at the time. But that you are not interfering with each other, but allowing each other the freedom to express yourself while being in complete alignment, in harmony with each other. So the waves are moving together without interference. And it's a very beautiful symbol of walking the path with others. And this also means you and the collective, so that you are very much your own sovereign being while also being part of a greater whole, the collective, and not one interfering with the other, but allowing the communication between the two to be free-flowing, without judgment, and therefore happily moving in the direction of that true freedom, that true joy. So there's a lot of beautiful underlying messages here, and as you move through this, very intense period on earth. Note that the seasons are also about to change. Note that we are coming up on the equinox where you celebrate on earth the change to spring or autumn, depending on where you reside. This is a very powerful change because the equinox is about equal, equality. Just like the Venus-Mars conjunction is about the equal feminine and masculine within you, not having one dominate the other. And it also represents the union of you and another. And like I said, that can be a person. It can be a wonderful project that you're working on. It can also represent you and your intuition because you and your intuition represents your relationship to the divine, which is really what fuels everything. So there is an equality here that must be felt in all hearts that everybody's life is equally important and everybody's life is equally to be respected and that everybody also has their individual path, just like the symbol of the two waves in Aquarius walking two paths, but joining together in harmony. So this is the message that I'd like to leave you with because 
if you align to the goodness of it all and see that there is a reason for it all and that in this case the intensity of the experience that you're all feeling is also really helping to purge, remember that you are still in the sign of Pisces with the sun moving through that sign, which is the final sign, and it is the sign of endings. And you're about to move into the sign of Aries, no matter where you live on Earth, which represents the beginning of the Zodiac. There's a whole new sense of something being released, the past, the Piscean age, and then something new being birthed. And please note that Aries is ruled by Mars, and Mars is part of this conjunction with Venus. So it's bringing it really all together here, because this square from Venus and Mars does happen shortly after the sun enters Aries and begins spring in the Northern Hemisphere. This square between Mars and Uranus happens on the 22nd of March, again echoing the number 22 for 2022, and the connection between both sides becoming one. And then the square from Venus to Uranus happens on the 19th of March, a day before the equinox, and so they both are hugging the equinox. Isn't that an amazing symbol? Look at that incredible connection here. Venus comes first, then the equinox, then Mars. And Uranus is the awakener. Uranus, the ruler of the new age, of the Aquarian age. So allow yourself to connect. Allow yourself to be free. Allow yourself to feel joy and beauty, passion, freedom, and allow yourself to love and be loved. As always, I am so happy to connect with you. Thank you for the opportunity and sending you so much love. Thank you so much for joining me for this channeling from Merlin on the Venus-Mars conjunction square to Uranus. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you enjoy Merlin's perspective, I think you'll really like his monthly in-depth forecast that I include now as a special bonus in the premium wealth forecast, which is a monthly subscription that you can join and receive music and a PDF and very detailed PDF on the stars and numbers for every day of the month and now Merlin as well. So click on the link below if you'd like to hear an excerpt of the premium wealth forecast. You'll hear it for March and enjoy that. And I really look forward to seeing you in next week's new episode of Star Codes. Lots of love. Okay, Rama, the phone number for the conference call. 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. And we'll see you there. And then at the top of the very next hour, we'll see you here again. With BBS Radio, best radio there is in this universe.
There's much more to come. See you on the conference, everybody. Namaste. Oh, my goodness, Rama. That was so wonderful. Do we want to do our meditation now and then? Okay. Or do you want to do something like? Um. I mean, I could read this gory story. <laughs> no, I will play crayon. Okay, let's play crayon. We got the gist, everybody. Yeah. This is the uh, as ugly it's gonna go. No more. I'm getting there. <sighs> okay, here we go. Do you know what the title of that one is, Rama? Cryon gives details about new upgrades light workers will receive. There we go. I'm getting this coming along. Hi everybody, thanks for watching this. I wanted to tell you this is a little time sensitive. Greetings dear ones, I'm Crying of Magnetic Service. Each group of old souls has its own energy. Every single one. This one is unique as well. There is a camaraderie. There is an, a special family tie here. There are places on the planet where the old soul groups are reincarnate over and over in the same place. And we have said this before. There is a profundity in that system. For it creates a group that is more likely to know one another and have synchronicity with one another. There are other places in the planet that are just the opposite. Where you will reincarnate into a culture you don't recognize and spend a lifetime coming back to the one you do. Each human being has their own schedule based upon what they choose when they're not here. Be aware the system is not that of the central source. It's that of the human being's part of the central source. You have a piece and a part of God in you which knows everything. When you're not here, you are part of that which is the creative source. With the wisdom beyond anything you can imagine, you reincarnate yourself in a special way, in a special place, with energies to deal with the planet yet again. And when you came in this time, there was the potential you would pass this marker that we have talked about, and here you sit having done so. This one was special. <laughs> 
And in this area, there are many old souls who know one another and who will meet one another and do kinds of things with each other that are different from other places. It's a system of confluence, of consciousness. And it's beautiful. If you knew the whole scenario, you would understand that each soul knows the other at some level in some way. You are so different, dear ones, and that is what it's supposed to be. Your worries and your worries and your fears are so different. And that's the way it's supposed to be. However, coming online, if you wish to use a modern term, is something that we have discussed just recently. And that is what we will call the template. The basic review is this. When the Pleiadians laid the groundwork for the seeding of humanity, giving them the peace of God that you have, esoteric seeding, you mixed your biology with them. The result was the DNA you have now and inside it the things that you cannot see that are quantum and dynamic and carry with it those seeds of God. We told you last time that one of the things that the original creation template had was that human beings would awaken as human beings with dark and light awareness and search first for the creator. No other animal on the planet searches for the creator. It's not simply the elevated intellect of a human being that allows this. It's the template. And as proof of this, I give you that. Over 85% of this planet believes in the afterlife in some way. That cannot be an accident. It cannot be chance. It does not fall into the bell-shaped curve. It was designed and planned that way and the template was yours. We told you that the template also included that energy and system which you call karma. The template was real, it was needed, it is your template. It has been the same template until now. The time capsules of this planet created the template through processes that you are not aware of, that are grand and beautiful, that are quantum-based, that is to say multidimensional, and that come right from the creative source. Would it interest you to know that the Pleiadians are not just creatures from another part of the galaxy? They have their DNA working at over 80%. They're almost angelic. In their physics of consciousness, they don't need crafts to travel to other places. They use what you call the process of entanglement, already seen by your physicists. Where physical objects can be in two places at the same time. This is not beyond your reasoning. It is simply beyond your normal experience. 
and they gave this planet several attributes that you use today. This template that they gave you is not a controlling template. It's an influential one. It pushes that, which makes you think certain ways and gives you free choice about what you decide about them. I want to talk about the new template, and that is why we are here. You crossed this marker. A bridge was crossed in consciousness. And we will tell you, you can't uncross that bridge. And whoever doubts this, who leaves this room, history is going to show it. Humanity is different. You're going to leave behind some of the oldest propensities of the template. You're going to leave behind the idea of conquering and greed and conspiracy and power. It takes time, dear ones, sometimes generations, to rebirth consciousness. For one generation to see the folly of what they did the time before. To realize there are better ways to accomplish that which you really desire, which is health, celebration of happiness on this and lifespan. Lifespans that you have not had before. The ability to get along with the rest of the planet. And you will have different ideas and different spiritualities and yet you'll have tolerance to get along. And you will see that as the prime directive for that will create what you always wanted. Not war. We've told you before, the consciousness is so startlingly different that there'll come a time in history when you look backwards and everything that was before 2012 will be the barbaric age. This is where it's going, and you are beginning it now. This is year two. I'll say it again. Have you met any two-year-olds? And what was your impression? This is where you are. You're just learning. You hardly know what it feels like. And yet there are old souls who have been through this on other places who are so anxious and so impatient because they know where it's going that they're frustrated. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And the only reason that you're so impatient, dear ones, is because you've seen it and you know what can happen. No wonder you're impatient. It's so different. We told you before, don't expect a utopia. Humans will always be humans. There will always be those who will go to low consciousness with free choice, but they will be the minority, not the majority. Human nature will be that which is prevalent on the, on the planet and it will be different because of this new template. The template, as described and defined, it helps you to think differently. It pushes you to awareness. Internal, subconscious suggestion that you may ignore or not with free choice. This planet looks for the creator and has found it. A monotheistic planet Spiritual belief systems are everywhere. It's the first thing you notice when you go and travel. 
What is the belief system here? What is it over here? There's always one. Against all odds, the planet believes in God. That's the template. The new template is going to work with several things, but some of them you're going to recognize, some of them you already know, but I have to list them anyway. This new template is beautiful. I should tell you there are three more templates coming. This is just the beginning. There are no markers to pass, but there are places where literal inventions will make a difference in what you're aware of and what you do next, and a new template will be needed for you to think beyond where you were before. These are templates of awareness. And the very fact that you have a new one being broadcast from the nodes and the nulls, you should celebrate. Because there are those who said it would never, ever happen. <laughs> the template starts to recognize what we channeled recently, which is the triad. The triad is the new consciousness that involves the three parts of consciousness that we channeled about specifically. They are the brain, the intuition, and the heart. Mm -hmm. Those three represent the triad of consciousness. We talked before, you consider your brain is the central of everything. Your brain simply facilitates all of the energies of consciousness. It does not originate them. The brain originates that which is survival, intuition, and innate together, hooked to the Akash and the higher self, are then also processed by the brain. Only you see them as differently and they feel different. And now we add that which science is starting to see as a player of consciousness, as an organ you think simply pumps blood, and it's the heart. The heart has the highest magnetic field of any organ, including the brain, in the body. There is more nervous activity in the heart for some strange reason than anywhere else, and it almost is seen by some science as the second brain. The heart is responsible metaphorically for compassion, and it is. The new template will increase the triads efficiency in your body it, that is why the new human being is going to be more compassionate you're going to be born that way the empathy for other creatures just like you on the planet is going to drive you into peace you will not send soldiers to be killed who are your sons and your daughters none of you will the idea will be abhorrent. No matter what is on this planet, you will not turn to that. It's barbaric. It is not what humans do. I promise. Every planet has gone through this. And that's where you're going. Hard for you to understand what we're talking about with this triad. A different way of thinking where intuition and the heart start to play a major part of thought and not the survival brain. You pass the marker, you've come out of the cave of survival, and now you are into elegance. 
and the triad will be then increased in its efficiency. Along with the DNA, a compassionate soul will start to be born. It's already happening. Your grandchildren are far too compassionate for their age. And you know it. They look at other children who don't have what they have, and the first thing is they want to give away what they have to them. A compassionate soul does not happen at that age with the old human nature. In fact, children on the playground often take from one another instead of give. This is different. Take a look. It's already begun. That was number one. Number two is something called self-balance. My partner teaches it. It has already been on the agenda and taught this very day. But it's on the template because it is not necessarily something that all old souls have. Some of you are not self-balancing and you know it. Something will happen. Perhaps it's chemically. Perhaps it's psychologically. Perhaps it's even Akash. It will push a button in your brain. It will create an issue that then you have to have solved by another light worker. This has been common. It comes from an old energy paradigm. And it comes from one which is honored. And that is what healers and light workers are for. Suddenly this one has the old soul self-balancing. You're your own guru. You can see within yourself. It is a designed human attribute that now comes forward for that which is spiritual survival. Self-balance. No matter what happens, if you wait just a little while, it will return to a peaceful state. This is good news for some of you who have gone back and forth and swung the pendulum of emotions. There are many light workers who need to hear this because their lives, even though a mature old soul, have their buttons pressed from other reasons, even Akashic ones. It means that you have the ability to live a more peaceful life every day. You awaken in the morning instead of worrying about things to come. You have an overwhelming piece of self-balance, knowing that you'll deal with them one at a time with wisdom. It is self-worth, dear ones. <laughs> and it's about time. I want to cover just briefly some of the other areas of the template, and they all deal with innate. Innate is the new teaching we have given you before. It has been called a smart body. Innate is that part of your body which knows what's happening corporally, is connected to the Akash, knows about the triad and the heart, knows of the pineal, even knows of the higher self. It is part of the consciousness of you. It is not your subconscious, it's innate. 
It is a part of your body that is esoterically taught. That is to say, it is new. However, it is also one that many know about for they muscle test with it all the time, using that which you call kinesiology to discover more that you don't know with your brain. So let me discuss the bridge that is going to start being increased in the innate. The first is the obvious one, and we've taught it. And we'll, we'll get through this quickly, dear ones, because we want to teach the others. The human body, the corporeal body, is still a mystery to your consciousness, as odd as it seems. You don't know what's going on inside. And you will. This is the main bridge that's going to be crossed, little by little, Human beings will start to be more aware of what is happening inside them in a corporeal fashion. And the proof will be this. You will have intuitive flashes and you will get a checkup become because of it. And there will be discoveries that you will catch so soon the doctors will say, how did you know? It's up to you to tell them. This is your innate starting to cross the bridge to the triad. The consciousness, not necessarily even the brain, the heart, the intuitive part of you, facilitated by the brain, will increase the bridge of knowledge between that which is conscious and that which is innate, allowing you, very slightly at first, to have intuition about what's going on in your body. Slowly, generation after generation will show that human awareness is increasing about what is going on inside. You can count on them. The second one of the innate series is what animals have had that you don't. You have called it instinct. You're going to have a series, I would say, a series of discoveries that will show for the first time that human babies are going to start receiving the instinct of their parents. That is to say, human beings are born and the first thing they do is walk. In the animal kingdom, it's right away. In the human kingdom, it's not. Because that which is instinct is not working. The baby comes in helpless instead of instinctual. Innate will start crossing the bridge of instinct. What the mother knows will be passed to the child. Now, we are not going to talk out of turn here. There are a series of channelings we have given for what is called the sisterhood. The sisterhood represents those in Lemuria in a certain time frame, what we will call the last Pachukuri of Lemuria. And those channelings are public and you can hear them. So what I'm going to tell you now is not confidential. 
Because if you pass from innate to that which is happening to you corporally as a human being when you're born, you're also going to pass something else. You are in the womb of the mother, sharing the life's bloodstream for all of those months. And part of what you will have, therefore, in this increase is the increase in the mother's consciousness passed to you. Whether it's male or female, the compassion of the female mother will play a more important part because of this this instinct than ever before. And you will be born with a different attitude. My partner, I'm not really sure you said that correctly. The template is going to work so you're more compassionate. Could it be clearer? Then it's going to happen because instinct of that which is your mother is going to be part of you. And your mother's instinct is compassion. She's a female. And she's going to carry a different kind of consciousness for this planet. And the planet's going to change because of it. Clear? <laughs> Innate is responsible. There are so many. You're going to be more in touch with Akash. This is the third innate in the series. And the fourth attribute of the day. Perhaps it's even the fifth. (laughs) Depends how you count these. You're going to be more aware of the Akash. Right now, the Akashic record in your DNA is responsible for irritating you. (laughs) Because it's not working well. All you remember from your Akashic record are things that are dramatic. A past life drowning. A death. Carries over the veil when you're born for only one reason. Because it is the same level of consciousness you are. Human nature responds to death and drama. And that's what you get from the innate. Now you're about to grow up. And as this starts to grow, your Akash is going to pass the things that really, really made a difference. Some of the most beautiful experiences you've ever had, you'll dream about them. Oh, you're going to wake up and wish you hadn't because they were so good. And you'll start remembering them. They will shape what you do next. You'll remember celebration and joy and good things that took place with you. All this is a change in the way the Akash responds to the template. A compassionate template for an evolved human being. I'll call this the last one. You're going to have a greater relationship with Source. How can I tell you this? Right now, as you sit in the chair listening to me, there's a relationship. And it's not really a believable one, is it? You report to a room, a man sits in a chair... 
his consciousness leaves him and in his body there's a beautiful entity as you feel it. I say it's a brother, sister who comes and gives you instructions. That's your relationship. And for a, for a few minutes you might enjoy actually the feeling that I give you when I hold out my hand to you and say, let's Let's just join hands for a minute. You can talk to Creator, all right? That's going to change. Your relationship with that which is your higher self directly relating to that which is the creative source is something created by the template and the new innate. You're going to know who you are. And when you're born, and as you start to grow, there'll be no question that you're part of creation. How you treat it may be a mystery. What you do with it is your free choice, always free choice. But there'll come a day when you don't wonder if there's a God. You're going to wonder what part of it you are. And there are those who are so impatient because you've been there and done that and you know I'm right. And you can hardly wait. That's the new template. Oh, there's more. But for now, it's enough. This is what I want to give you. To some, it's far-fetched. For some, you'll have no proof of it while you're on earth. For some, for some, for some. Free choice and discernment and how you react to this message literally will shape what you do next how much power over your own life and your own body do you really think you have the more you believe you can change it the higher your DNA will cooperate with you and will do the things you tell it to dear ones that's how much power you have. I am crying. I will not tell you things that are not so. I know it's a double negative. I will always tell you things that are so. But I want you to know. There's no agenda. Except love. And that's a big one. <laughs> For it then defines the compassion of God which you are starting to assume. And so it is. Oh, and so it is. And I went a bit deep there. Okay. Bring yourself back here. Oh. I sign up for that. <laughs> the fact that we get to be here and do this part's mission is a gift. And uh about Regina Meredith, Rama. Okay. After surviving real life horror story 
Andrea Perron's life and books inspired Hollywood's bookseller series, The Conjuring and Amityville. Amityville. Amityville horror. Utilizing her past paranormal experiences, Perron pushed through the darkness in her life to find light. Eventually, uh, uh, eventually correcting her with higher beings, sharing her experiences with E.T.'s Perron details what she learned from her horrifying experiences and how to bring light into our world. That sounds like it was made for this day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And this will be 48 minutes, everyone. Are we ready? Yeah. Tegan says yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Mm-hmm. something beyond our mortal existence yes are we alone in the universe no he was looking into the future she was she looking was the into go- the past each one was a ghost to the other yes I just I love that and I could interact and relate with the spirits right. in an entirely different way right but that was also where I had my first conscious contact mm-hmm. with extraterrestrials but I do believe that I am here with purpose and reason at this specific time, and so are all the rest of us. I'm going to say something to you that I didn't intend to when I came here to the studio today, but I'm going to say it because I was just told to say it. Andrea Perrin has been with me here several times on Gaia, talking about her early life with poltergeists. There were some amazing takeaways, but today she's bringing us a more subtle but profound message that the time has arrived for us to embrace that we're only one species among many and we have more help than we can even imagine to grow to the next level if we will acknowledge it and accept it and so much more. Andrea, so good to see you again. Me too. Now, the last series of books, it was a tri- trilogy, House of Darkness, House of Light, and anyone who wants to see that can go to the Gaia archives because I have interviews with you on all of those but now we're going to move on because one of the things we brought up in that series of interviews is that you've also been a lifelong experiencer and contactee. So first, just a little tease for people who don't already know you about the fact that your family's life story was the basis for the first film, The Conjuring, which scared the bejesus out of everybody. Mm-hmm. So just talk a little bit about what that kind of what that dynamic did and how it spun the rest into motion for you. Well, you know as well as I do that most of humanity is, we're just fear-based carbon units. Uh, 
James Wan and those uh, producers working around making The Conjuring, which was based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, the paranormal mm-hmm. investigators and researchers, uh, is about 5% accurate. Uh, when James read my books, he's like, uh, no, oh, hell no. No, we cannot make this story. This will blow people right out of the theater. Nobody will stay to watch the movie. So what they did was they cherry-picked, the screenwriters cherry-picked the case files of the Warrens and my books, which I gave them permission to do, and they created their own third story, mm-hmm. which they considered, you know, palatable, mm-hmm. uh, based on, you know, the method and formula. You know how, how they were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they just, yeah. And if it sold before, then it'll sell again. But I'm grateful for the film, The Conjuring, not only because it was made with integrity, but, uh, and with, you know, enormous creativity. But my story, my trilogy, House of Darkness, House of Light, would absolutely be languishing in obscurity along with a million True. other books. Absolutely. Had it not been for that blockbuster film. And you know, there were some things that when I said there were takeaways for me, I still talk about with friends. Mm-hmm. There were two points in your books, two points that to me never went away. Mm-hmm. And one was that how these entities working from the other side that have yet to release themselves into the next level, how they work with the forces around, including electricity. And that fascinated me that they, when they manifested to attack your mom or whatever they were doing, your electric bills would go up. The meter would be spinning that they're manifesting through the electrical universe and water and water. And And I found that fascinating. The other one, I'm just going to say it briefly. We've got a lot to talk about in your new book. A wonder to behold was that your mother found herself looking into the dimension and time with another woman at the same dining table at the same place at the dining table with her family a hundred, 200 years before. And that woman turned and looked at her and they saw each other through time. Yes. That was incredible. That what, what happened was there were two men sitting at the table and they had pewter steins. Yes. In front of them, indicative of the 1700s yes. being outlawed in the 1800s as dinnerware. Yeah. Um, and they were sitting at the table and one man looked into the parlor and saw my mother standing yeah. on the hearthstone yeah. and he nudged the guy beside him and pointed her out and she was the ghost. So that was her That's moment what's ironic. epiphany. That yes. was like, pew. Like we're, we are living in, in dimensions that are literally able to integrate, even if it's just momentarily. He was looking into the future. She was she looking was the into go- the past. Each one was a ghost to the other. Yes. I just, I love that. I thought it was a woman at the table. I forgot it was men. Thank she you for the cooking, correction. Of course. Uh, yeah. I, I, Cause there, I knew there was a woman in that room. Anyway, but I just found that fascinating that it's all a matter of perception depending on the time space continuum, right? Right. Abs and dimensionality. So those are just a couple of takeaways for anyone who wants to go and read those books. It has not. Um, so let's get into the whole part that you brought up there of throughout this time. And then up through now, you're a different kind of person. Yes. You came from somewhere else, like some of my guests have. And you talked about your life as a contactee and experiencer. And I want to, if you'll go back into that a bit and bring us forward into everything we're going to discuss today, why that started being shown to you at an early age. I think that, and I think I'll always think this. When we moved to that farmhouse, that original colonial farmhouse, And I realized that I could see into what 
some describe as the fourth dimension, spirit. Um, it was disconcerting, but it was also comfortable. It was familial and familiar. It was the only place I've ever lived in my life that felt like home. It's the only permanent place on this earth for me. As where, painful and crazy as it was, it was home. Yeah, it was. And I could interact and relate with the spirits mm. in an entirely different way than my family could. Right. Um, but that was also where I had my first conscious contact mm-hmm. with extraterrestrials. And it was the most, that was my paradigm shift, my personal paradigm shift. And it happened three weeks ago, 50 years ago oh, really? in October. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the first year that we lived there. And I was outside alone. I don't understand how that happened. Being the eldest of five girls, I always had children, little sisters tethered to me. This was different. I was standing out in the front yard by myself. And an entire flotilla of ships passed over the uh, farmhouse. Now, I say that that's my first conscious contact because I feel absolutely certain that I've known since I had any self-awareness as a being that I was not from here. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was something different. I was playing fake it till you make it since the age of about three. Mm -hmm. Um, I came into this world with an innate ability to read music, to play musical instruments, to um, read well above my um, great well, level. I was reading Emerson's essays when I was eight years old mm-hmm. and absorbing it. Yeah. Um, Whitman, Thoreau, mm-hmm. uh, the metaphysical writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could talk to animals and have them talk to me in a way that I understood everything that they were saying or what their needs were. And then I started to realize that other people couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so that created kind of a cognitive dissonance, kind of a disparate um, separation for me where I felt very much alone, but I used that alone time to start to go a little deeper into my own consciousness and to explore it because it's a whole universe. Thank you for that, Andrea. I have to say we just stopped shooting for a second and have a little edit here because every time you come here, watches stop, lights blow, and there there's a contingent of beings around us that we you people aren't going to be able to see with their eyes, but they're here. You can feel them. And so strange stuff happens, so we have to stop a lot and do little edits as our lights blow and audio goes out. So we're back. We're back. (laughs) So now what I'd like to say is, okay, so you have that whole universe inside you. And in your book, Wonder to Behold, you talk about the fact that this started precipitating the need for almost a new kind of language among humanity, people that were starting to have these experiences, the work of Dr. John Mack and others. Yes. We have to create a whole new language to accommodate that we're, we may not be the only species in the universe. And you say a couple of those words are like star seed and empath. So this is to express what's beyond the, uh, the 5D world. So talk about that a little bit and what you started learning from that point forward. Well, I think that what's happened is we've had to expand the vernacular. Mm-hmm. We've literally had to create an extended language to accommodate our spiritual growth and our understanding 
as it burgeons about the oneness, the realization of oneness of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so what I refer to it, I refer to it in two different ways in the book, um, as higher love mm-hmm. and light language, mm-hmm. where words no longer have the same relevance uh, in terms of communication. And because I had that experience as a 13-year-old child, and I just turned 63, I am 50 years into this journey now. That it happened at the farm and that I, as a child, thought I was literally the only person on earth that just saw what I saw, which was not only one vessel, but an entire flotilla Uh of vessels pass over that property. Uh I know I had lost time. I know everything went completely silent. Even bird song, gone. There was nothing. But common, common to experience. But I didn't know. You didn't know any of it. And God knows there was not that much out there. I couldn't just run down to the library and start pulling out books on UFOs. They weren't written yet. Interestingly, my sisters, when I was writing House of Darkness, House of Light, they said, please don't talk about your little friends. (laughs) Why did they find that so difficult when everything else that was going on? Yeah, why did they find that difficult? The logical question, yeah. which I asked was, oh, so you think I'll be taken more seriously Instead of writing about spirit <laughs> and ghosts, dead people, than talking about the sentient, prescient beings that are circumnavigating this globe in numbers that we can't even wrap our minds around, mm-hmm. and you think I'll be taken more seriously mm-hmm writing about dead people <laughs> than living beings who, who are here to help us with our forward momentum as right. a species. And their answer was yes. Okay, well, you ignored them. Thank goodness. So well, well yeah. no, I didn't, actually. There's nothing at all about extraterrestrials in the trilogy. We, I, I wrote I a whole about entire it, camera book. after it was yes, released. Yes, we did. Yes. There was nothing in there. I left it out. That's true. Um, even though they were absolutely correlated and integrated. But then five years later, I wrote A Wonder to Behold, yeah. which encompasses and incorporates all of my experiences um, as a contactee. Right. And this is really, um, I, I, okay, I'm going to be view, interviewing another woman tomorrow, two other women that are mediums. They're mediums. Two beings on the other side have passed over and between communications between people. And one thing they say, which is very relevant to what you're, you're talking about, and I talked about it in the open, is that we are surrounded by beings interdimensionally that are here to watch, to assist, um, to be able to help us cognitively even and spiritually and emotionally just like what's in the studio right now you bring a contingent of them with you i was dial in before the interview and they're everywhere i thought man this place is crowded so they're all here and we all have them around us to help us lift into something so let's talk about the nature of this multi-dimensional universe and these beings from other places what they're here to help us learn and do from your perspective now well I do travel with my own security detail. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Yep. Um, especially so at 30,000 feet and, and up. My mother worries constantly. She's like, you travel too much? You're on planes. I'm like, mom, I'm in the safest yeah. seat yeah. in the sky. Okay. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen to me. 
because I came to the realization that I am here on a mission. I came to the realization that I have a job to do, that I'm part of the ground crew. Mm -hmm. But even though I understand now that I am in this place, I am not of this place. Right. Mm -hmm. If you were, you wouldn't be blowing our lights. So, okay. So let's get into these multidimensional species. Also, just a plethora of third dimensional species also within the universe that are capable of projecting themselves here through technology and your interaction with them and what they're asking of you and what they're offering humanity. They're not really offering humanity anything but enlightenment. Mm -hmm. They can't do it for us. Mm -hmm. It's the shortest chapter in my new book. (laughs) It's also the most profound. Mm -hmm. It's called The Chicken and the Egg. And about four or five years ago, I'd been working, writing a screenplay, working very late at night. I went to bed. And I normally go out between 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning and speak with my galactic family, sing to them. That's how I interact with them, through song. Uh, but not that night. I was tired. And I went to bed, and all of a sudden I got a nudge, like a physical yeah. nudge. Yeah. Get up. Well, it was the middle of January in Florida. I was freezing to death. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, not tonight, not tonight. And then I got a push. Mm-hmm come out. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know why they couldn't do what they did while I was still in the house, but I went outside and I was aggravated because I had to put my slippers on and a rope. Mm-hmm. You know, Florida. An inconvenience. Yes. Yeah. And I went out to the middle of the driveway and I just looked up and I said, what is it? And in that moment, a light a thousand times brighter than the one that's focused on me right now went off here. And I was suddenly 12 years old again. Mm. I was back with my mother and my sisters and my father at a chicken farm in Connecticut, close to the border where our farm was in Rhode Island. And the farmer's wife had taken all of us into an area where they were allowing some of the chicks to be born. So there was this long incubator, I guess, for lack of another word, where all the eggs were separated. And I'm standing there, and and a couple of them were moving. And then I saw this tiny little beak come (laughs) pop through. Mm -hmm. And I went over to crush the egg to release the baby chick. Mm -hmm. And my mother gently released and pulled my hand back, and she said, Oh, no, honey, you can't crack the egg, because if you do, the baby will die. I was mortified through sheer ignorance. I almost claimed the life of a baby chick because I didn't know better until my mother taught me that lesson. So this is a metaphor for that humanity. That was the metaphor. Yes. And that's what they gave me that yeah. night. Wow. I didn't see anything moving in the sky. I did not have any kind of visible contact with a vessel. I got that instant of that message and I went back in. And I opened up my computer and I sat and I wrote the treatise, The Chicken and the Egg. Because you see, what I needed to relearn from a lesson that I learned well as a 12-year-old was that you can help someone so much that they can no longer help themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what I came to 
by having them give that long forgotten lesson a reboot in soul school where the test always precedes the lesson was explain that the amount of energy that is required for that baby chick to peck its way out of its three-dimensional shell is equivalent the amount of energy and strength that will require to exist on the outside of the shell mm-hmm. and if you do the work for it it will perish mm-hmm. and that is our lesson and that was the message that's a beautiful metaphor very apropos so now we look at some of the as you say the what's being offered is a chance for enlightenment and that means many things to many people but it means to wake up it does many beings from many dimensions that we call guides they can be ets they can be interdimensionals are here and they're there for our for the asking asking for help and really it's up to us to come to that dawn of awakening where we're ready to ask for what we need to make this um transition to transition to this higher awareness That's each right. one of us has to go through that in our in our own time and peck our way out of that yes. shell and once we have there are beings galore waiting to help us. And here they are. And here they are. And you talk about um, the fact that these species may have created us. Some of these species may have even been partly our creators. I see it in a very similar way. It certainly tweaked us in the beginning. Let's talk about that. This is hard for some people. This is very hard for a lot of people because... Our belief system, I mean, even atheists have a belief system. They believe there is no such thing as God. Uh-huh. Our belief systems, I think, function as the jet fuel uh-huh. for our cognitive development. We rely on them. It's what makes sense to us. It's what we are indoctrinated in at it, it, usually a very early age. And most people either grow with it or outgrow it. Uh-huh. But it becomes a part of us. And so one of the reasons why I've heard from inside the community of people who research UFOs, UAPs, you know, whatever you want to call them, I call them my galactic family. They say the reason that disclosure is not occurring is because of the fear, again, fear that it will fracture belief systems and it will undo the power structure. What the real fear is, is that the power structure and the people that are or perceive themselves to be in control, there's nobody's in control, but they think they're in control. I consider it disingenuous for them to say that they're concerned that humanity can't handle this. Yes, we can. And we don't need them for disclosure. Sorry, it's, it's already happened. And we are the point of disclosure. You yeah. and me and mm-hmm. countless others mm-hmm. who have had the experiences and who are courageous enough to speak our truth regardless of the consequences for it. I have no fear of the government. I have no fear of any single individual that might find what I'm saying disconcerting. Because I am the light. I have learned through my experiences as a child. I have seen the dark side of existence. I learned to live in the light. It repels 
anything that is evil or negative from me. And all of us, if I'm capable of that, all of us are capable of that. And so I have no fear in terms of recounting my stories, my experiences. They're far more than stories. What I need to implore people to do is to go within and look within. And if COVID gave us a gift, it was that time to feel the ground beneath our feet and the grass between our toes and take a few moments to look up into this boundless, ever-expanding universe. From my perspective, there are only two important questions for us on this plane of action at this time. One is, is there something beyond our mortal existence? Yes. Are we alone in the universe? No. No. I think that it is incumbent upon us now in terms of our own spiritual evolution to determine who we are, where we come from, why we are here, and what is our purpose. And I truly believe, you know, there's a, a huge quantum leap between belief and knowledge. I am mm-hmm. coming from a place of knowledge, mm-hmm. but I do believe that I am here with purpose and reason at this specific time, and so are all the rest of us, so that we can literally find our way out of the darkness into the light, find our way to a higher level of consciousness, to higher love, to a deeper understanding of the purpose of our being. Mm -hmm. We're not just here to live and die and keep a roof over our heads and make money. No, it's much greater than that. It is entirely spiritual. Most communication is telepathic. It's all about consciousness and the realization of oneness. And when we reach that point, and that's why I'm here, when we reach the point that we understand that everything is energy, that everything is one thing, that existence is shared, and that we are all here to support each other, then perhaps that will be the turning point where we stop mutilating each other and killing the planet that we live on. And that's why I'm here with you today. And that's the message of the House of Light. Now, let's go to the house of darkness for a moment because we have these interfaces with various species, many, many different species. Mm -hmm. You have your galactic family, other people have theirs, and then you've got marauders. I mean, you have a little bit of everything. This is a vast universe and this planet is of great interest. So for a moment, let's talk about technology, you know, seeding of technology. I did an interview with John Warner the fourth. His dad was John Warner the third, who was a five-time senator. And, you know, he's talked about, growing up among these circles that have kind of hierarchy to it. He said, but what people don't understand is at the top, we think it's just a cast of humans. At the very top, the hierarchy actually is E.T. That was his statement. Mm -hmm. At the very top, that kind of runs this show even. Well, that's disconcerting to people, unless your best interest is at heart, right? right? So let's get into the technological part of the game because you have said, this time is critical because we can do exactly what you just spoke of, which is time to understand our purpose here and move into the light, our own light in each one of us and together. 
And then you have another agenda playing out at the same time. And yes. I think we need to talk about it. We do. And there are ETs attached to that one as well. Yes, there are. Um, I, as I said earlier, I already believe that disclosure has occurred. Mm-hmm. I think people are handling it very well for Absolutely. the most part. I mean, you know, when I look Churches back Churches may not like it, but he, people are doing fine. People are doing fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's fracturing people's belief systems. And in fact, I think. think it's solidifying them and the power brokers who really only seek to protect their own power. Uh, that's really all they care about. The common denominator being greed, power, power and profit. That's yes. It. Um, you know, there needs to be a crisis of conscience mm-hmm. on this planet. They somehow think they can take it with them. That's the most shocking thing of all. Don't understand me. that. Yeah. I cannot comprehend it. Um, I, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around so much of what's going on. The cognitive dissonance, the shredding of what Dolores Cannon referred to as, uh, the shredding of old and new earth. There is so much, we are at a pivotal time in the evolution of humanity and we could just as easily fail as succeed here. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the influences that take us down the road of technology versus spirit. And everyone watching this understands how this is playing out in the world mm-hmm. to one degree or another. Right. Let's talk about how you understand it playing out. AI being part of it. And it's a complex subject. It is a complex subject, but it's also simplistic in in that this was inevitable. There was going to come a point where, first of, let me first, first of all, let's dispel some fear here. Okay, if Stephen Hawking's final treatise said, yes, they're here, but don't talk to them. We don't know what their intentions are. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what he left us with yeah. prior to his death. That was disappointing to me mm-hmm. because that was fear-based yes. as well. If he had spoken with them, then he would know that they posed no threat. Right. The thing that upsets me and angers me is that the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about is coming to full fruition now in terms of uh, vilifying and creating a threat that does not exist. Mm-hmm. I saw the footage from the Nimitz. Mm-hmm. They were playing with us. Mm-hmm. They were making their presence known. Not That's a threat. All that, no, not no a threat. threat. Okay, and here's the thing. Here's the logic. They've been here forever. If they wanted to enslave us, they could have done it uh, millennia absolutely. ago. And then, when I lecture about this, I usually have my smartphone sitting off to the side with a couple of notes in it. And then I pick up my phone and say, gee, how enslaved do you feel? (laughs) Your face is always buried in this. Put it down. Look up. You know, this is a tool. It is not the main focus of your life. Facebook is not the end-all, be-all of your existence. Please put this down and look up. Go to the ocean, feel the sand get trapped between your toes, feel the clouds and the wind above you, become integrated with this beautiful place 
before it perishes from existence and we will be the ones responsible for that. It is very disconcerting to me and I spend a great deal of time in reflection, anxiety, sometimes depression, because I realize that we are on the precipice of our own destruction. And frankly, my darling Regina, I don't have that much faith in humanity. But you know what was interesting, Andrea? COVID. Yeah. I remember Wait, because I, go, I went out during COVID the whole time. I was yeah. out every day. I yeah. never stayed home. I was out going somewhere every day and watching the world. And I was on a four-lane freeway and sometimes would be the only car in the morning. Yeah. It was surreal. But what we all noticed is everything started coming back. The skies started clearing. The animals started coming back into, uh, coming out to play, coming into neighborhoods again. All these wonderful incidences of, of fish repopulating certain streams even. And I think that has to do a lot with the lack of air traffic. We, we won't get into that. But the point is, Earth is plenty creative. She can fix herself in a flash. Look how short that window was. That short window allowed yeah. for a hole over the Arctic to close. Yes, that's and, how creative the Earth is. People living in India could see the Himalayas for the first time yes. in their lives. Wasn't that amazing, though? Everything stopped, and we got to see who she was, yes. this incredible creativity in rebirthing. But it also gave some people pause for thought. Do we want to go, to go down that road we were on before? Like you said, it was a great pause. And so now those same forces that were there before that profit from all of this and profit from fear, which we're going to get into in just a moment. They're still there. They're still there and they're still going to try to exploit. But look at what's happening. The great resignation in America. People are saying, I don't want to be part of these stupid jobs anymore. I don't want to be part of the machine anymore. <laughs> there is a consciousness that's happening. Yay! So maybe I'm a little more optimistic about what humans might become, what we might choose. You might be less optimistic. It's not that I'm less optimistic. I think we're running out of time. The reason I'm so disgusted yeah. right now is that the climate thing going on, you know, the blah, blah, blah. You know, I really... Somebody needed to invite me into that room. And I'll tell you what, I talk about a come to Jesus meeting. Well, <laughs> I'll you, show you the, come to Jesus The interesting meeting. thing is you and others who have had contact experience over and over and over again, I've interviewed so many people and read so many books, are shown the same thing. you got to take care of this beautiful planet. We're all here because we're interested in it. We're trying to help you protect it to the degree they can or they can interfere or not or help, whatever. And um, it's always this message of you need to take care of your host, this beautiful planet, over and over. We're the only animal on this planet that fouls its own nest. Yeah. We yeah. are the pestilence on this planet. Yeah. And perhaps this massive die-off that is occurring is happening with greater purpose and reason because it is a wake-up call in its own right we must, must get control. And control isn't even the right word. We must come into a greater awareness that we are all correlated and integrated, that each one of us is a filament in a bizarre, complicated tapestry, and that every time one of those filaments 
is yanked from this piece of artwork, it alters the artwork. It doesn't have to be the way that it is. We can live in continuity. We can live in peace with our environment. We can even, the thing that aggravates me so much is the people that say, well, we need to develop new technologies so that we can clean the air and we can desalinate the ocean as everything melts and we're going to have all the sex. We already have all the technology that we need and the power structure has buried it in a vault and thrown away the key (laughs) until they can figure out a way to monetize it. That's what keeps me up at night. That's what makes my head blow off. And I feel that's where I fail to have faith in humanity, not the common human being that's just trying to get by from day to day and raise their family and give their children a better chance. It's the ones that are in control as they perceive it, who are seeking to the climate meeting. There was no, we need to reverse course. Now it came out. We need to cut down on our coal use. No, it was, it was all over all in all. It was pathetic. They should have, Save the fuel on the private jets to That's get right. there and stayed home. That's right. It was a waste of time. It was a joke. It was a, it joke. Was a shame on you moment yeah. for humanity. Yeah. I am so unimpressed. I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell. I'm going to say something to you that I didn't intend to when I came here to the studio today. But I'm going to say it because I was just told to say it. Mm-hmm. Since I was a child, I have been having the same recurring dream. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what the setting was when I began having this dream. I was probably four or five. And the building actually turned out, I found out later, Mm -hmm. to be the United Nations General Assembly. Mm. Oh, my. And I'm in this room, but not visible in my dream. And the dream is always exactly the same, always. And through the ceiling comes floating down into the center of this room of predominantly men. Mm. And it's she, it's a, it's a physical, it's a non-physical entity, a form of white light, mm-hmm. but I know it's female. And she drops down into the center of the room and she spins and everyone goes silent, completely silent. Mm-hmm. What she's doing while she's spinning is she speaking to each one of them in their own language? Mm-hmm. And what she is saying that I can hear is that we love you and we honor you, but the decision has been made that humanity is a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. And so from this point on, you will no longer be able to reproduce. <gasps> we love you and we honor you and your species will go on elsewhere at another time. And then she retracts from the room. Wow. And you've had this your whole life. My whole life. Well, we know what's happening with fertility rates on this planet. So the replacement population is already starting to decrease and certainly in the Western world. And so it might be that that was, well, it appears it was quite prescient and has held up in terms of uh, bearing out in statistically even in the world today 
And so then we have to look at this thing you mentioned a little while ago, this what Dolores Cannon said. And this is the same thing I was told now almost 40 years ago mm-hmm. by my being, my family of beings. Mm-hmm. And that is it was always known the time would come when the diversity of consciousness on the planet would be so great that the two general groups of people would not benefit from living side by side any longer. And it was learning baby lessons, which is you don't torture, you don't steal, you don't rape. These are basic kindergarten lessons versus people who are embracing and trying to figure out how to lift their frequencies and their knowledge base and live in peace and harmony with one another. They don't, that doesn't work well together anymore. And they said there has been another creation all along another earth that has been created over a very long period of time for this time to take the inhabitants of earth and the earth experiment, inadvertent experiment, Mm -hmm. and give each their own place and their own domain among like-minded beings so that the uh, evolution can happen more quickly. Mm -hmm. This is very similar to what Dolores Cannon's people call what you call, and you've seen as well, this shredding of the two earths. Let's talk about that because for me, now I'm a glass half-full person, I see that as, okay, we're at the shredding point. That's happening. Mm-hmm. But there is no reason if the shredding continues and the consciousness continues rising upward on Earth that we can't have a renewed Earth and a renewed species. Absolutely. And that's why I feel that you and I are both doing our good work. You can't just wake up and then not do anything about it. You have to put feet on the ground, and we are part of the ground crew. Mm -hmm. You and I have a very specific job to do, and many others, very much like us, millions of people are contactees. We don't need anyone in authority to tell us that we are not alone in the universe. We are the credible people with incredible experiences that we are willing to share. So you can either believe us or not. We're not here to convince or coerce anyone. But when we get to the point when we can no longer hear each other, and I'm talking about the disparate factions. We can't hear each other anymore. We can't hear each other. All we can do is shout each other down. All we can do is argue. All we can do is trigger and fight, and and anger is the trigger. Um, So let's talk about that, and let's talk about the role. We have the role of fear. Well, fear informs. It does inform. It does. It helps us. Let's talk about fear informing before we go to faith. Because believe it or not, we didn't get to half the stuff as usual. We're almost out of time. So let's talk about fear and how fear informs us. And if we're in fear, what we can learn from that fear. I think that we are fear-based carbon units for a reason. And as our DNA restructures and with crystalline light, which is happening, I don't know if you see it, but I see the light grid. Mm-hmm. They're all around us. They are just, you know, it's it's kind of like passive-aggressive behavior going on, you know. Yes, I know. I hear you. Um, that they're helping and yet not interfering. It's up to us to have the awareness. But fear does play a function in it. And the thing that as I travel around the country and even the world, um, I try to implore people to think about is that fear is a tool, it is a function, it is an emotion. But when you relinquish your personal power to it, you live a half-life. Rather than letting it simply inform you of what needs attention. It is that little tap on the shoulder. Don't get in that car with him. Don't go down that alley. Mm -hmm. It's your visceral, instinctive, 
warning system. But when you turn over your being to it, then it ceases to be a tool. It begins to manipulate your own consciousness. Love is the answer to every single question. Higher love can be attained by connecting with the galactic family. When you get to that point and you're struggling every day to swim against the current in this thing called life, what we need to do is just embrace that fear. Thank it. Thank it for every single time it ever saved you from your That's health. right. Give us from the making alert. a horrible decision. Yes. yes. And just embrace it. And by doing so, you disempower it. And by doing so, instead of swimming against the current, you flip over and float. Mm -hmm. Because what humanity has yet to ascertain, but is the truth at the core of everything, is that the journey itself is the destination and the universe knows. It does know the way. We know the way. Our highest being, our highest aspect of self does know the way. We just don't listen. Can we just learn that? Can we listen? Can we embrace that and listen? I agree with you. Um, let's talk about faith for just a moment before we say goodbye. Because that is an essential... <laughs> Every that time is, I'm I know, with you. I know you, I know you get beclumped. I do. <laughs> I can't help it. So let's talk about faith. Let's talk about where faith comes in. We let fear inform us. Faith is a different thing. That we have to bring all of ourselves to the table to say, I have faith. And that's not blind faith. It's actual faith in the principles that we're talking about. Yes. These things do win in the end. It takes time, maybe, but we, as, as we continue to develop these aspects of ourselves that are moving into the light, and I mean the light in the true sense of the words, then this game is going to change. It's going to change for the good. I think it's going to change for the good, it but we have to have faith in times that look chaotic and dark. Talk about faith for a moment. It's what keeps me going. Yeah. It's what gets me up every morning as I take a cup of coffee out onto the terrace, and I say, Thank you for coming. You know, thank you. Gratitude. If we can hold gratitude in our hearts yes. for each other and for the, the beauty of this universe that we dwell within, you know, we are beginning to ascertain who we are, where we come from, and why we are here. These are eternal questions now, I'm not saying we're supposed to have the answer to every mystery of life. I think that it's okay to just have faith that the mystery has intrinsically an answer that we might not get this time around in soul school. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's still there. But it it's that driving force that keeps us curious, that keeps us fascinated, and most importantly, keeps us on our spiritual ascension. If we can maintain that forward momentum, this global wave of consciousness raising, the rising to the occasion of the paradigm shift will be enough to lift, up, lift us up out of the morass of the darkness and bring humanity into the light. And I have to maintain that faith. Or I wouldn't want to be here anymore. Well, you probably wouldn't be here, honestly, because you've yeah. had your little, you know, close calls. So, and again, 
I think for every one of us, the antidote is almost always the intrinsic uh, beauty of nature and Mother Earth herself. And I, I just love that COVID window where she just started healing and dancing and expressing herself in joy. And so for us to do the same, to enjoy the earth, to appreciate her, to, like you say, get, get a little bit of sand between your toes, sit under a tree. I think that right now that will, along with having faith that we can guide ourselves forward is the most beautiful thing we can do for all concerned. As as we observe the external, we internalize. Mm -hmm. And in those moments where we close our eyes and just say, what is that? We understand that the light is within each and every one of us. Absolutely. Andrea, thank you so much. And I'm sorry that I make you cry or our conversations make you cry, but it's, it's, I'm ex- I expect that now. So yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for continuing to have faith. And you know what? Thank you for sharing that dream. I have never told anybody about that. Thank you for sharing the dream. It may not be a pleasant thing to hear, but it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. No, it's a forewarning. Yes. That's what it is. And so thank you for sharing it because it's been persistent throughout your life. Yes. Okay, until the next book. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Andrea's new book is titled A Wonder to Behold and goes deeper into every single thing we spoke of. Meanwhile, we have a couple of other lively discussions in the Gaia archives you can enjoy. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Oh boy, right on time everybody. Wow. Yeah. Well this one is from uh the fourth of March that we didn't play, so let's go back into that archive of Regina Meredith. This one's called Economic Illusions and Truths. <clears throat> How have economics transformed over the last few years? Starting in 2020, the world has shifted dramatically in myriad ways, especially affecting individuals mentally and fiscally. Zeus Yamayanis, Ph.D., is a university professor turned author and counselor offering aid and insight regarding these turbulent and transformative times. I'm taking time to find it. Uh, it's m- m- March 4th. Yeah, I'm getting there. By supporting our local communities and each other. He says, we are investing in the future of the world. That is absolutely the truth. Rama's um, looking carefully. The first name is Zeus. Yeah. Yamagianus. Mm. Well. Um, <laughs> That's okay. You you take your time. Yeah, yes. <clears throat> I can reread what Kepacha said today. <clears throat> Let's do that. There's two ways to go, and I have to choose. To become a victim or a knight, I need to engage and focus my will. 
in order to get it right. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was the last. That was the next word. All right, Rama found it. <laughs> Magic <laughs> is afoot. Goddess is alive. Here we go. <laughs> okay, and this is forty-nine minutes, everybody. <laughs> is no longer the market itself or any fundamental bearings. Yeah, it's the, the wealthiest in the world, and so that is what's really calling the shots now. So there's a problem with integrity and viability for the generations to come while you're serving yourself. We have to be able to get beyond that mentality. But for the most part, if we have a decent relationship. like it when somebody is helping us and we like to help somebody else. We have an economy that's doing the opposite. We can't buy into that programming at the metaphysical level. We have to make our stand. And that's what we need to focus on. How can we yes. bring that pragmatism together with that much more fulfilling, cosmically oriented big everything right. and pull our energy away from that very low level, right. global sort of elite big everything. And we do it through the local. We do it through relationships. That heart-based healing is what is important. In Zeus Shamayanis' 2013 book, Transforming Economy, he said we are entering a time of lawlessness in our economic structures. This means that the fundamentals we've been investing by for decades would no longer apply. Well, this has come to pass. So what does apply in today's post-COVID and some would say ravaged economy? You look at some mainstream outlets, oh, everything's looking good. You go to the store, whoa, what happened to all the products? Right. So there is a huge disconnect in terms of what we're witnessing on the ground and seeing among people compared to what they're reporting on MSNBC. Right. <laughs> and you, can I read something, Zeus, you, sure. that you gave me from Charles of Two Minds? That was, that was my quote. That was your quote. Yeah. Oh, that, uh, in, that he posted in Of Two Minds. Right. This, this is really important. Mm -hmm. It says markets are no longer markets at all or even casinos. They're clearing houses for transfers of wealth from the many to the few. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a person watching this that doesn't get that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. go ahead and, and open it up with your comments before we get into what happened during the bailouts. Well, let's look at what did happen from the last interview on Guy. We showed a chart where literally the assets, the uh, revenues were tanking and the market was going uh, way up. Mm -hmm. As drastically as, as, as revenues were going down, the market itself was going up. And that's that came, wrong. <laughs> that, that was wrong. 
we knew that something was wrong there. We'll talk a little bit about what's golden dollars as well right. with regard to that. But what ended up happening was that because an overwhelmingly uh, overwhelming amount of those stocks mm-hmm. is owned by the very wealthy, um, the, the the money that was lent out to address COVID right. all went into hedge funds in Wall Street and not Main Street. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Well, we are. That's important. That's yeah. for that bailout. If anybody is paying, was paying attention, right. when those first bailouts came in 2020, mm-hmm. the first 1.4 trillion right. went to Wall Street. Right. Not to the people, not for any social services, not for medical corporations in Wall Street. Yeah. Big corporations. And now they can leverage that to a factor of four or five. So you basically gave them an infusion of liquidity mounting to anywhere from Four to seven trillion dollars. Well, this is shown in yeah. how much their wealth has grown over the last year and a half. Exactly. Skyrocketing while everyone else is tanking. Not yeah. everyone, but a lot of the top sectors. billionaires alone. Mm-hmm. We're talking a handful of people, 400 families, billionaires, are making trillions. Yes. During the, the biggest downturn. Since the Great are, Depression. Since the Great Depression. Now, let me ask you something, Zeus. Did that mirror the Great Depression? Was there extreme wealth that was being leveraged during the Great Depression? No. It wasn't the same. No, you, the reason why you had so many yeah. people committing suicides off their Wall Street buildings. Because they were being bailed out. <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were tanking. I yeah. mean, m- much of the monetary policy we had now was ostensibly sold to prevent the kinds of huge swings. Mm-hmm. The Central Reserve was only, uh, it was in 1907, some, something in, in that order. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1907, I think it started in 1913. 13, Federal Reserve. Yeah. Was, was officially formed, yeah. but the, you know, the Jekyll Island and the, yeah, yeah. The, the behind the scenes happened a few years before that. But what that turned into was a guarantor and it was formed by the very elite in society for their wealth. They were not going to be caught with their pants down again, mm-hmm. even if they're, because they're the ones owning a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What they were going to do is create a system that could quote stabilize the economy, but who did it end up helping? Well, we know that. Right. As that has evolved to this post-COVID economy, literally trillions just got siphoned out of Main Street, went to Wall Street, to corporations. And as you said, what happened with that money that was supposed to be used to pump up the infrastructure, help retain jobs for those who were on the margin, mm-hmm. uh, even within those corporations, a lot of it went back into into buying back their own stocks yes. right. to give an illusion mm-hmm. of the company's growth, but it was all an illusion. Right. But let me ask you this. It was an illusion. They were buying back their own stocks, but since, A, a lot of people weren't aware of it, so if you have people investors, which Mm -hmm. compared to algorithm investment, Mm -hmm. how does that work with algorithms when it appears a company has just raised their value because all of these stocks trades in it, it's in-house trading? How does that work with algorithms? Well, the, the market only responds to demand. It doesn't ask for what the quality yeah. of that demand or whether or not it's funny money or if it's real money saved from real people. Real, real so the investors. algorithms are buy, buy, buy. Well, a lot of these algorithms, including high-frequency trading, are built to purposely manipulate the market mm-hmm. by either selling a lot or selling shorts where you don't even have it, but you create a signal to the market right. that it's right. being sold so you depress it yeah. so that, that you can win a bet going down. Yeah. They're doing the same thing going up. I call it naked long buying instead yeah. of naked short selling. Right. Where you literally get zero interest money, infinite money almost, 
to buy up your own stocks and other stocks in the market. And the Fed has even sent a signal that they're willing to buy up stocks themselves in order to keep the stock market afloat, regardless of what value it has. That's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. It doesn't have any fundamentals to it. But if you pump money, whether it's funny money, whether it's printed money or it's real money, the market responds the same. The same. So you said also that for the first time in its 107-year history, they began buying up non-investment-grade junk bonds. Yep. So they weren't even buying real, I mean, valuable assets at all. No, the whole point of a market, and we'll talk about how other ways in which the traditional market has completely fallen has become a joke. Right. Okay, is that you have risk, okay? People talk about moral hazard, like if you don't punish people that have invested unwisely, then they'll go ahead and they'll take advantage more and more and, mm-hmm. and use kind of a crooked or unbalanced system. But that's an example of exactly how the market is broken. Right. A market is supposed to reward risk, and you're supposed to have your own money behind it. Just like an entrepreneur, if you win, you win. You lose, you lose. You learn, you mm-hmm. move on, and you get better at it, and you go back. Now there is basically a, a policy over the government and the Fed, and this is not just true in the United States, but the whole world over, to never allow a bear market again. So literally, we will lower interest rates to zero for 12 years. We will pump money in, whatever it takes. We'll buy up non-investment-grade junk bonds, the very thing that you invest in because they're high risk, high return, and the very thing you should never have a guarantee on, they're now guaranteeing it because their their constituency is no longer the market itself or any fundamental. bearings, yeah. It's the, the wealthiest in the world. And the wealthiest in the world aren't loyal to a particular country right. anymore. They're loyal to their pocketbook. They're loyal to, in some sense, each other, though there are some rivalries. Right. And and so that is what's really calling the shots now. And so this allows the wealthy not only to have these incredible gains in their portfolios mm-hmm. and have all that wealth siphoned upward or downward mm-hmm. to them, and at the same time, when they need to make a purchase, they use debt. Right. They don't use their own money. Yep, that's another way in which the market has become corrupted mm-hmm. and so distorted as to not be a market anymore. Mm-hmm. Now what we have, because of zero interest rate money, and it's been going on for 12 years now, right? stealing trillions from mom, pop American, okay, and around the world, okay, 12 years at zero interest rate, stealing trillions, but it allows them to go ahead and not only buy up their own stocks, and that stocks and other companies and unlimited, but also to get into massive debt because they don't have to pay any money on that debt. Right? So now, now they can literally, this is why Jeff Bezos and these guys don't pay any income taxes. Right? Right. They allow the assets of the companies they own, like Amazon for Jeff Bezos, et cetera, to continue to raise in value because it's being inflated by funny money being mm-hmm. thrown into there and trillions of dollars flowing into the market, which will only make it go up. And then they take debt at zero interest rate or near zero interest rate to buy up, pay for things. And then they can take that off their taxes uh-huh. so they don't pay any taxes. It, you know, when, when people listen to this initially, when we'll get around to the yeah. part that will become our responsibility as human beings, mm-hmm. but it's very depressing because yeah. the game is so rigged. There's right. literally 
I mean, now there are some people watching right now that say, yeah, but you know, I stayed in the stock market and I'm doing pretty well right now. Right. So that, that for some people is like, it's working for me. And, and I would challenge those people. The, the retirement generation, what I would call the retirement generation, and those could be young people who made out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Look at the integrity of what you're doing. They say, okay, well, somebody's got to do it and the market's going. And if it's a rigged game, then we should all pile into it. Mm-hmm. And, and even cybercurrency is falling under this. And what's interesting, what's happening right now, is that gold is going up. The dollar is going up. Stocks are going up. Bonds are going up. And cybercurrency is going up. These are all supposed to go opposite and yet, in a real market. Right. And you go on the street and you yeah. see all these strip malls with for lease yeah. shuttered up, boarded yeah. up, for lease signs on them, yeah. for rent signs on them. Yeah. You see the products in the stores, the inventory shrinking and Across the board in almost every kind of uh, retail outlet now. Exactly. And there's a phony wealth effect. What the marginal investors, let's say upper middle class Mm -hmm. Americans are seeing, especially nearing retirement, my stocks are looking great. doesn't look like they can ever fail. They take a look around. Is there truth in that, though? There is truth in that. Because when the Fed says we'll even buy up stocks, and they brought up junk bonds, which are, you know, <laughs> which are outrageous and complete violation of any kind of self-regulating economy. Then you, the, the fix is in. Right. And so people have some money. They're saying, well, if the fix is in, I'm going to get my chunk of pie. Right. If they're going to buy up stocks and make sure that this never goes down, then why wouldn't I just buy up stocks? And why wouldn't they? And gold and everything else. It's all going to go up. Why wouldn't they? Right, when you can print trillions and just flow it into all of those markets and the ones that usually counter each other, now they're all going the same direction. Hey, hey, hey. But again, I see it a lot like a fisherman who says, all the fish are being depleted in this ocean. I better go out and get mine real quick so I can feed my family. Right. And what you're doing is you're destroying the entire ecosystem of the ocean. So there's a problem with integrity and viability for the generations to come while you're serving yourself. We have to be able to get beyond that mentality. Oh, and we're going to spend the last part of the show talking about what we can do to get past that mentality because mm-hmm. it's very tempting when you're feeling kind of the wheels come off yeah. you know, all around you. Sure. Uh, maybe you've even um, been forced to retire early or mm-hmm. lost your job. Sure. But, hey, those markets are still working for you. Mm-hmm. Why would anyone say, I'm going to pull out? Right. They wouldn't. Right. In this world today, there's right. so much insecurity. But you're saying, but pause and think about it and plan for the next stage. Right. And as we're going to focus on this, where we're going to move with integrity going forward. And that's the big We're going to lay out a lot of the lack of integrity. But let's let's talk a little bit about how integrity has been dishonored and sacrificed. Well, let's do that. In those three areas. Those three myths, yes. And then I want to get into, because you've already said Mm -hmm. everything's going up. Those were like checks and balances before. The market went down, gold went up. You know, it was very predictable until, what, five, ten years ago? Yep. Something happened. It's like, wait a minute, how do you even... Even just in the last few years. Even in the last few years, even more so. Okay, so... Let's go into that because I want to talk about a little business in Sacramento and what happened Yes, as a result of this whole COVID thing that right. is just heartbreaking to yeah. everybody. Yeah. So, so let's go into the three well, minutes. Well, a good example of this, okay? You, you'll talk a little bit more about the business. But the three things that had always worked for people that work for him, that work for Main Street, small mm-hmm. businesses, and what we've always been preached for hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. So since the founding of this country, which was the three things that will advance you economically. Hard work, education, and savings. Those have always been the standards. 
of a successful, responsible citizen. And many people watching this right now are saving money to make sure their kids can go to a decent college mm-hmm. so they can come out and get an expected decent job. Right. And here's what we have. The reality is this. With regard to working hard, we now have a minimum wage that hasn't been raised in 12 years. Yeah. It's Some states are more than invention. double what it is now, and yeah. it still wouldn't have kept up with the cost of living. Right. Still $7.25, or maybe it raised at seven eighty five. I don't know, but it's under $8, mm-hmm. way, way below. And we have downsizing corporations who reward their, quote, hard workers and good workers with getting the workload of the person they just downsized dumped on them. Mm-hmm. So they get to work twice as hard for the same amount of money in order to make that corporation and their stockholders that much more money. Mm-hmm. They are not. The productivity since the 1970s has leveled off. It used to go, you would get paid in compensation with your productivity, marched lockstep for decades. Mm-hmm. And then right around the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. uh, late 70s and early 80s, it started to part, and now they've just gone like this. Mm-hmm. Your productivity has skyrocketed, your compensation has flatlined. Right. For and I decades, think most people can appreciate that. Yes. Because they're seeing this in their own lives or their families or friends. Right. And the education part of it is... Now education is one of the most inflated prices ever, something like eleven or twelve hundred percent. Back when I wrote that book, right, eight years ago now. Yeah, it had increased so much, and that student debt was so overwhelming. That's why people are talking about forgiving student debt, mm-hmm. and they're not getting the jobs. They're getting barista jobs. Right. You're doing better as a plumber, far better as a plumber. Absolutely, in the and, trades. Yes. So you are educating yourself into massive debt, mm-hmm. not into that that forecasted future of, mm-hmm. of these great earnings mm-hmm. because those jobs aren't there. A lot of them are outsourced, downsized, and so forth. And finally, savings, 0% interest on your savings for the last 12 years. Trillions of dollars of non-growth that's mm-hmm. just being used to inflate the stock market and to subsidize billionaires. Right. Okay, and then just to get us even more riled up, <laughs> um, there's a beloved a beloved cafe in Sacramento, California, and I mean beloved. In fact, when it closed during COVID, people were everyone was talking about, oh my God, they have to a Tower Cafe, and they have to open back up. That's the heartbeat of this city, and I think many many people in the city of Sacramento would argue this is this is the heartbeat of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So they got through that first period of time. They had to close for a while. And he started, Jim, the owner, started working with it. What's it called? PP? The Paycheck Protection, Protection Program. Program. PPP. Yeah. He was working with them, had all his financials out. And this is a large cafe. does a lot of business. And he was um, okayed by the government to get the PPP loan of up to $2 million to pump back in for all the lost wages the people that own the building never stopped charging maximum rent the whole time, even though he was closed. So it was all good to go. And then the bank had a little foul up and he couldn't get the money. Mm-hmm. And he, I said, well, isn't there a way to correct it? I mean, if the bank made a mistake, he said, no. He said, I'm sitting here. The only value this business has is that these people are sitting here in the garden and I can appreciate the fact they're enjoying their time. I don't know how long I can keep the doors open for them. Right. I'm doing everything I can, and they didn't give me the PPP money. Mm-hmm. And that went to corporations working $50, bill, $50 million they right. were being given even. Hedge funds. Hedge with funds. With less than 50 yeah. employees 
but had billions and billions of dollars of assets and income that was stratospheric were the first in line. Exactly. So you have this really important heart-centered business that everyone was waiting to go back to work to because that you treated them so well. Mm-hmm. And the customers are like waiting with bated breath for the days their door open again. And he can't see how he's going to be able, no matter how hard he works mm-hmm. and his employees work, right. to really get through this now. Yeah. The compact is irretrievably broken. It's broken. Yes. And I mean, it hurts everyone. And we're all of us are thinking, God, can we do a GoFundMe? What can we do to help the cafe stay open? Mm-hmm. What does, what can you do? I mean, what mm-hmm. do we do? This is, this is a good case in point to talk about what can be done for businesses like this that do it right, did it right, and got screwed where the money went to the top. Well, in the short term, I think you're right. There's going to have to be a concerted community effort. And that's always been the gold standard of any economy. During the Great Depression, what worked? Mm-hmm. When people were starving, mm-hmm. when people couldn't feed their kids, they got together and they shared what right. little they had to make sure that nobody, as much as they could, plenty of people went hungry. Right. But people didn't yeah. starve. Yeah. You know? And that we could get through it. And that was also the time when we had so-called government programs started soon after that social security. Right. Soon after that, uh, from those abuses and those starvations, especially among elderly people yeah. and working families that created guarantees around that. That's yeah. where social security came from, Medicare and Medicaid kind of stemmed from that as well. So we began to realize that we cannot have a functioning economy if we don't pay attention to the people that create the real value. And that's a person on the street. Yes. And we've lost that again. We have lost And we have to get back to it again. In your case, I would say, yes, have the community rally around this place, the Tower Cafe, Cafe, and do a fundraiser. And let's get that money if we have to. Right. But let's begin to put our money in our local economies Mm -hmm. and not think about just making the next big break in the cyber currency or the stock market. Meanwhile, you're talking about people. Okay, so you have COVID. So you have these subsidy payments that are Mm -hmm. going on, this extra unemployment and these additional payments, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're working at a crap job that pays Mm -hmm. that amount of money, who isn't going to ride it out to the last minute? You're making more money on subsidy than at that job. And it doesn't have to be that harsh and that ugly. And Jim, the owner of Tower, he pays his people well. They and they're all back. Right. They're happy to be back. Sure. Well, that's not how most of them do. Right. So now, what are this? We were looking at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Now those benefits are running out state by state. They're just right. about gone as we record this. Mm-hmm. So right now there are 11.7 job openings mm-hmm. with 12.1 million people claiming unemployment. Right. That's interesting. Right. As many jobs open. As people looking for unemployment benefits. Right. So let's talk about this phenomena. Sure. When you break the compact as badly as it's been broken, when people are literally punished from working harder with given more work to do and not more pay, mm-hmm. when they're not given their productivity, they go on a kind of strike. They get burnt out. In America, you don't even go on vacation. You're given two weeks versus five to six weeks in Europe. You're not even given health insurance. Right. Not real health insurance. You right. Know, we don't have, quote, right. socialized medicine. So you're getting paid crap. Mm-hmm. The major expenses are not being covered. You are not allowed to take a break for the most part. Right. And then all of a sudden you're expected to just want to jump back into work. No. At a certain point, there's been a rebellion there. It's a strike. It's a general strike of about 12 million people saying, I don't want or need this anymore. I don't want to live like that. Anymore. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to simply be pumping out 
more dollars for faceless corporations and equity firms and so forth that are buying up more and more real businesses and assets and trying to wring even more money out of Well, people. and that's, those kinds of wages don't give you a chance at any kind of dignified life. I mean, yeah. you and I have talked about this when I was a young kid, a teenager, and, and in my early 20s, I could afford my own apartment in San Francisco on right. a very average little job, not right. much above minimum wage. Right. And it was a nice little studio apartment. Mm-hmm. I could still go to the store. I could get my cable car tickets and even buy a dress. Right. That's not even remotely possible. We, now. Fi- we figured that that same apartment now in San Francisco would require about a hundred and seventy thousand dollars salary. Right. And, and you're not going to get that as a receptionist. You're not going to get no. that as working at a hair salon. <laughs> no, I worked in a very famous hair salon. In fact, the one that was right. featured in that recent movie about Hollywood. What was it called? With Brad Pitt. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I remember the one. It was about the. They won the Academy yeah. Award about the Manson family. I was I was sadly working for one of the people Manson killed at that time, but it was a very high end salon, right. and I had a very lowly job there, mm-hmm. and it paid all my bills. Sure. I was, you know, and that that kind of simple, dignified life where you can just put your 40 hours a weekend mm-hmm. and have a nice life. That's not really possible now unless you're in a much higher category than good. Or you jumped on that corrupt bandwagon. Well, right? you can jump on that bandwagon, mm-hmm. but for the most part, if you're a normal working person like I was, right. you got to live three or four people in that house now sure. in order to make that rent. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. With those jobs, similar jobs, like kind of artist collectives, you know, sure. everybody's living like that now, or are mm-hmm. moving back with their parents and, and family. And that's that may be open and some of the opportunities. Yes. If we are forced, because the individualistic way that we've approached it and the guarantees that we have toward our individualistic and more nuclear family lifestyle are broken, we may be forced into communal structures right. to be able to share housing. Well, I'm all for that. Expenses. And we'll talk about that because yeah. I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yes. Um, so because we were living in our little silos, everyone their own condo. You yeah. know? <laughs> so, so now let's talk about another thing before we go further into that. Mm-hmm. And people are looking around saying, oh, my God, this is weird. I can't even buy the toaster I like. They're, they don't have any. I can't buy it. I have to wait six months for a refrigerator. Right. I talked to my chiropractor recently who moved to a new home and redid the kitchen. He and his wife mm-hmm. decided to do a sub-zero suite with the mm-hmm. range and the refrigerator. May of 2020, they ordered mm-hmm. their stuff. They still haven't gotten it nearly a year and a half later. Right. We know what's happening in the auto industry. Mm-hmm. Used cars are way up in value because you can't get certain makes. Right. Toyota's cutting back production 40% in 2022, I read. Mm-hmm. Now, people will say, what's COVID have to do with a shortage of virtually everything? Right. So can you tell us what happened there? Well, one of them is a computer chip shortage. But why right. did that even happen all of a sudden? Well, the problem is that um, all these things rely on timing and links. They are called a supply line for a reason. Supply chain, yeah. Yeah, or a supply mm-hmm. chain. If mm-hmm. one of the chinks in the chain gets broken, mm-hmm. then you have a problem. Well, why it's are they suddenly like a, running out of chips? How'd that happen? Well, again, it could be something very small, like the mining company that uh, digs it up or there was some kind of close quarters contact where they couldn't because of COVID. Or who knows what the reason is? But if there's anything that impinges upon the ability to, to not only manifest that, the raw materials for that, and then people working together in those factories or whatever, putting them together. Some of them are made by computers and so forth. But it doesn't matter. Any little fragility within that system that gets disrupted creates problems for the industry. And so with COVID, many of these systems were disrupted. They were, not only in terms of just the production, but the consumption. 
Right. People were staying at home. They were right. not shopping. They were not buying. Right. It didn't make any sense to produce them. So then when the money starts cranking back up, yeah. it takes a while for the supply chain to crank back up. Yeah. Do you think that's happening? Because I'm seeing inventory shrink everywhere. I, I think I keep an eye on the ground. I think we're going to see supply line uh, interruptions for as long as, as the eye can see. Because it's been so disrupted. And we're still kind of skating on thin, thin ice in terms of any kind of sustainability or viability of the economy. Despite all of that great fanfare, everything's back up and going again, that we're going to see issues with that. We have a vulnerability that's been exposed. The vulnerability is that we need each other and we ran economies almost automatically mm-hmm. as if we didn't need each other mm-hmm. and as if the lowest worker fed is dispensable. We just kick them out, especially if they're in a third world or, you know, a developing country where they've been paid crap and we'll just move our factories over there. We saw that with China. We moved a lot of over there. And then if we needed personal protective equipment, it's because we didn't have any ability to produce it here. It created a real shortage, right. a real problem. Right. So now we have an opportunity through this, if we do it right, to start to reincorporate some manufacturing, reincorporate work, make supply lines more local right. and national rather than always international. Well, that seems inevitable. And one mm-hmm. person that kind of stayed ahead of it in the auto industry, for example, was Elon Musk because mm-hmm. he saw the chip thing coming right. and he diversified mm-hmm. where chips were being made mm-hmm. and doing alliances with other people that weren't mm-hmm. going to be other chip makers. Exactly. So he only missed, like, I think three production days is what I read in one right. article, whereas mm-hmm. others are literally having to cut back to the extent even at 40%. An analogy for this would be hybridized corn. Mm-hmm. What happened was they wanted to always pump up bigger and bigger ears of corn and have more and more yield yeah. per acre. What they did was hybridize it for that production. Mm-hmm. And then you have a disease that comes along. And that hybridized corn, okay, doesn't have the gene to fight off that disease. And mm-hmm. it starts wiping out whole crops. Mm-hmm. The same thing is happening with supply lines. They're putting all of their eggs into one basket. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a problem with that right. basket. Right. And you look at nature and all the best environments, the ones that buffer easily, have diversity. Like and, crazy. Yeah, and they balance. They balance yeah. each other. They buffer each other. Mm-hmm. They have diversified portfolio in the mm-hmm. stock market. Mm-hmm. Same idea. Mm-hmm. One stock goes down. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not that much a big a hit for the mm-hmm. other ones. The other ones can kind of pick up mm-hmm. and compensate for mm-hmm. it. We don't really have that. The economy has gone from maximum profit, which has created this very narrow and, and, and kind of tenuous uh, situation. Speaking of, we're going to go one step further on this tenuous situation, and we're going to get to looking at what we can do from millennials all the way through boomers, what we can start doing now. And it's really a much more beautiful way to live anyway. Okay? (laughs) So you say we're entering a period of what you call, um, and is called stagflation, but on steroids. Yes. What do you mean by that? Hyperstagflation is where I see us going. Now, stagflation, we, we know but the term from the 1970s, mm-hmm. right, where they had to kind of counter it with these really, really high interest rates, mm-hmm. which was great for savers, mm-hmm. but not so great for trying to buy a home and yeah. these sorts of things. Stagflation means low growth, high inflation, mm-hmm. okay? Our real growth, that's produ- productivity of our businesses that are being shuttered, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, is, is actually down significantly. Right. The Main Street growth. But the price of products is skyrocketing. Price of products is skyrocketing. Okay. They're they're flooding a lot of money into the system, even with these unemployment checks and so forth. Mm -hmm. They're putting money into the system. People are using to buy up cyber currency. They're using to buy up products that are scarce or whatever. 
But that's not a recipe for going forward. No. You can't simply have real growth, not this funny money growth, this hyperinflated kind of testosterone Mm -hmm. growth. Um, you can take steroids and you get muscles that way. That's not the good way to get muscles. <laughs> that's what There's our, a price to pay later. There's a price to pay, and that's yeah. what we're doing with our economy. Right. So I see that continue to happen because there's no champion for Main Street. Right. There's nobody saying, let's flood all the money for there. Even the newest so-called infrastructure bill was all really tilted toward corporations. Yes. Now, there's been a real effort by some of the progressives in Congress to really move it toward family and move it toward Main Street. But both parties are mostly captured by the, the by the upper elite, right. and for some reason they keep talking about helping the little guy, but they're not. And that can't go on forever. You can't just no. have the main street collapsing no. in terms of their growth, and then being asked to pay higher and higher prices, and then having to borrow more and more money. That just that that's a that's a recipe for disaster. And but yes. I believe that's going to happen. And this in is, the near term. And this is global. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an event that happened recently that mm-hmm. affected the markets. Uh, a company, I guess a massive corporation called Evergrande in mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. Same thing's happening in China. Right. Concentration of wealth to the wealthiest, and mm-hmm. there are the wealthiest in the world now, right. individually. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the people right. who are struggling themselves. Exactly. This is happening all over the globe. This is not, right. you know, restricted to the West or the U.S. by any means. And this is where we need to have solidarity because they oftentimes talk about China or Russia as those Russians or those Chinese. No, we're all those people, people are like at us. the bottom are like us and yeah. their elite are the same as the elite everywhere. Everywhere. And they are abusing their people just as much. This yes. one company, Evergrande, just recently in the last couple of days and is sending ripples to the market, crashing cyber currencies and other things is $305 billion, billion dollars in debt. That's a, a nearly a third of a trillion dollars. <laughs> one company. Yeah, in debt. Second largest, it's only the second largest. And this is a real estate developing company Mm -hmm. that had their fingers in all over, all over the Mm -hmm. country, including a lot of those ghost communities and developments where no people ever lived, which is hard to get our minds around anyway. And you were telling me that they had a practice in recent times of taking 50% of your purchase money up front before your house is ever built. So they were taking in quite a lot of hard earned Earnings, because right. the Chinese know how to save in cash. Right. How they end up three hundred and five and growing in debt and looking like they're going to default. The, the example I use is Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, as one person, took in fifty billion. Yeah, that, and he that used was pretty a Ponzi stunning. scheme yeah. while skimming the money out to pay out some of the early investors. Yeah, I, I'm not going to make any statements as to it because I don't have any evidence. Right, but let's just say what happened was that they were playing flat, fast, and loose with financial rules, and the Chinese government got wind that this could create catastrophic downfall. Mm-hmm. So they started to place more capital reserves on them, saying you, there's certain things you can't do, you need a certain amount of money, you can't just continue to expand. As soon as they imposed that, it exposed the flaws in their, the flaws in their system. Practices. Because anyone can make money yeah. when it's always going up. Right. The fundamental companies right. will make it when it's going down right. because they have a sound business plan. Right. The ones that are just looking for maximum profit end up collapsing and defaulting. Okay, so that's where we are. Or being too big to fail. Too big to fail. Yeah. Failing upward for the big guys, failing downward for the little guys, the average person on the planet. Yep. And this is planetary. So now we're talking about what you like to term unplugging as much as we have the capability mm-hmm. From big everything right. and plugging into small everything. 
Right. Explain what you mean by that. And let's look at the unique opportunity for the millennials right, right. now who are just getting a start in life and are saying, we right. can never own a house, right. not in our state, right? And also boomers who never had a big portfolio and are working at Walmart even. Right. The first thing I want to say here and really encourage your audience because they're a more metaphysical audience to begin with. Yes. The really big, big everything is the cosmic, cosmos. Yes. So I want to plug into that big everything. The really big. <laughs> the really big everything. <laughs> the next level of big. The, the planetary, yeah. you know, uh, you know, Institutional. or overlordy, uh, power mongering type of people that can't seem to really care for others and mm-hmm. only care about power and money and so forth. That's not what I'm talking. We need to withdraw their energy source, their monetary source. We need to withdraw from it and not feed it. I mean, like Khloe Kardashian, a billionaire. Uh, For what? (laughs) She's not forcing anyone to buy her stuff or to watch her, but enough have done that to get get her a billion dollars. So that's the kind of unplugging I'm talking about on a very basic level. Mm Mm-hmm. That's superficial. Well, and also even on a, on a, on a level that's more pragmatic. Right. Even in the banking industry, you mm-hmm. can continue with Chase Morgan or right. Chase, mm-hmm. or you can go with your local savings union in your town, mm-hmm. right? Your savings and thrift right. they use to be book, called. There is, my yeah. whole last third of my book are yeah. all the things you can do. And they're all beautiful. To unplug mm-hmm. and also to plug into small everything. You can unplug from your banks and bring it to a credit union. Right. You can do all these kinds of things. You can begin to do local currency and time sharing and debt forgiveness for family members to do peer lending mm-hmm. from person to person at this small level. Again, that's within the framework of this large, big everything, this cosmic, yes, which has integrity, it has care, it has courage, compassion, and creativity at the heart. And it starts at the grassroots level. It starts at the grassroots level. I asked everyone, I said, listen, how good do you feel when you help a neighbor? Mm-hmm. And how good do you feel when you're being helped by a neighbor? Every one of them, doesn't matter what religion they are, what political party they, they follow, you know, what ethnic group, all say the same thing. They love it. You know, we're a little bit suspicious and some are a little bit transactional, like I have to, you know, do this. But for the most part, if we have a decent relationship, we like it when somebody is helping us and we like to help somebody else. We have an economy that's doing the opposite. We're having an economy that's teaching each and every one of us and rewarding us and training us to do the opposite, to have predatory instincts right. toward other people right. and to fear and suspect that everyone's coming after us. We can't buy into that programming at the metaphysical level. Not anymore. Not anymore. We have to make our stand and we have courage, creativity, compassion, community, bringing that together. And there are technologies that we can develop around that. Like I said, pure lending, mm-hmm. time sharing, mm-hmm. um, to break down those barriers and still have your own space. You right. know, if you're an introvert like yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I like my room. I like my yeah. space. <laughs> you like your room. You like your space. But for these millennials, it's a great idea to move in together. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea to manage and buy things in bulk. You're saving money. It's a great idea because you want to pay for childcare. The parents of some children could take care of and the kids can play together while the other parents are going out on their dates and so forth. We have the imagination. We have the really tangible benefits of quote, being downsized into together. Just to needing each other once again. Needing each other once again. We won't be in the same situation that we were in the Depression mm-hmm. because we have managed a certain amount of prosperity, mm-hmm. automation, and certain safeguards. 
but let's take advantage of it proactively. And one of the things we were talking, I was asking about a moment ago, which is the boomers and, and um, the great generation before, some of whom are still alive, like my father. Right. Um, it, one of the interesting things in an interview I did with a man uh, named Andrea Villa mm-hmm. a few years ago was we were talking about, he was saying, what is it with you people in America? He said, in Italy, he was raised near Venice. Mm-hmm. He said, in Italy, in our towns, you, at the t- village, the whole town raises your son. Mm-hmm. Your uncles raise your son, your friends, uncles raise your son, everybody raises a child. Mm-hmm. And he said, here, what's with you? Your, the grandparents are like going on cruises and playing golf. They're not spending time with their own grandkids. Right. So there is something truthful mm-hmm. in that sure. when we're looking at the American culture. It's, right. um, the boomer generation, mm-hmm. which a Leo astrologically, mm-hmm. which is also, you know, the me, 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 I'm part of it, me, mm-hmm. me, me generation, which is I'm going to get mine and I'm going to make this thing good. I'm going to rock and I'm going to look good when I'm old. I'm going to, you know, play golf well when I'm right. old. All these things that right. people want for themselves. Right. There was a decline in family participation on sure. a multi-generational level, I think. Yes. And even, even to an extent in my dad's generation. Yeah. Sociological books like Bowling Alone. Many decades ago, have already begun to show that trend, right? Uh, they looked at that was just they called the book bowling alone because they noticed that, uh, going from leagues to people bowling alone, them, beginning to bowl alone. Yeah, and I also think that the meaning of life and achievement and success and worth has changed to much more hyper individualistic. Yeah, it doesn't isn't based in care; it's based in getting that promotion at your work mm-hmm. or being on the cover of a magazine. Right. Everybody's got to be a celebrity, and that's only been accentuated by social media. Absolutely. Where literally, everyone's just taking pictures of themselves and their meals. Who gives a crap? Does that add any real value? Does mm-hmm. it actually create deep fulfillment? Or is it more this ersatz, surface-level, sensation-driven notion of worth that if you just take half a step back, go, wait a minute, that's not actually that important to me or the world. And you have said before that there, with all of this coming down now, mm-hmm. coming unglued, mm-hmm. there has never been a better time to be creative or be yourself. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with that more. Right. If all of the systems and institutions aren't offering you what was once promised a generation ago, right. well, then good, you don't have to do it. Exactly. I mean, it used to be the pragmatist went ahead and did the working hard, did the saving, did all this and that. You know, had their own little the house. Good husband and good yeah, wife. The, the, the suburban, mm-hmm. you know, McMansion, whatever it happened to be, and would get the, the wages for, for following the rules and towing the line. It was boring. You might be working in a cubicle. Now that's all gone. You're free from that. Mm-hmm. Because they've gone ahead and blew away all those promises. They're not going to be giving you all those things for the sacrifice of giving into the man, as it were. Mm-hmm. Now there's never been a better time to be who you are. Yeah. Never been a better time because now that creativity, compassion, togetherness, community is required for you to have a good life because all the promises have been broken on the bad life that you're going to sacrifice yourself to in order to get your goodies. Right. You know? No, that's <laughs> so, very so true. There, there, so there is a, the pragmatist now is the idealist. Yes. And that's what we need to focus on. How can we yes. bring that pragmatism together with that much more fulfilling, cosmically oriented big everything right. and pull our energy away from that very low level, right. global sort of elite big everything. And we do it through the local. We do it through relationships. Mm-hmm. We do it through experiences over possessions. We do it by beginning to honor care. Mm-hmm. Without care, forget about it. Caring about what we do, caring about the effect on the planet and caring for each other. 
I agree with that. And I did a, a show recently with Jan Ingle Smith where we were talking about the changes that are happening in the cosmos and on our Earth, the actual shifting of the frequencies of Earth. And so everything changes frequencies right. over time. And the Earth is going in an upward trajectory in its frequencies, mm. meaning that the old ways of doing and being, we're she's our host. We have to keep up or we, we're not here. Right. And to do that, we have to refine ourselves we have to start questioning why we're doing what we're doing. Right. We have to start caring and opening our hearts again right. to keep up with the frequencies of Earth. So mm-hmm. isn't it absolutely essential that the economy as we've known it to be now to become so artificial has to drop away as we knew it right. to give birth to something else. Right. And so I want to add one more thought and then have you take it away. Uh, for years I've been saying to people, we have to look around mm-hmm. and see where our real assets are. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I have? What skills do I have to offer as a human being to another person? Mm-hmm. If, say, I'm letting go of that horrible job or they won't have me back, mm-hmm. and now I've got to move out of my house or sell it and maybe move in with a family member, mm-hmm. what do I have to offer? Right. And and who who do you love? Who loves you? Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it in hard times, right. that's the biggest question. Sure. It really comes down to who loves me enough to help me, who do I love enough to help? Exactly. Exactly. And there's a humility to that. Yes. Instead of that kind of almost testosterone driven, I'm better than everyone else. I'm going to rise above it all. Now you're saying, not that you're humble and lowly, you're saying, I've got a unique divine genius that I have to offer the world. And it can be done in very, very sensitive and wonderful and fulfilling and healthy ways. And it doesn't have to be on the front page of a magazine. Right. I trust the experience and flow of energy and spirit more than that lack of spiritual confidence I had by selling my soul to a system that has only the worst intentions for everyone. I am now dedicating my soul and my spirit to creating a system and getting up every morning and dedicating myself to that system that's going to make the world a better place that's more caring, more compassionate, more creative, and more courage, courageous. So that's the, that's yeah. the choice we have to make right there. I agree. It's been laid bare. It has been laid bare. And mm-hmm. this is very different mm-hmm. than the New Age axiom. Mm-hmm. Money is nothing but energy right. made manifest. This is different now. We're moving beyond that. That's, we're leaving that behind. Right. We're talking about what is made manifest through true energy and love. Right. And it may not be money per se, okay? Right. But it's something that has even truer value than that to grow with the earth into this more sustainable Going back to the harmonies and right. remembrance of why the earth was so healing for us, right. always has been, and why we turned our back on her. Exactly. And to go to what you've said many times and many of your guests have said, that heart-based feeling, right, um, is, um, is what is important. Right. That, being able to understand that rather than that notion oftentimes in these more materially dis- driven uh, so-called spiritual things, right. right? Which were a wolf in sheep's clothing, let's face it. Okay, Some They're, of them, yeah. Some of them were, mm-hmm. okay? Or they were a little bit naive. Mm-hmm. Now we're moving, like you said, into the next phase. Right. We've gone through that growing phase to, to be without judgment, mm-hmm. all right? And the next phase doesn't have to do with our individual spiritual enlightenment or our personal, I guess you'd say, promotion into the good life right. is not based upon exterior approval, positioning, and all those things. It's based on relationship. It's Absolutely. based on our spirit doing what it's here to do. Right. It's based on sharing. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. It comes down to it. That's where we have to go. 
Right. And it's going to have a lot of iterations and it's going to be painful for some people. Right. No doubt about it. We're going through yeah. a shift. Right. And shifts are painful because it means letting go of our familiar moorings. But if we do it, we're going to find it actually our so body. So much more oh. At first, we're going to be panicked. At first, <laughs> we're going to be fearful. We're going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm not on my own with my family. Who's going to do it? But as we move into it, we're going to be, ah. Oh. Yes. All these burdens, all these expectations, all this struggle in which I wasn't going to be rewarded, which my work is going to be taken advantage of. Now I actually can build on something Absolutely. in community with others, with my family and other families in community. And families will be back together again. I think just mm-hmm. one example, my sister, I mean, when my sister and I had our children, we were in our own house having to figure out how to pay the mortgage and not miss too much work and, mm-hmm. you know, keep the kids, you know, health cared for and going. Sure. New moms with jobs and, and heads of household and such. Mm-hmm. And that that's very stressful, very mm-hmm. stressful when you're trying to nurture a baby. Now her son is married and they're getting ready to have a baby. And my sister has this little build up above a garage, little mm-hmm. apartment. They moved into the little apartment. They're going to have their baby there. Mm-hmm. The whole family's there now to take care of the baby. Mm-hmm. They don't have to stress mm-hmm. it over high rents mm-hmm. so they can work as they can, mm-hmm. continue their education. And I think mm-hmm. it's just like this beautiful little wonderland over there mm-hmm. of extended multi-generational family coming together to now bring this new life into the world. And that's how it always should have been. It should have been. We shouldn't have been stressed out thinking, oh, I can only take six weeks off. Right. And who's going to watch the baby? Right. That's not right. Right. And as we do that and we get a taste for it, we're not going to put up with the abuse anymore. Right. We're not going to put up with the predatory behavior. We're going to elect politicians and community leaders, and we ourselves are going to run for these positions and advocate for them. That supports exactly what you just said. Yes. We're in 100% agreement. Mm-hmm. And support all your little, small, local mom-and-pop businesses that made it through COVID. I think that's a big one, too. Right. Support your small businesses and right. support each other. That's an investment in the future of the world. It's an investment in the future of your heart and the heart of your community. Yes. Thank you so much, Zeus. I met you here five and a half years ago, exactly, almost exactly five and a half years ago, on this story. And this is where it's landed today. <laughs> We're a good example of what can come out if we just let, it, let go and just... Yeah. I, I absolutely, yeah. and that's what I first interviewed you mm-hmm. on was uh, transforming economy back right. then, and now it's just coming true. So yeah. thank you, thank, thank you, you for being here and in my life. You can go to Zeus's website at citizenzeus.com to read many, many more of his articles and videos on these topics. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Oh, my goodness. Right on topic, everyone. Okay, now there's one more here. This is called Human History, a Construct. With our brother Emery Smith and his guest, familiar guest, uh, Tim Tactical Advisor. Um, do extraterrestrials have differing perspectives on Earth's history. According to tactical advisor Tim, history is mostly construct and depends heavily on the perspective upon it. Tim shares how the greys are partly responsible for creating humanity through the genetic modification of ape-like primates and how greys claim to be one of the 
creator species of the human race, exploring how parallel timelines connect. Tim discusses higher elevated level six consciousness beings and their links with human history. Mm-hmm. And so here we go. This is the 30, 30, 35 minutes. Here we go. It's coming. Oops, coming. disclosure we're at an undisclosed location with tim tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with earth tim welcome to the show thank you for having me we understand our history in a linear fashion how do the ets you have contacted recall our human history interestingly they totally look differently upon the history of humankind. Um, And this was something that I found really interesting because I was thinking that communicating with beings that have so much knowledge and even found a way to store their knowledge over star systems like the Grace, where every um all the insulin and information are connected to each other and been given over millions of light years very quickly. I was surprised to find out that different species have different stories about human history. And also, I mean, history has been rewritten so many times that there might also be some confusion. And we also have to deal with the effect of failed timelines, which is a naturally occurring physical effect in the universe that we have a time strain in the middle of everything that is a stable and successful evolvement of the universe and once other strains or lines are explored there are always fading timelines when someone moves into an unstable timeline and it gets failed because of self-destructive behavior of mm, random occurring incidents or just because the consciousness units decides to go back to a certain place and just leave what they just explored, then you have a failed timeline on and all those 
failed timelines get reintegrated into the successful main time strain, which is pretty positive. So the universe is making like a backup plan so that everything will turn out right because once a version or a parallel version of yourself fails, you probably didn't even notice that because the observer stays inside of the successful line. That doesn't mean that dying is the same as a failed timeline. A failed timeline just means that memory gets reintegrated into the successful main time strain. And because everything is in real time and everything is moving fluently, an observer might not even notice that. Having defined these ground rules, can you offer some examples about our history according to the ETs you've talked to? Oh yeah, interesting. So the perspective, for example, of being six, which is a level six consciousness, being outside of dimension. So what they think about human history is super exotic. They see everything as a as source with kind of probabilities that create systems in which life can be experienced. And they are saying that everything we're experiencing right now is a very, very old, old thought that comes from the source itself. And it kind of makes sense. So if you have an apple and you're looking at the apple, the information that comes back to you is not the present information because it takes some time inside of time to get the information back. The light from the moon takes one second and the light from the sun to the earth is about eight minutes away from us. So what we see, everything we see is just the past version of what we're looking at. So the distance between our sun and the earth is very small compared to the overall size of the universe. So imagine that when you zoom out of time, which this being does, it looks upon everything from an outside perspective and they realize that what we actually are looking upon is a very old ancient thought. They have that idea that every sun is a direct portal to source itself. What they see is a huge field of light in which there are some dark spots and those dark spots have some controversy, something to explore inside of source itself. Source itself experiences itself and explores itself. So the what they say about history is that source was curious what it's like to be here. And from their perspective, and again, this is their perspective and it's totally different to other stories we've heard, they have placed the pyramid 
exactly where Giza is because that is also the coordinates of the speed of light exactly on the top of this pyramid in order to split light and the thought that we are experiencing right here. And through that process of building that pyramid there, without even having humans in existence and on this planet, source could observe itself. And this is the reason from that perspective why we see this all-seeing eye everywhere on the pyramid. Because that kind of was the way, the technology that source and being six used in order to observe itself. What examples in history can you share from the ET perspective? So the gray master line has a very different approach to reality and what's happening because they perceive the universe as a mental and cognitive concept. They also think it's a very old thought, but from that perspective, they have thought that thought and brought it into existence. And because they experience this factor of being so isolated and alone in the universe, because there is no actual you, there's no actual me, from that perspective, it's just empty and the universe is so alone and so sad that they actually committed some kind of suicide in order to create another thought where they can, where they have a reason to be. And that is their master line getting erased. So they created this reality from their history. And you see history is totally different from species to species. Um, in order to experience togetherness and maybe the opportunity to to exchange and to experience diversity from their perspective is that they have built the second two pyramids that we find in Egypt that are aligned to Orion, which is also the material universal headquarters of the grace at some point. We're talking about these Theta reticuli. Then this is some space, some uh, there's a planet inside of the star system of Orion. They've built those pyramids. They are aligned to Orion. Uh, humans, um, which they have created from apes, could go inside of the pyramid, get rid of the, their biological be, uh, body, and get transported into the system of the grace and then reach out back to humanity and, and also get integrated into this community of grace in order to explore the universe and also to um, benefit from the spirituality from human beings. So the main ingredient in humans is vulnerable DNA. So vulnerables are very social, a very, very socializing species, um, probably one of the most, um, they have the most socializing um, group dynamics within all, all of the monkeys and eggs. So the grace 
totally benefit from that. And that is their story. You just shared with us some significant historical information, which is that the Greys are responsible for creating humanity from apes. Is it with their own DNA or with the DNA from other beings? It is the Greys that claim to be the fathers of humanity. I've already raised that question if this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because we, from now, from our standpoint now, we know that there are several species that, that have created or manipulated the human species. Maybe that's something that falls under this alternative reality thing and parallel timelines getting connected, but it's their firm belief that they are the fathers of humanity. And I know other species are saying, no, we did that. Um, the being six, they are claiming that they use all these perfectly mathematical statues that you can find in Giza in order to create humans, in order to have movable consciousness units to experience what's happening inside this version of the universe. So there are many, many, many different versions of the same history. Or maybe it's not the same history. We don't know. It's at this point where we are, we find a aligned strain of history and we find evidence for everything I've just told you. But it just doesn't seem to be a linear history to humanity. Who created the pyramids, Tim, according to the Greys? According to the history of the Greys, they don't know. They found a system where there was already a pyramid, the Pyramid of Giza. They found, they created humans from apes and also placed them at different spots in the world. They were talking about India as one of the original spots where people come from. And they brought parts of their system onto Earth, which is especially economical systems and also elite systems. And through that, they expanded their system more and more over the Earth. And it happens to be a something disastrous happened in Egypt to their history, which means that the area around the pyramids weren't a desert in the first place. Something bad happened there. Species um, that were genetically modified became warrior-type species, got into war, and something bad happened then. Then we had the flood. And to extract some of the material, the great place there, they had those two other pyramids built in order to use the benefits of the first pyramid and to extract the souls of those humans that were living there and in order to bring them to the Orion star system and to integrate them into their community. 
That is what the grace saying. Is there another historical perspective about the pyramids from other beings? Yes, there are beings inside of being six that we were talking about, and I think that one of the reasons why we could call it Galactic Federation, because they sometimes call themselves this way. I don't know if they do it in order to communicate with people or um, if they really name themselves this, this way. I don't know that. But from their perspective, there were already humans on Earth. The pyramid was used, or let me say, they gave technology to those beings, to those humans, and they were doing that because humans at that time were spiritually and open-minded enough to accept influences from outside. They were basically not very far advanced in technology, but they were spiritually evolved enough to contact other beings. How old would you say the pyramids are? So according to them, they are timeless out of outside of time, which means they have no time. They are information that appears pretty old, but they aren't. They just have no time to them. But inside of time, we probably are talking about like 15,000 years at least because that is the time when this cataclysm was happening. Whatever was before that time, at least I don't know. What do ET say about the purpose of the pyramids? Are they still active today? According to being six, again, which is a being outside of time, outside of dimensions, which has a different view on everything, the original purpose of the pyramid placed there was to split light in a way so that source could observe itself. That is why the Pyramid of Giza was actually created outside of time and outside of the dimension. Mm -hmm. Some things, I'm not sure of everything, but some things have a equivalent in time and outside of time. And according to them, the Pyramid in Giza has an equivalent outside of time. The Greys were using the pyramids to orient them to the Orion star system and in order to bring out humans to their system. That's what they used it for. That is why they are aligned to Orion. And we also find different space portals or at least sites all across the globe that are in alignment with Orion star system. That is where the Greys took all their material which they called humans that are willing to be extracted um, to their system and into their net of collectiveness and collective memory. This is the one purpose that the Grace was speaking about. Other beings, and I think they are called Arcturians, I don't know that, 
it's been a long time and not very good at those pop cultural names. But there are beings that are claiming that the pyramids have more than two chambers. So the pyramid of Giza has more than two chambers and it has a lot more functions than just one. The one thing that it was surely not and never has been is a tomb. It's never been used as a tomb. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much proven because when they found the pyramid, they were using TNT in order to break up the doors and the entrances. And they found those containers, which they refer to as sarcophagus. But there has never, ever been a human body inside of that. According to those species, there are several more chambers inside of the Pyramid of Giza. They were used to, for healing purposes, as well as in Mexico, where they have those pyramids, um, which can be accessed by a whole group of people, whereas the pyramid in Egypt, the Giza pyramid, was used individually. And those chambers were used for healing purposes. They were also used to introduce people to um, to spiritual awakening feelings. Um, they were also used for communication purposes. They also used some kind of natural occurring energy in order to condense frequencies so that higher frequential beings have a potential to communicate with 3D bodies and 3D people. And they were storing memory there. And they also, by the way they were designed, were conducting electricity. Because what they told me is that in the original version of the Giza Pyramid, you have a basement of some kind of material that conducts energy. You have a so-called pyramidion in the top that is either the plus or the minus pole. I don't know anymore. And you have a neutral part in the midst. And over that, there was some very um, bright, shining chalk cover. And through that... You have a natural kind of electricity and conduction system built into the pyramid. So people who are arguing possibly about what's the function to the pyramid, there seem to be a lot of functions, at least to the Giza pyramid. Are they still active today? Apparently there seems to have been some kind of polar change of the magnetic field of the planet itself. Because at some time, the alignment of the planet um, was rotating. People can see that through exploring the different stone levels of stone and sand, and they find that there. So, A, that, and B, they are pretty much ruined. On the top of the um, of the pyramid, where the so-called pyramidium should be, the material should be conducting electricity, and it's been stolen because at 
some point they used gold for that. They didn't do that in the original version. They used some other material, which I do not know what it was right now, but they used something else, and then later on they put gold on it, and that got removed and stolen. So that is something that is problematic to the function of the pyramids, but as it's been said to me, they are still active and still doing some kind of function. How can you explain the sacred geometry of the pyramids? They are a geometrical form, which means that they alter the way the natural geometrical flow of energy is curving. This was one of the first purposes for them in order to break off, to split off light so the source can experience itself, you know, remember the eye. Um, and they are still doing that. Every pyramidal structure everywhere, doesn't matter which size, they always alter the way the geometrical flow of energy is going. So that's what they still do. They are still a point of high frequential energy on this planet. So Tim... Would you say the extraterrestrials helped influence, stop, or sabotage World War II? In what way were the ETs an influence? We know that there was at least a high frequential observation of what's going on in the world at World War II because, of course, it was a cataclysm and a high energetic time at that time. We also, or at least it's been said and assumed that there was some kind of sabotage on possibly both sides that made this war more possible and ended into, you know, resulted in that bad ending that it became. Um, the reason why Grays or other time traveling species are not going back and healing that is because it's relevant for the evolution of the earth. We have, for example, Germany that was going, so it wasn't basically Germany, but the documents state that it's especially Himmler and the SS that kind of was the breakaway civilization from that time. It seems as if Hitler at some point didn't know what was happening with all the SS and the technology that the SS... Um, they were basically doing the same black budget stuff that happened later on, and they were trying to, you know shift all their equipment down to Antarctica. There's more and more evidence to that. And basically we have a still existing timeline with the Nazis from that time. There are still influences and basically things that need to be repaired, but they need to be repaired from inside. So you cannot just go from outside and make things not happen because then 
all the timelines would get into chaos and confusion. As strange as it might seem or sound, Germans will at some point play a role in the healing of the karma that has happened in that time, just as much as a lot of other nations will have to play their part. So that is why you cannot go and make World War II undone, even though a lot of other wars that have happened and led to failed timelines do not play a role anymore because they officially didn't appear on our timeline where we are. In the 1940s, we have multiple UFO crash sites in North America. What happened with those? We are touching that in another episode, but to my knowledge, especially the greys and another species, for example, which has been called Edens by the US military and some even some other species as well, um, they were doing some efforts in balancing out technology advancement in the history of the humans. We see that, for example, regarding to the atomic bomb, which firstly appear, and I know this is controversial, but there's a lot of evidence to that, that the Germans were the ones who were pretty far advanced in that program, and they tried to bring that down to Antarctica with special submarines inside of the Führer convoy. And some of them were captured by U.S. military ships and naval submarines and stuff. And this is how the technology then went to, I think, Los Alamos or was it invented, I think, that's it. And then used against the, the Japanese. After that, we find that the atomic bomb is given to different other um, regions in the world, counterplayers, and this pretty much was done so you have like a balanced world where technology, even though it's super destructive and the greys, they shut down several atomic bombs, they were very, very aware of how potentially dangerous that is, but they calculated that the best way to maneuver around things is to give it to other places so we have this strategic balance because in some timelines um, things haven't didn't turn out that well with the atomic bomb just on one side. What do you mean by balance? I think the same balancing strategy that we find with the nuclear bomb has happened to um, the UFO craft thing with the Americans because at that time Germany seemed to have explored the technology um, of UFO crafts a lot more than any other country in the world. There's a lot of evidence to that when we're talking about the incident in 1947 with Admiral Byrd who saw all these craft in Antarctica, you can see that the Germans were pretty much ahead at that time. And there was some kind of 
X or let's say effort from some species, the greys were trying to balance out that, but I'm pretty sure that the greys played at least some role in bringing that UFO to the Americans. And also bringing that to the Russians as well. And then bringing that to, I don't know, several other countries. Who's doing this? The Evens or the Greys? I think that. Because the Evens and the Greys were at war at that time. And the Evens were doing observation flights over the U.S. Um, territory in order to see what's happening with the A-bombs and the nuclear stuff over there. They weren't in, the Edens were not invasive. They are not an invasive, not, not so much invasive as the Greys. And my theory is because they were at war that the Greys realized, oh, when we bring that UFO down and make it look naturally, and the Americans find that technology, then that will create Roswell and Corona, and at some point it will turn out fine. With what we've learned in this episode, how should we look at our history now? I think the most important thing, at least that I have learned about history, is that history is mostly a construct and depends heavily on the perspective upon it. We also learn that there are lots of influences and forces that, I mean, put it positively, that are trying to protect Earth, that are guiding Earth. We haven't gone too much into in higher influential um, beings that affected the earth and giving ideas and direction just by cognitive content. Um, that is also something that is not so much hands-on history and manipulating history and timelines, but it's, it's affecting human history every day because those ideas and very significant ideas that bring this species, this world, this evolution further into their evolution and development are coming as ideas, spontaneous ideas to some people. And those people have affected human history a lot, a lot. And I think that's very positive and it's a good way to think about it that there is someone, there not only one, but like enormous number of beings that overlook what's happening here. They're guiding, they're helping, and we always can reach out to them. Tim, that was amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Till next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. A lot of religious ideas do come from contact with exotic beings, higher influences. And this species that I'm talking about found it very important to let us know that they influenced the Templars. They also had grayish skin and huge heads, but different to the grays and other species, 
they looked and they had this red cross upon their robe. The Templars at that time seemed to have received contact from those beings. <clears throat> Heavenly days. Mm -hmm. Just another day at school, everyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Cosmic classwork. And we're going to go to our cosmic sister, Caroline, and her. Uh, the week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements. And the way it says, says it here is Fay Elders, F-A-E, Elders, Angelic Legions, and Archangels, and other divine beings known as the Collective. Greetings, friends. We are aware of your ever-increasing, ever-more-powerful light. And more importantly, we are aware that you are sensing this as well. Perhaps, some days, you will feel uncomfortable at the amount of light you are drawing in, transmuting all around you and allowing to transform your very cells and the very essence of your earth self. This can be difficult to understand, understand, overstand as you move along the path of ascension for yourselves and your planet. Yet you are flowing into that with increasing ease despite what feels to be growing pains. Difficult dreams at night, clashes between the old life and the new. All, all is moving forward at a great rate. And not only with your own growing sense of mastery, rather also with your Earth's increasing openness to openly hosting your star brethren's presence. Of course, you will say, Earth has been visited and inhabited by non-terrestrials for millions of years. What is new about that? And we would say that what is new in your present era is the fact that human consciousness is being assisted now. So as to accept the presence of beings from other planets and other star systems, to accept their presence, their intelligence, their helpful technologies, and their cultural norms on a mass level and on an everyday conscious level. Not that quiet, unconscious level of denial that the mass of humanity has held for so long, It is time for the majority, the majority to accept and integrate this presence with what they call reality and to accept it with grace and interest, not shock or denial. Now, remember that famous line, denial is not a different Egypt. Denial in particular has been something you have been trained for. Trained in for millennia. Millennia. 
current page. You have seen how so much on the ET front has been made into a parody in your media. Strange little cartoon characters, large, stiffly walking robots, the little green men images, the savage invaders who want to control and destroy the planet. Along with this is presented the apparent inevitability of artificial intelligence moving into the human construct as though that were naturally acceptable, even preferable development. Yet you are aware that it is not acceptable in the sense that the powers that were have presented it and had planned to institute it in human life as an added aspect of human biology. Now is the time, as so many have said. In this time, you are in. Much concerning planetary well-being is being decided. There have long been several major potentials. Ones on the old Earth timeline that would leave humanity without choices for self-determination. And ones on the new Earth timeline that would destroy that dark plan for all time. While human consciousness is drawn up to a new level in which humanity grows into and accepts its place among the intergalactic confederation of worlds. <clears throat> Moment detail here. Not as outwardly programmed organisms that are part organic, part machine, rather as an empowered, wholly organic species developing its own higher resources and consciousness so as to join openly with these galactic presences that have watched over Earth life for millennia. Those presences and your own higher aspects have kept you from the tipping points that would have imprisoned humanity in shadow at an even deeper level than you have known till now. And why do we speak of this, dear ones, as you, when you know, you are entering now a new era of peace in which earth energies can only rise higher, as will all in this universe. We speak of it to again remind you that these dreams, these intuitive realizations and desire to know your star families are not just happenstance. And Caroline's got a picture of mother in here. Or, no, that's Alcyone. Excuse me. Oh, my. It is so that there are numerous forms of disclosure of the galactic presence occurring on your planet now in ways once, once only dreamt of. Just getting the, the paper at the top so I can read that little line at the beginning here. Hmm. Got to be a little more careful, Rama. There's uh, some words missing here. <clears throat> We're getting there. 
Um, okay, yet you seek what the light community term full disclosure. And we understand, understand, understand your impatience. And impatience for that moment when not only Nasara is announced, rather the Ashtar Command take the global stage to explain their presence and the presence of billions of other ships now circling the earth or landing upon her or coming up from under the seas or the ground and materializing into a dimensional vibration that makes them no longer invisible to the human eye. Our writer has wished to speak with her friend, John Lennon, this week. And so we step back and ask that brilliant presence to come forward now and speak to all of you. So Caroline Oceana Ryan, thank you, my friends. This is an exciting moment to be on that pla- on the planet, the collective. Indeed it is. One might say the most exciting time of all. <coughs> Caroline, I would like to ask John what he makes of what is happening on the earth now. The war in Ukraine, <coughs> which from what I understand is not so black and white as the Western media are making it out to be. And this news of impending full disclosure. Haven't people been saying it's about to happen for a long time now, a decade or more? Spirit of John Lennon. Greetings, all. Wonderful to speak with you again. Regarding the when of full disclosure, keep in mind that Many who are starseed have have a hard time relating to time in the way that earth souls will relate to it. Time, as it falls in third dimensional terms, feels strange and unnatural to those whose, uh, whose gaze is always going upward. They will feel that almost everything is soon as they can sense the unveiling energetic potential of something in the air. So they are commencing on how a reality is building up to critical mass before it becomes outwardly visible to everyone. They are not commencing on the idea that it will be this many weeks from now, according to everyone's calendar, because they don't think that way. And as they had that actual information, which which almost no earth beings have, have it would endanger them and predetermine much of your current timeline and as we continue here all of you are being protected that way right now yet meanwhile all of you are on the ships at night laughing with family members in real anticipation of the joy that awaits those who will 
finally meet their star families in a fully awake physical state rather than mainly through etheric travel. And then Caroline, why do you say mainly through etheric travel? Have we met some of them already? Lennon, you are aware that there are beings on this planet who are not from here, even though they look and sound to be completely human. You have met some of your star family already without being fully conscious of it, and so have millions of others. It does not occur to you to lean forward in conversation and say, what yet where are you really from? Because you weren't raised to say such things. Yes, it happens. Yet mainly in what people call UFO circles. I actually had a few people ask me that when I was on the earth last, and I would come to realize speaking to some people that they were indeed from elsewhere, and they knew it. They were posing as completely human, yet really weren't, except in outer form. (laughs) Caroline, now, I'm wondering if all this madness in Ukraine isn't related to impending full disclosure. And John Lennon, of course it is. Nearly everything happening now is escalating because the former controllers are panicking and pulling out all the stops, trying to remain in control. The old game isn't working for them. So they go to their old standby, which tends to be war. There are others, yet that's the one that's splashing across the front pages at the minute. You notice how they switch to a new campaign when the old one appears to be lagging in mass panic, response, and deception ability. Caroline, yes, many of us have noticed. And then John Lennon, very nearly everyone on the planet over the age of 12 has noticed Yet for many, it's such a subtle realization that they aren't quite sure what to do. Stick with the old narrative they've been given for thousands of years, which is unstable and unjust, yet familiar, or stretch out their heart minds and accept what they intuitively know to be true. Caroline, which is that we are not alone in the universe. (laughs) turn the page oh my gosh we're getting to the end and John says and that it's time that everyone started living as 21st century humans and accepted their birthright I'll speak on that more next week but for now stay calm and start celebrating why Would you wait? Caroline, thank you, my friend. John Lennon, bows to all. We are all of us honored to assist. Namaste, friends. Oh, boy, and I'm passing this talking stick with John on it. And (laughs) uh, 
all the rest of those angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and menahudis, and hobbits, and all the rest of them from all time and space. And here it comes with that emerald serpent feathered one talking stick. It's coming right over to you. Here it comes. Rainbird, I pass it to you. I caught it. <laughs> what talk. a day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, let's celebrate. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> a, a beautiful tapestry of the story unfolding all day long. And, yeah, we, we don't know our mission yet. We will. <laughs> no, no, no. Get that head out of the sand. Yes, right. <laughs> So thank you, thank you, thank you, Tara and Rama and Micah and everybody else for a great weekend. And wow, we look more forward to more tomorrow when we visit with Cheryl. So pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Yeah, and we're going to have some awards next Sunday night. Was it a Grammy, Rama? Grammy Awards mm, next Sunday no, night? The Academy. Academy Awards next Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, that plays because that's a global thing so let's keep that in our consciousness for the whole story too and rainbird what a commitment to the light it's coming and we now we roll just getting ready to roll up our sleeves everybody that's a good way to put it i like that let's roll up our sleeves <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay is that talking stick over here to Rama Rainbird? Yes, this, I pass that talking stick to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. <laughs> this is Alan Watts, the present moment. <laughs> I would like to see if you could change your basic notions of economics. And I mean the economics of energy. We are always scripting and saving. Because our economics are based on scarcity rather than exuberance. But notice that the economics of nature are allegedly wasteful. They're based on exuberance. Many more seeds than are necessary for trees. Many more spermatozoa and unnecessary for people. Many more stars than anybody could conceivably want. Galaxies galore. Nature is a vast celebration of But if you complain about this and say, oh dear me, it's all running out. That means, you see, that you are looking for fulfillment in time. And you say, if there is not enough future, we won't get the golden goodie we're looking for at the end of the line. See, there is that feeling. There is the great golden goodie. And it's represented in religious art by the golden flower. This is everywhere. When, you, when a human being tries to symbolize what it is that he really wants, at the end of the line. Very often, he thinks of a flower. 
There is the celestial rose in Dante's vision of paradise. There is the golden lotus of Mahavarokana, the great sun Buddha, at the center of the mandala. There is the rose garden of Our Lady. There are rose windows in cathedrals. Always that flower at the end of the line. But that flower, that golden goodie, isn't at the end of the line. You're in it. The radiating petals, the mandala, the great circle of the flower, is the galaxy in which you live. It is uh, the whole universe radiating around you in which you are. And this radiation um, is also cyclic. It's the dance in which you're involved. If you don't realize that the purpose of life is not in the future. And if you think it is, you'll go on and on and on looking for it there and never find it. Because the future in its own way fades out in the same way as the past fades out. You get older and older and older. And if you don't come crash, you just peter out. It wasn't there. You may feel very cheated about the whole thing. You were given the come on. But there was something coming. There was that thing at the end of the line, the golden bunny. You've been sitting in the middle of the golden goodie all the time. So, in, in this way of thinking, let's put it in another dimension for the world. The whole idea of our being driven is connected with the idea of causality of life moving under the power of the past. And that is so ingrained in our common sense that it's very difficult to get rid of it. Because I want to turn the thing round completely the other way and say that the past is the result of the present. So you see, if you insist on being moved, being determined by the past. That's your game. But the fact of the matter is, it all starts right now. So then the question is, are you here, recollected? See, most people aren't. They're bothering about yesterday and wondering what they're going to do tomorrow. And they aren't all here. That's the definition of sanity, to be all there. So to be recollected is to be completely alert, available for the present. Because that's the only place that you are ever going to be in. Yesterday doesn't exist, tomorrow never comes. There is only today. A great Sanskrit proper invocation says, look to this day for it is life. In its brief course lie all the realities of our existence. Yesterday is but a memory. Tomorrow is only a vision. 
Look well then to this day. Such is the salutation of the dawn. So, uh, Shmiti means then recollectedness in the sense of being all here. In the sense that this is the only, on, only where there is. So we've got to leave everybody with the sound of one hand clapping. And that sound of silence. May we also leave you with the phone number <laughs> to come and join us tomorrow and Monday evening about 7 o'clock Mountain, 9 o'clock Eastern with our sister Cheryl. Uh, and the number is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. This could be a very magical moment now. Everybody's dovetailing. It's time for the old to put it to bed and walk in the door here in this ever-now moment of ascension. Yes, we can. <laughs> Namaste. Inshallah and Sat Nam. Sat Nam Ji. Aho Itakuyasin. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. Yes, yes, yes. Namaste, everyone. Till we meet again. Namaste.